Hey guys, what's going on? Good evening. Good 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 eve to you. Um, good eve, Brian. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, it's funny. I was talking to some friends like that are younger, don't don't remember the '80s, and they were talking about like, hey, in the '80s, was it just like everyone walking up and down the street with big giant boom boxes on their shoulder, you know, bebopping around and stuff? And I was like, guys, guys, we didn't all walk around with big giant boom boxes on our shoulder. That's just a stereotype. Oh fuck! Welcome, <laughs> boys and girls, to a motherfucking showdown episode of Halloween is Forever. I'm Brian. I'm Steve. I'm Matt. Hey, Steve, who that? Who that? Who that handsome boy be over there? Who that new boy be over there? That's Matt. Hey, Matt. Hi. Tell 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 the folks at home who he is. I am one half of the duo from Decaying with the Boys. We are a combat sports podcast. We also talk about beer, horror mm-hmm. movies every once in a while, too. So we step on your toes whenever we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, we like to talk to some home brewers, some pro brewers, and everything in between. We told you. We told you. If you've been paying attention, you've been listening to the podcast, you knew we were going to have one of them boys from Decaying with the Boys on the podcast. We got Matt here with us tonight. For the showdown episode for September, Matt, this is a big one. This is this this is like the uh, like w- w- this is the the penultimate showdown episode in terms of the pinnacle of our year, which is of course October. It's spooky season. It's Halloween season. But as far as I'm concerned, spooky season's already started. September is we're in the fucking thick of it, right? Like we're dead center of of spooky season once September hits, and we are here, you rotten son of a bitches, uh, and we are going to have a fucking showdown. Uh, an 80s slasher one hit wonder showdown holy shit it's gonna be a lot of fun i got a whole sack of tacks that i'm gonna roll out on the mat i know steve's got a ladder or two back there uh i'm i'm i matt you don't think i can see it but i can see you got a sledgehammer over there just fucking hunter hearst helmsley style um and uh and it's gonna get fucking wicked over here in a few goddamn minutes but before we do that uh, we we got another we got a beer poison uh, on the podcast here, so it feels appropriate. Let's jump right in them dang old beers, Matt. Matt, you're you're the um, you're the guest. Why don't you lead us off? Tell us what you're drinking on this evening. So, like I said, I am one half of decaying with the boys. The other half of decaying with the boys is Mr. Adam Bashline, and he likes to brew up delicious beers, and I have mm-hmm. one of them here. He might this- brew more than any human on the planet. <laughs> Well, this one is very special because this is my last can of his South of Heaven. And it's a it's a beautiful little mashup here that took home the uh, 2022 North Hills Homebrew Fest Award. So it went on to the Penn Brewery system. So this is a New England IPA smashed up with a a good old uh, Hefeweizen. Mm -hmm. So we got all kinds of good stuff in here. We have. New Zealand and Sabro hops. We got bright notes of coconut and cream. And you got all the f- flavor profiles of the New England. You smash them all together. You get rid of all the things you don't like about New England. You get rid of all the things you don't like about Hefeweizen. And you're left with this refreshing little can of goodness. And mm. uh, there's still some left, I believe, over at Penn Brewery. Because I just grabbed this one. But if I have oh, the no last shit. one, nana nana boo boo, it's mine. Fuck off. Mm. 
Yeah. That, let me ask you about that one because I have not tried it. Um, uh, vice beer yeast? Oh, yeah. Nice. So like New England with the vice beer yeast, there's probably some wheat in the grain bill, probably a disproportionately high amount of wheat in the grain bill. That sounds to me, you know, except for with Sabro and some other kind of super new age hops, reminds me uh, a little bit in theory, at least, of uh, uh, Hopfenweiss. You know, the the uh, uh, Schneider Weiss slash Brooklyn mm. beer that I remember having, you know, and, and liking here and, and and then having it over in Munich at one of the Schneider Weiss pubs. And I was like, holy shit, this is super tropical. Like, uh, you know, all the biotransformation things happening with the Weiss beer yeast. I wish more people would uh, would ferment fucking hazy IPAs with Weiss beer yeast. It probably does interesting stuff. It's a lot of fun. And it's. It's a good sipper too. Like you're not gonna feel like you're getting so bloated as you usually get from the hefeweizen, mm-hmm. and the stone fruitiness of the uh, New England comes into play. It's just mm-hmm. it's it sounds weird on the onset, but it's nice and balanced. I think it's just a cool beer. Mm-hmm. And of course, shout out to my homeboys. So if you want to follow them, it's at Batch underscore Brew. All social media, including X. <laughs> I heard. Uh, uh, so I, I've been on the X. I've been Xing here and there. Um, are 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 Yins on the uh, on the threads over there? Has I heard shippy tight on the threads? Steve told me oh. shippy tight. I have not been on the threads. Shippy tight on the threads, man. I get lots yeah. of love on the threads. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done Engagement's it. Engagement's better, the and and the first replies aren't all the most brain dead racists. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yet. it's helpful. <laughs> yet, yet. <laughs> once you can, once you can pay to be mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. that's what it happens. It's just brain dead racists go. Have my money. I want to spew my hate. Everybody yeah. has to see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. So the if you if you pay for the little check mark on the on on the X, mm-hmm. uh, does that mean your reply shows up more? Like the algorithm, but you yeah. get popped towards the top too. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. You also I'm very get close to deleting that shit. You also get canceled out of being able to message people that have the check if you don't have the check. So. It's a full separation of the haves and have nots. <laughs> so fucking dumb. If the check was literally a penny, like annually, I still wouldn't fucking do it. I would not. Still give wouldn't. A, yeah, no, it could be. You could say, all right, give me your credit card or your, you know, a uh, 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 Venmo information or whatever, and we'll pay you to have a check. And I would say, stick it up your ass. I'm ah, there. Yeah. Well, here, here, here's the new rub to it. Okay. Is all right. They, that they have started paying some people to have the check mark. Ooh, okay. So, and it's based on like the engagement their tweets get. Mm. So now the new thing is it isn't just stupid racism that's the first uh, reply. Mm-hmm. The new thing is putting just like shitty, low effort, high engagement memes. So like all the all the yeah. stuff you see on Facebook is also now the first reply on Twix because people just want to get that engagement to hopefully get a check from musk daddy mm, twix yeah. i like that because now so really the have have nots it's kind of like the left twix and the right twix when you yeah. think about yep. it um left path versus right path <laughs> except for the left twix has been you know dragged through the gutter and peed on by a dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah i twitter is the one uh, you know aside from facebook which i don't spend a lot of time on um 
you know, I listen, this is how uh, we're, we're all, I think, around the same age. Uh, Twitter. I mean, I was on Facebook when you had to have a, a, a damn old uh uh, campus you email to address. College. Yeah, you yeah. had to wait till it was in your email or, you know, it was at your college. I remember when mm-hmm. it first came to YSU, everybody was like, oh, God damn, this is awesome. Um, but I don't really go on there that much. But Twitter's the one I've been on for fucking ever. And so I feel bad because there are definitely people that I interact with on Twitter that if I deleted my Twitter, I probably would lose touch with. Not mm-hmm. that it, my life would end if that happened, but I just kind of feel guilty. Like there's like genuine friends of mine who I have made through interaction on Twitter, some of which I have, uh, uh, you know, met in real life and became friends, with, especially when I was traveling a lot for work and things like that. I would travel a ton. I would go to a city and I would hit up a person I knew adjacently via Twitter and I would say, hey, come into your city. What brewery should I go to? And then sometimes they would be like, let's have a beer. And then I would go meet these people and we would have a beer and we have a lot of fun. And some of them I, you know, became genuinely good friends with. And I not that I wouldn't ever talk to them again but like i don't know it just makes me feel i feel weird (laughs) about deleting it but i really want to delete it you know right yeah but that's what they're preying on i guess right falling into the trap all right guys not enough about my my uh insecurities on the internet uh steve what do you got you got uh beers over there i got beers we got and i don't have gloop glop so you're Mm. you're gonna be happy about me i'm a little suspicious of that i know you can be suspicious but uh, it's called the UJP. Okay. It is brewed and canned by J Wakefield Brewing. Oh, Florida, Ooh. right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, it is their smoked English style porter. No shit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where's, where'd you get this thing at? Vintage. It oh, may have- or may not. It may or may not have been like the last one, which is why you didn't see it when you went. <laughs> oh, you saucy bitch! You took the last one, didn't tell me about it. Um, yeah. How is it? Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah the the smoke is is actually not that harsh and not that forefront. It's actually pretty well balanced to the point that it tastes kind of like uh, like burnt toffee. Oh, because there's, like there's still like it, it like you can definitely taste a lot of the English porter notes of like toffee, brown sugar and chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then like there's just a lot of smoke on it as well. But it's not it's nowhere near as heavy as the like a Schlenkerla or anything. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of, you know, there and balanced and it's fantastic. And I am a big fan. I love it, a smoke pour. That was one of the first. Actually, I think that was like one of my first all grain brews I ever did, like way, way back in the day. I did a smoke porter mm-hmm. and uh, I went way too heavy on the smoke malt. And it tastes like a fucking ashtray, <laughs> but I still drank the whole keg of it. Um, yeah, because you're man, a man. Because you're a straight grown up man. ass boy. <laughs> so I drank it up. Um, well, guys, like I said, it uh, it do be September. So uh, it's full on spooky season. And I'm I'm going just balls deep into these pumpkin ales over here. I don't give a shit. Uh, you sons of bitches over here talking about uh, uh, talking shit on pumpkin ales, talking about how, you know, pumpkin ales suck all that. Fuck that noise. I'm pumpkin ale forever. Team pumpkin ale forever. I don't give a shit. Last year, I, I sang the praises of not only a pumpkin ale, but a, a Sam Adams pumpkin ale. I drank that Jacko. I drank that Jacko pumpkin ale all fucking year last year. Drink it this year. I dare you. I double dog <laughs> dare you to go buy a six or a 12 pack of that. It is under 5%. It is fucking beautifully balanced. Great spice character, great malt character, 
cheap and you can crush them because I like to drink beer in quantity. See, that's a that's the kind of guy I am. And I'm drinking this one right now called uh, uh, Haunted Hayride Pumpkin Ale, which you call something haunted. I mean, there's a 100 percent chance I'm going to buy it. And <laughs> yeah. it's also Masthead from Cleveland, who I genuinely love Masthead. Mm-hmm. They make great fucking lagers. Um, I, 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 they have great pizza too. If you've ever been there, there's so oh. few reasons to go to downtown Cleveland. Um, right. but Masthead is one of them. Great fucking pizza. Uh, great German style, Czech style lagers, bunch of good stuff. I'm a big fan of their single origin coffee stout. Oh yeah, they do. They just, there are not a lot of breweries that do as a diverse a range of styles as they do and do them pretty much across the board great like i don't think mm-hmm. i've ever had a beer from them that wasn't really good i've had a hellas from them that was awesome this pumpkin ale is really good really rich malty pumpkin ale otherwise you know it's kind of what you're expecting you know it's got cinnamon nutmeg ginger it's got pumpkin in it um anyway back to my initial point it's 7.3 percent it's kind of a big motherfucker so like wow. set so, yeah so i'm not going to sit there and crank on these all day but that's that jacko that Jacko shit, <laughs> I will. I'll drink 10 of them. I don't give a shit. So there's not a lot of sessionable pumpkin ales out there. So that's why I, I I dig on that beer. This might be the first time you won as far as like ABV on the show. Because <laughs> that's my true. Smoke port, my smoke porter is only seven. Yeah, that you, you is. Won, you won by a point three. Tonight. Yeah, I'm a five. <laughs> I'm a five one ski. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's stunning because normally I'm I'm sub five, certainly sub six, unless I'm drinking an Oktoberfest. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that, that is stunning. Steve's usually got the zoom zoom juice and I'm drinking oh, yeah. pills or talus or something like that over here. So that's why I like team up with Steve in the summertime because with, with him, it's always stout season. So we're always mm-hmm. grabbing something crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always like teaming up with him in the, in the warm winter or warm summer months. <laughs> so we can just tie on some fat shit. I love it. <laughs> Steve's, <laughs> Steve's like, Oh, it's 90 degrees out. I would like a coffee hazelnut lactose fucking milkshake like stout yeah make it too <laughs> yeah. see i uh, sweet is usually not my cup of tea i i if it's well balanced i will get on it um but yeah not nah, man in this i like stout i'll drink stouts all year round i maintain that a, a good irish good dry irish stout's one of the most refreshing beers in the fucking world mm-hmm. um but not a nine percent lactose <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh with fucking twizzlers and whatever else in it Oh, grow oh, up, stop sludge. drinking trash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got the beers. He's out of the way. A um, couple other things here. First of all, this is the time of year where we get a whole bunch of some bitches coming over on here, jumping on the old bandwagon, acting like they can just pop on here, listen to the podcast whenever they fucking want to. That's bullshit. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're a bandwagon fan. Where are you in March? All right. Uh, second of all, thank you. For, thank you for enjoying the show. Thank you for coming on and enjoying the show. <laughs> the show is called Halloween is Forever, not Halloween is Quarterly. Yeah, <laughs> not Halloween is just September and October. Come on, you fucking slackers. Stick around. Uh, take your medicine. Um, all right. But here, here's how it works. Every Monday, we put some spooky-ooky content out there uh, in, in the podcast lands. Uh, we do a, a, a showdown episode most Mondays, but I'm sorry, a, a, a mini-show most Mondays. I'm wasting mini so it's still like two hours long. Um, but whenever we do a showdown episode the first Monday of every month, 
what we do is we got this big old spinny ass wheel. It's got a whole bunch of topics on it, some of which our social media friends and listeners have given us, some of which Steve and I have come up with. We spin this son of a bitch and wheel on the internet. It gives us three topics. We put it on the social medias, most notably Twitter and Instagram or X and Instagram or what did you call it? Uh, 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 Twix, Twix and Instagram. Um, you go out there, you vote, you get to have a say in what our showdown topic is, either by sending us some suggestions in the DMs or whatever, uh, or by voting or by both. Once we have a topic, uh, we each pick a movie or a TV show or whatever the hell is uh, uh, we're supposed to pick associated with that topic. Then during that showdown, we all talk about our pick, we explain our pick, we go through why we like our pick. The other two, again, start hurling insults, uh, start, start nagging you. Right. So sometimes throughout the week, we'll just we'll just, uh, uh, you know, message each other just full on threatening promos that we'll cut just just to just to psych each other out. Then at the end, we vote. Somebody takes home that motherfucking championship strap, that shoulder candy for the month. Last month, first time ever since we moved to a kind of slightly new format since Meg died. Uh, Meg didn't die. Just kidding. <laughs> She's not dead. <laughs> She's not dead. Um, she, since she became a non-regular member of the podcast crew, uh, but stay tuned for all you Meg fans out there, for all you uh, Megalodons, I don't know what her fan base is called. Uh, Megalodon 3. <laughs> stick around. Stick around because uh, she's going to come visit us soon. In any case, for uh, um, since, since she departed from the podcast, um, our first guest won last month. Uh, so unfortunately, the the uh, championship strap is not at home right now. So we'll see what happens here today with Matt on the old podcast. Um, also, before we jump into it, one other thing. Again, for those of you new to the show, or maybe you haven't listened in a while, again, fuck you, you're being a piece of shit about this. We have a Patreon now. You go to patreon.com forward slash Halloween is forever. I, I take no responsibility for any of this besides being on the show. So I'm going to let Steve tell you about all the pa- all the Patreon nonsense over there. You get on the Patreon. We got two tiers on the Patreon. Mm-hmm, Tier mm-hmm. number one, scamps. Scamps, 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 scamps. That's the little guy tier. It's mm-hmm. only three bucks. That ain't too bad. You get bonus content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I write some reviews that you can read. Yeah, you know, we post you know, different. Uh, we'll post like different versions of the episodes. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, if we have, you know, if we go a little too long, maybe you get a little extra content, or maybe you know we'll cut out ads when we start running ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so you, you get a couple two tree tings over there on the scamps. Right. Tier number two though is for the rascals. Rascals. <laughs> <laughs> the rascals tier gets you everything that you want it gets you all that stuff i just mentioned it gets you the uh, uh, also i forgot you got an extra vote on the wheel if you're oh, yeah. a scamp mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you get that as a rascal too and you get on the discord you could be seeing us right now hanging out you could mm-hmm. be in the chat box talking about your favorite movie i'm, I'm threatening see- to show my boobs right now if you were Do here it. you'd see Do under it. boob You'd be so under yeah. ooh, a little nip slip there for you. You'd be seeing that if you were on the if you're on the uh you're on that Discord. We saw Brian's boobs and you didn't <laughs> because you weren't on the Discord. Do you see how you screwed up? So your, now your life is trash. Yeah. You, you're missing out. Don't miss out again. Don't let it happen a second time. Right. Sign up now, become a rascal, see Brian's boobs, but mm-hmm. then also 
get the monthly podcast, mm. the exclusive. The family is forever. So you get to see my breasts, but you also get to see me threaten suicide on a basis. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> Steve's making me watch these fucking trash oh, movies. Shit. You get to see Brian go through a full-on existential crisis as every month I make him watch Fast and the Furious films. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just recorded the second one. Uh, it's going bad, guys. Again, I want to reiterate that this experience for me is not worth any amount of money. So you can take your $5, stick it up your asshole. But you, <laughs> if you do commit, I am a man of my word. So we will continue to do these. Uh, they are actually really fun. We crack up the whole time talking about these fucking asinine movies. I will tell you where we're at. The first movie, spoiler alert, it's fucking trash. Um, second movie, I thought, okay, bigger budget. You know, spoiler, it's a bigger <laughs> turd. It's like somebody shit on top of a pile of shit. Uh, and now we're about to get into Tokyo Drift, which everybody assures me that this is where it gets fun. Like who assured you that who told uh, you that somebody on the internet uh told me that this is where it gets fun and i said fuck you because <laughs> i don't believe you i think it's gonna be even worse than the second one so i'm trying to keep my expectations super low so mm-hmm. that's where we're at though good enough yeah but yeah that's i mean that tokyo drift episode is coming this month in september mm-hmm. but if you sign up now you can get the first two listen to them be ready be mm-hmm. ready to go drifting. With the Yakuza. Yeah. See, I don't. So I. the nice thing about this is I know literally nothing about this franchise except for the first one I'd seen like 20 years ago or whatever. Dude, it's awesome. The third one, Tokyo Drift, there's Godzilla, there's Yokozuna, who's also Samoan and not Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I did guess that they battled the Yakuza, which was, again, not a big stepping out uh, uh, type of risk there. But I did guess that. But I otherwise literally have no idea what's going to happen in this one. So I am I am I don't want to say I'm excited because I'm the opposite of excited, but I am excited intrigued in a way that is slightly alarming to me and i don't know what it says about me (laughs) and i'm considering changing my medication as a result of the way i'm feeling about it (laughs) i haven't watched it either but i'm gonna say that you're gonna have this desire to drink monster and watch jim connor youtube Mm. clips Mm. (laughs) that yeah i honestly i'd rather watch that on repeat um, on little screens of my eyelids than watch the second movie again because that's the <laughs> too fast too furious was one of the worst movies i've ever seen best like, title in, though best it title was too well and that's why Steve and i were saying we should have called the the whole podcast maybe too fat too furious because it's just <laughs> steve and i who are neither of us are trim gentlemen and i am so mad all the time <laughs> watching these movies and steve just giggles and thinks it's very funny Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm more fat, he's more furious, but you know. (laughs) In defense, neither both of us are fat. Um, Yeah, and both of us are kind of mad. I'm just saying I'm more fat and you're more furious. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah. Um anyway, so come on over, check it out uh on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com patreon.com forward slash halloween's forever get on over there support the support the podcast boys over here we uh we, we we we've had a lot of fun in the first two and it's only going to get stupider i would assume yes 
How about Matt tells us what decaying with the boys' do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Tell us oh. what Yin's be doing over there. So, over in the Jojatorium, where mm-hmm. we not only podcast, but Adam brews the delicious beers, one of which I'm drinking right now, mm-hmm. we like to uh, cover combat sports and we do everything from the squared circle wwe AEW, new japan pro wrestling mlw and everything in between we'll also dive into bellator ufc pro fighter league and we'll do betting lines uh we'll we'll preview cards we'll do the good bad and the jobber and we'll tell you what's going on in the the rumor mill and tell you what's real and what's just absolute shit with mm-hmm. our segment we call it uh going over or jobbing yeah and then the second <laughs> half of the show, it's just me and Adam arguing about things that fat guys in bars will argue about. Uh, we'll find things online like the worst snacks you can see at a football party. Or we mm-hmm. just argued about beige flags and how we can make them red or green because we hate TikTok trends. And then <laughs> if you dive back into our catalog, we've done things where we pit some of the most iconic horror movie icons against each other in a battle royale. And Mm. we're actually coming up on our annual pumpkin versus German beer battle. So we pick three beers from a local brewery that feature the pumpkin and three beers that feature a German style brew. And we pit them against each other to see who reigns supreme. Nice. Nice. That sounds fun. I like that. Yeah, we are our, our, our beer content pretty light. You know, we just talk about what the beers we're going to drink is. Yins get yins get deep over there. So if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're going, oh man, uh, we they talk they talk about wrestling a little bit. They talk about beer. Wish there was more of that. Go over and check out them boys over there on the game with the boys. It's a fun <laughs> fun podcast. Join them over in there in a Jojatory. Fellow Yinzers as well. So if you just are, yes. if you're just a fan of Yinzer accents, if you just <laughs> love that deep deep Yinzer culture, you're going to get it over there as well. Um. Okay. Let's get into these fucking movies. Uh, actually, before that, Matt, you've got to tell us what order we're going to go in. What do you? What, how do you want to do this? Oh, that's a big responsibility. So mm-hmm. because I know how this usually rolls out, and Steve gets more ferocious as he's as he's on. I want Steve to go first. That okay. way, he has to sit back and listen to our movies mm-hmm. and just be pissed. Yeah. So Steve's going first. That's Man. a good strategy. I've learned a little bit about, I mean, you'd think I would have learned that a lot sooner, but <laughs> you know, I'm very self-centered. I'm really only thinking about what's happening with me at, at any one given time, uh, but that is a good strategy. I have the strategy of being outside the box as well and knowing mm. too that when Meg would go second, she had the highest win percentage. So that means Ooh. I'm going to go second because you're crunching I'm, the numbers over I'm here. I'm default Meg, baby. Ooh. And yeah. then, Brian, of course, you're going to bring it up with the good old caboose and you're going to bring it. Okay. Home. All right. All right. I like that. I like that. I like the I like the analytics, bringing the analytics in here. It's Moneyball, like, like mo- Moneyball. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say like Bobby, Bobby fucking Moneyball, whatever his name was. Um, I'm Jonah I don't think Hill, but Bob. not a terrible person. <laughs> I don't think his name was Bobby Moneyballs, uh, but yeah, I'm going to no, pretend was the, it was it. Um, yeah. You know, the guy from Moneyballs. Bobby yeah. Moneyballs. Bobby Moneyballs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve, kick us off here. Talk talk to us about your 80s slasher one hit wonder real quick. One hit wonder. It's just we're just talking about movies that uh, don't have sequels. Don't didn't turn into a big franchise like everyone wanted their movies to turn into in the 1980s um, or didn't have a you know remakes, that sort of thing. It's just like a standalone thing. So that's what we mean. Yeah. When you say one hit wonders. 
Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, w- both Matt and I are working with directors who obviously have, like, huge pedigrees in horror. Right. But, you know, these films, they didn't get turned around. You know, opera, I can talk a little bit about is why it probably struggled. And I, and I was finding it hard to find, like, a lot of history on this film. Mm-hmm. Other than just like the making of, and you know, there's a lot of cool things in that, but it seems like you know, opera was released 1987 in Italy, and you know, I couldn't really find any reviews from that time because I just can't find it. It's not mm-hmm. online. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to look. <laughs> can't find it. But uh, the one criticism I found was that when it screened at Con, of uh, people were weren't happy with the dubbing that goes on in the film. So have they never know. seen any uh, Italian horror movies? I think they just wanted to watch it in, in, in Italian yeah. and have sucking subtitles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause so it's the, con and they're snooty. <laughs> I was going to say the con crowd. Uh, okay. That, that makes sense. But, yeah. uh, I don't yeah, want to I mean, read. Why are you doing this to me? I want the dubbins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give me the dubs. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because like, when I think Argento and Italian horror movies, like I, I think of the dubbing, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's like, yeah, that, both that's, Fulci and Argento are just known for like making these kind of half cross productions mm-hmm. of including, cause like one of the biggest actors in this, in opera is, you know, an Englishman. Right. So like, obviously he delivers all his lines just as his lines. So, yeah. Uh, the other thing about opera that kind of held it back from, reaching kind of that superstar status that maybe would have turned it into a franchise or something mm-hmm. is that like it had a real shit roll out in America. So interesting. The film came out in 87. It wasn't released in America till 89, I believe. Mm. And even then the reason why it took so long and like the, the release wasn't great was it was coming to VHS and the studio that was releasing it was Orion and yeah. at that time, Orion was going down the shitter. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also apparently Argento refused to cut. Uh, I think it's. I think it's most of like the the ending epilogue in the Alps. He refused to cut that. And well, I did the, hear like, people hated that, it, which it is weird and jarring. It's weird and jarring, and yeah. I, you know, we can talk about whether or not it adds anything to the end of the film, uh, but. Yeah, he refused to cut it and like they were Orion's going in the shitter. So like, yeah, this film, it it really I'm having like trouble finding like its cultural impact Mm. of the 87, 89 era. But obviously now it's known as like one of the last great films Argento made, Mm. you know, and and it's like especially directorial wise. Uh, The Church, which he wrote, came out a year after in 1990. Mm. And that movie fucking rules, but yeah, yeah, it's a good yeah one. he didn't direct it. So yeah, but yeah, this, this one was like, um, so this was interesting in that it felt like, well, not felt it was like borderline autobiographical, uh, mm-hmm. or had autobiographical elements to it. Right. Because right. he tried to make the opera, the version of Macbeth that is being portrayed in the movie. He tried to do that. I think ultimately was successful, but like at this point it was, like it had failed. He had some falling out with someone on the production side or something, but he was literally trying to make this like world war one 
violent horror Macbeth in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and then the character of which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to in a little more detail, but it's good to look through this lens. At least I wish I would have known this when I watched the movie. The director in the movie uh, of the stage production was supposedly a horror movie director who had turned to the stage. Um, so he's really putting him. He's injecting himself in the movie, which I guess right. a- answers a little bit. Why do you want to cut the, <laughs> the last sequence? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like the the character Marco, who is the director, uh, portrayed by uh, portrayed by Ann Charlson, mm. who is you know the UK actor who like this guy has a huge pedigree uh, before this in that he was in Chariots of Fire and Gandhi before he was in opera, and then just going through his bio a little bit, he was really known as a stage actor and like one of the greater. Um, uh, Shakespeare performers, you know, in Europe. So like a lot of people had, you know, a lot of high regard for him. So it, it's kind of funny that he's now playing a director of, you know, uh, a fucked up, you know, Shakespearean stage, you know, adaptation that's been turned into the opera by Verity. That's now being translated into this World War One, you know, surrealist fucking nightmare with so many crows, so many, yeah, crows. so many crows, more crows. Crow I dare say than the movie The Crow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> way more crows. Yeah. But what about the birds? I mean, <laughs> those were not very few of those were crows yeah well, crows are exponentially more expensive too they're smarter <laughs> yeah. they're better at negotiating they always exactly. get ab- they get above minimum yeah they know they know how to say strike yeah you know, people, <laughs> people don't know that about crows as much but like they they also have the ability to mimic and they'll start saying strike if you try to you know cheat them on a deal but. a murder will organize <laughs> yes <laughs> They'll organize a murder. <laughs> a murder. <laughs> a murder. So, yeah, speaking of the crows, that's where we start the film. We start with this intense, extreme close up on a crow's eye. And, <laughs> for like a long time. <laughs> yeah, for a long time. And in the reflection of the crow's eye, you can see like the rest of the opera house. It's it's a really great shot. And mm. I, I'm, I, I wish I knew how self-aware Dario Argento was of himself Hmm. because this isn't an uncommon shot for him to take. Uh, There's a film Inferno that he made in 1980 and it's a lot of there's a all the stuff that you see happen with crows save the end happens with cats in Inferno. Mm. So it's a lot. It's been a long time since I saw that but I I do vaguely remember the cat Mm -hmm. the cat situation you're mentioning. Yeah. And there's like a lot of close ups, close up eyes of a cat. And there's also a lot of cat throwing of just like somebody. <laughs> off, there's people off screen throwing cats at an actress because mm-hmm. the cats are supposed to be attacking her. And, you know, God damn it, if that doesn't happen in this film as well. <laughs> if that was a sport, I would have lettered in high school. Yeah. Cat throwing. Love it. Love to throw a cat. It was a sport where I'm coming from. So (laughs) I do got that letter. Jealous. Cat cat throwing, (laughs) possum stomping. Those were, yeah, those were our our big sports. Snake wrangling too. That was the other one. Snake wrangling. Yep. Yeah. We get, we get this, uh, wonderful extreme close up of a crow's eye. And then we begin cutting into the opera and we're seeing it from the POV of Mara, who is the current star of Macbeth. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
she is losing her shit because the crows are harassing her. She doesn't like the crows. It bothers her. She's leaving the production. She's out. Harassed and- by crows is a great album name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> TM, TM on that. One of the greatest news headlines I've ever read was uh, people menaced by hippos. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> They are menacing. They kill more yeah. people. This is one of my favorite dad stats. Uh, they kill more people than uh, all big cats combined yeah. every year. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was about uh, it was about the terrorist organization Boko Haram. They were displacing people, and those people were displaced into hippo territories. Oof. So the hippos got mad and were menacing those they people. Were hungry, so hungry. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see sorry. what you did there. I see what you did there. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. So anyway, Mara is leaving the production, but we're seeing everything from her POV and you have like this wonderful POV tracking shot that just comes off the stage and goes down into the pit and comes up the aisles and like the whole time is she's running her mouth and you have people giving her glares because obviously people are tired of working with this diva. But mm-hmm. then you have other people chasing her down who are like so excited for her. It's like I, I'm not quite sure of this guy's role within the opera, uh, but I believe like he's the house manager of the opera itself. Mm-hmm. It, but it, it, he's he's the he's the big guy with the mustache. Yeah. Who's like he's he's always kind of jolly and everything. And like he's yeah, he chasing seems her down. to be like, the um yeah, like he is the producer, I would say, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I took it as like he's he manages the opera itself. So he kind of decides like what productions go on and everything. He doesn't have a direct say in how the director operates because mm-hmm. like there's times where he's just kind of like left the gas by what the director is doing. Right. <laughs> and he right. has no way to stop it's it. True. Yeah. <laughs> but also he's like full of knowledge about the opera. So uh, because like you in a, in a following scene when he's talking to Betty He's like, oh, you're listening to this recording. We did this in 1975. This was our production of Macbeth. Yeah, in 1975. That, yeah. When when they go into to give her the news and all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I imagine like this guy is just kind of the manager, but he's also following Mara on her way out. And as she's on her way out, you get a quick cut, and she's pushed down in front of a car. <laughs> just really <laughs> quick, alarmingly quick. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> It's like bang, dabba, 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 dabba. it's like just everyone going rubble, 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 push down, yeah. hit over, scene cut. Yeah, uh, which leads us to leads us to our introduction of our heroine Betty, mm. and she is she's in bed and she's listening to Macbeth, and she gets a call on the phone, and it's a little bit of a salacious, uh, horny call of like. <laughs> Hey, are you ready for your big debut, toots? Here it comes. I hope you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's a good impression of what it is. Yeah. And it's it's what I call what I call a saucy ring. Yeah, it's a saucy ring. Yeah, yeah. It's a cold call, but it's a saucy cold call. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you get a quick little shot of like somebody maybe up in her vents. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, somebody may or may not be watching her. Was that a shadow? What was that? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty quickly, everybody breaks in and you get like another long tracking shot of like a POV. And this is pretty much the theme of the film is this film lives in POV. Mm-hmm. It loves it. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it, it's it's a rather hurried push in. 
and you're like, oh, is she in danger? But then quickly you see that the actress is smiling and it's revealed, oh, it's her agent. And her agents come to deliver the news that now she's taking over the role of Lady Macbeth. It's her time to shine. She's not sure. She doesn't know. And as she's trying to debate it, everybody else comes flooding in anyway. It's the house manager. It's the director. Mm. Everybody else is here to let her know the news. You know, it's time for her to get it on. So it's weird because you would think the, as an understudy, there's like two requirements. You got to like know the lines and your songs and all that sort of thing. Mm. And you got to want to do it. Right. (laughs) She got the first thing down. Second one. Not sure. Not so sure. Weird. I think it's I think it's a combination of like she says she feels like she's too young, but like that it's just an excuse. Mm-hmm. I think it's far more about like the superstition around the play itself. Yeah. And the fact that now the lead actress has gone down and she also probably knows how much of a fucking diva that lead actress is. Mm-hmm. Like she like in the first, you know, five minutes that we're introduced to her, we're like, oh, this lady is. A bitch. <laughs> yeah, she's awful. And that's kind of what I was like. When I was watching that part. I was like, I was, I was seeing them come in and I kind of voiced over it. I was like, everyone's coming going, yes, bitch. It's your <laughs> turn. Because you can yeah. just see, I think all the actors around it kind of had a good idea where they were going to really have an uproarious like uh, response to it. Because I think they all secretly did not like the leading lady anyway. So it really had to right. bolster mm-hmm. that that confidence that she didn't have to take over as an understudy. So it was, it was kind of a cool moment of tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like this whole first kind of 10, 15 minutes of the film is so many moving parts and so much chaos because after we, you know, just quickly though, you know, they all leave Betty's apartment to go get her ready for her thing. And then you have a nice tracking shot through her apartment that kind of gives you more of an idea of who she is, like what she likes. And then it leads back up to that vent that we saw earlier. And there is a figure in that vent. So it's like, oh, is this her stalker? Who is this up here? Mm-hmm. We will find out later, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all of the uh, everything leading up to this, though, and then back into the opera house, it, it's so much movement and chaos and Argento populates the frame with movement. Like you're not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to focus on the lead actress to know what she's going through because everything else is hustle and bustle, hustle and bustle. Oh, Everybody has something the to do. Scenes, like the, the literal behind the, like behind the curtain scenes, mm-hmm. there is, I don't know. Sp- 80 to 100 people backstage just at all times just having little yeah. little mini shit fits and like right. just running around it's just yeah it's if you did a cartoon of this you would just represent backstage by just like a giant moving cloud of dust like that's what it feels like it just gives you yeah. anxiety to watch it's a charlie brown fight in the back <laughs> right <laughs> And so, like, yeah, like like Brian just said, like, everybody's having their own little things going on. So, like, one of the best parts of this is you have uh, you have Betty getting in the costume and she's celebrating with Mira. 
And while the two of them are like celebrating and excited, the two costuming people are like upset and they're out of control because the costume isn't fitting her right. And they're and just they're like, it's off. on backwards. What the fuck are you doing? They're just like yeah. railing on each other. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's competing energies all over the place. And then you have like a pan to some fucking extras just smoking cigarettes, waiting for whatever they're called because there's it's just not people that important back there to hanging out. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. there's no reason that they need to be you know, stinking up the back room back there with everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. But all at the same time, there's also just an anxiety because so much is happening and because we realize that Mara was pushed down by somebody in the crowd mm -hmm. that that started the movie. So now we're thinking, okay, it could be anybody in this crowd. Who's yes. in the crowd that who pushed her down? Right. And, you know, you get that, you get that energy from it. Yep. Play opens. Uh, you get a wonderful transition that happened between the vent and the opera house that just, it kind of swings and fades to black and then it fades up and you're coming up out from underneath the conductor. And then you see like the full, you know, grandiosity of the, I believe it's the Parma mm. in Italy is okay. where they filmed it. Yeah. It's a, so huge, you, it's an old, beautiful, yeah. super ornate opera house. Yeah, so you you get like the, you get the whole grandness of that, mm -hmm. and then just more POV. Some dudes hunting around. He's going up and down the stairs, mm. being tricksy, just breathing on everybody, <laughs> just breathing. And like you, he, Argento has like these wonderful kind of whip pans. Like they they just whip from one thing and transition from the crazy crowd to the POV of the stalker back mm. and back and yeah, back. He, he communicates so much with the cinematography. I mean, that's mm -hmm. like, that is a hallmark of Argento. Like he literally yeah. is showing you just not, not by explaining or anything, just by showing you with the shots, not, you know, sans the groups, he's showing you that a killer could come and go as they please in this chaos easily. Mm -hmm. Like they could just yeah. hide in plain sight and no one would ever know. Yeah. And that's essentially what he does. And then we get the first black glove putting the binoculars down up in the, uh, 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 where, what are they called? The boxes? I was going to say the mezzanine, but it's not the mezzanine. It's where Statler and Waldorf sit, guys. You know right, what yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I forget. It's it's some sort of box or whatever, but yeah. Everything I know about theaters is from the Muppet Muppets. Show. Yeah. yeah. It all comes from the Muppets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, that guy. Oh, that's like the Skeeter of this production. I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got the clipboard. He, He's got he the must clipboard. The He's got the headset. That's Skeeter. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> that guy's playing the music. That's the Rolf. I got that's it. That's Rolf. Come on. But where's the Swedish <laughs> chef? Porky, porky, dorky, dorky, porky. <laughs> the Swedish chef was the murderer. Swedish chef comes at the end. She's killed in the kitchen. Oh, That's she true. doesn't have a line. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, killer's hanging out in the box. He's watching the show. He's, you know, lusting over Betty and her Lady Macbeth costume. And then just some fucking usher comes in. And he says, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> this is just for the crew, bro. Yeah. Yeah. You ain't supposed to be here. Gets his head bashed in and then. No, not this, gets his uh, head bashed in. He gets leather faced. He gets put up on a hook. He gets hooked. Yeah, he gets. But it's, but a, it's, coat it's, hook. A, it's a coat hook. <laughs> it's a coat hook. <laughs> Known to be the bluntest of all hooks. Yeah. By design. 
<laughs> well, he's got, he's got soft Italian skin. <laughs> it's Slides like a right fresh. Through. It's like a fresh mozzarella. <laughs> or per, perhaps he was Habsburgian, and that's why he's just <laughs> paper thin skin. He's so thin. If you just poke him, he bleeds. Yeah. <laughs> no, his skin is like burrata. <laughs> burrata. <laughs> burrata. So, yeah, this guy gets impaled on a coat hook, but at the same time, they knock down a whole light assembly and yeah. it falls into the crowd. And just one of the funnier things is, A, they don't stop the show. So this immediately becomes Jaws slash Death Spa of like, <laughs> we can't close the opera down. <laughs> no, no, there has been a fire. In an yeah. opera house, which is that right. thing that people say you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because everyone will trample each other. In this right. instance, they choose to go on with the show. So yeah, much so that it. nobody yells the, fire. <laughs> no, one of the characters or, or somebody, I don't know if it's I don't know if he's supposed to be a stagehand, but obviously he's an actor. This is a movie. He picks up like a flaming piece of equipment and like hands. That's it what to I was going to say. He picks it up. He picks up the flaming light rig with no gloves even no like it would totally be hot yeah <laughs> and, he and just then goes, hands yeah, it to somebody the- else who takes it <laughs> he's a, that's how you know he's truly union his hands are all calloused up he's just like give me that put it yeah. up here that's yeah. the epitome of the rent is fucking due so the show is going on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but you know the show does go on everything else from there works out just perfectly fine uh, except for when they do restart the show this is your first instance of throwing birds because somebody just hucks a crow right at betty and she screams about it yeah and i was like is argento making an inferno reference to himself in the way that he threw cats at a lady is he (laughs) he just loves to throw an animal that's just that's just the thing he likes to do yeah, it's like, is he self-aware or is that just how he works? Quentin Tarantino loves feet. Argento loves just whipping an animal. Just, <laughs> just fucking an you. animal at a lady. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so. his, that's his That's his. kink. That's his thing. Yeah. But yeah, the, everything goes fine. And then after the show, everybody's congratulating Betty. And you still have kind of no idea of who it could be. But you get the sense of like somewhere in that crowd. Yep. So somebody's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last person in is like this little fresh faced production assistant. He's like, oh, Betty, are you so cute? Uh, <laughs> uh, I know I'm the last one, but you give me kiss. Yeah. Kiss. Little kiss. Yeah. Yeah, not, not creepy. It's super. Not at all. Normal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the yeah. fact that he's like 12 makes it only slightly less creepy, but it's still it's a little much. Yeah. He's. I mean, he's. He's just a fresh faced little nothing like he's the least threatening person. So yeah. honestly, I didn't suspect him at all ever. <laughs> he was a thousand percent going to die. Yeah, he's yeah. fodder. And that's exactly what happens. They, he, he takes Betty back home. You don't see a sex scene um, because it, instead they just infer like Betty had fallen asleep. Oh, I because thought anytime- they, I thought they inferred that he s- suck like he just sucked at fucking because <laughs> doesn't he say something like that doesn't he say well, like no. oh i'm terrible in bed or something no she says she's terrible in bed oh i was thinking he was the one who said that okay no no she she says that because like she has she has some sort of weird anxiety and she can't like get off with people and it's mm. probably tied to the trauma of like the dreams that she has so, like, rather than giving you a sex scene, anytime Betty falls asleep, Argento shows you, like, 
this insane surrealist uh, POV going around this weird, bizarre, broken down either theater house or castle or some shit like the, mm-hmm. the geometry in this place is crazy, but it also exists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a CGI thing that they built. It's a, it feels like a thing that was built for an Argento movie, which obviously it wasn't. But like, right. it just feels like like it was reminiscent of, you know, the 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 dance academy in Suspiria. Right, exactly. Yeah, Where he, just, he like, just knows how to find good architecture. Room? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why Why are there catacombs underneath this hospital? <laughs> well, that's just the way it was. What, what is this building? You just assume. Yeah. And like as a dumb American, I'm like, yeah, every uh, building in Italy is like, yeah, a fucking castle. Or it has right. du- like, oh, yeah, the 7-Eleven has a dungeon. You know, I just assume yeah. that. You can tell <laughs> me that. I'll believe I mean, it. It was a thousand years old and they're not going to rip up the foundation. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly yeah so you have 7-eleven dungeon under you know and underneath that is probably some burial pit it, it, it's all who cares mm-hmm. it's goofiness over there mm-hmm. it's old not new like us <laughs> <laughs> not shiny and new <laughs> yeah so but yeah the the dream sequence is always breaks down to like you're seeing the pov of the killer he's like tying up and killing women in front of another woman and you have no idea what any of this means right you just you just got to accept it. But yeah, Betty wakes up in bed with the fresh face, you know, kid. And she's like, I'm sorry, I suck in bed. She's I can't get, you know, comfortable with men or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm not offended. It's OK. You know, and it's just a really awkward you know, scene together. Right. He leaves the room and she gets got, mm-hmm. but not got got. Just regular got because the black hand killer comes out and ties her up and ties her to a pole. And then this is the most infamous image because it's also in the poster. But he puts little taped uh, needles underneath her eyes. Yeah. And like this is the most infamous image from this film of like the killer makes her watch. You know, everybody die around her. Yeah, it's like there's a strip of like it looks like medical tape that you would have like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, after you get, you know, after you donate blood or you get a, you know, something like that. They put the little bit of gauze and they put that tape over top of it that rips all the hair Mm -hmm. off your arm. It's like that. But then it's lined with a bunch of pins and then that's put on her bottom eyelid so that whenever if she was to close her eyes, it like stabs her top eyelid. (laughs) Right. It's not good. (laughs) It's pretty intense. Yeah, it stabs her top eyelid or just would stab her in the eye even if she closed too far, I think. And just, Mm -hmm. yeah, so she has to watch everybody around her die. And that's what happens to the fresh face page. He comes in and boy, oh boy, he just takes the cinqueta right in (laughs) the fucking mouth. And that's one of the craziest shots. Oh, yeah. But it's not the craziest shot in the film. It's just one of. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great shot. It's a surprising kill. And it... uh, it's just, it's very, there's a lot of very realistic kills in this, like just gory, mm-hmm. like defensive wound kills and shit that you're just like, it's very realistic. It's, it's, it's very effective. Yeah, it's effective. It's unsettling. I think, I think this film in comparison to some of other Argento's films is like the most restrained in it's. It's visual style, but also like the most realistic, like we're talking about with the way people are dispatched in this film. But like 
he doesn't get too deep into like the the bright green and red neons too much yeah there's maybe one or two scenes yeah yeah there's like one scene towards the end that Mm -hmm. has it but like other than that he's he's pretty reserved and everything feels kind of gritty and realistic and it never never get the feeling that anything um supernatural is happening right right yeah, which, uh, you know, which you see obviously quite often in his movies. They're either am- ambiguously or just flat out. Um, yeah. And this is the only yeah. one I could think of right off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more that um, I think yeah. I think Tanabre might be a little more uh, reserved as well. It is. But there's some there's some suggestions of some supernatural stuff or at least right. like dead people talking and shit like that. Right. I don't know. If yeah. Some mixed. But definitely when you compare it to like Suspiria and Inferno, those mm. films are just colors all over the place. Like they love colors. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, moving on, uh, Betty, you know, flees from the scene after like the killer, you know, he sort of releases her just enough so she can free herself, but he can he himself can get away. She flees the scene, calls the police and then is just wandering the streets where she's picked up by the director who happens to be in the area. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying not to laugh because <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, it it this scene is like this scene and the next scene are like really strange because this is where you start casting doubt on the director because it's like why was he in the area? Uh, you know what what is he thinking about? He obviously has some sort of affection for her, so that would have caused jealousy to know that she was sleeping with the page. Uh, but also, like, would cause him to have Mara pushed down, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily he did it, but maybe he had her pushed down to get her out of the way. Yeah. So he's, they're setting him up as, as quite a red herring here. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing, and I don't know if it's because you are meant to think that she thinks he's the killer, but she really buries the lead. Like she oh, just yeah. escaped from this horrific situation where she was abducted and then t- the needles and then the kid gets killed and all this stuff. And then it takes quite a while for her to go, oh, by the way, guess what happened to me tonight? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, wait till we get back, like, and then be like, OK, uh, oh, by the way, this happened, you know? Yeah, she she has one of the weirdest affects to her. Like she's definitely disturbed by people being killed by uh, killed in front of her, but mm-hmm. her response is rarely what it should be. Yeah, like after the event is over and she's you know basically out of danger, her uh, you know her affect to the people around her is pretty you know uh, non-existent. She's just like, eh, now they're dead. Yeah, I kept wondering if this was going to be like, and and I. I think I've seen bits and pieces of this movie before, but I, I really think this was my first beginning to end watch. And I found mm-hmm. myself guessing that it was like, is it going to be some sort of like, oh, she was setting up this scenario or she was complicit in some way? You know, obviously that's not what happens, but that's kind of. Yeah, they kind of. No, she- it's not what happens at all, but at the end, they kind of suggest that not that she liked it but that like oh we'll get into it but like she's yeah, a little well, nuts yeah. right yeah 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 again like it, it's set up and then like it's also explained once you understand you know what her trauma is 
Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of pieces together as to why she's so fucking weird. But at this point, it makes no sense as to why she's just like she's just basically in the car with the director back talking him because he's like, you know, oh, I don't know. He's saying some sort of misogynist shit that basically boils down to what is it your time of the week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, oh, it's always that. It's always uh, it's I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm having my period or <laughs> I'm a slut or I'm doing this or doing that. Mm-hmm. It can never be a real thing. And then cut to they're back at her place and she's telling him, you know, yeah, I saw a murder. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, I guess that's why you're upset. <laughs> you should have led with of, that. Yeah, the definition of bearing <laughs> yeah. the lead there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> like, it should have been the first words out of your mouth, but no, you just want to dry your hair <laughs> and, like, back talk. <laughs> I can't think. I can't do a thing before I dry my hair. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but the director leaves her, and then you get a, you get another creepy shot of like a low POV and it's like the kid uh, you hear a kid's voice of like don't be sad Betty and it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> and then moving on. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Yep, nothing to see here. Moving on. Uh you you get another short scene between the director and his girlfriend that just casts more aspersions about like how he feels about Betty and you know whether or not he may be putting her in danger. Oh, we I forgot to mention the and it's really important. Yeah, I was before. Wondering. Yeah, before the murderer killed the page, he also broke into the costuming room and ruined the dress. But while he's ruining the dress, birds are smart, so the crows get out and they're like, "Hey, dude, you want a party? We're gonna hang out and do crow stuff." The and crows. He's like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. He's like, "The crows are here. We're gonna hang out and do crow stuff." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Fuck that!" And he kills crows with the knife. And they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, fuck you, dude. We're coming for you now." <laughs> yeah, crows hate you now. You just made yeah. a powerful enemy, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also we 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 have like we met a character already that obviously becomes very important later as well. Yeah, I mean, he was in the. Uh, he, he room, was yeah. in the yeah he was in the dressing room during congratulations yeah. you meet a detective and everybody just assumes he's there investigating the light fall after that we're we're back in the dressing costuming room uh because they have discovered the torn up dress so the costumer she's gonna fix betty's dress and betty's just hanging out because she likes her and the costumer finds a piece of jewelry on the dress mm-hmm this is the one thing they didn't I feel like they didn't follow through with well enough just because like there, there's a date and there's a supposed link uh, to Betty uh, they just never explained it I, I or maybe I missed it the the jewelry yeah the, the piece of the piece of jewelry that is on the dress because it Does holds it have significance something to do with her past yeah, it but, has something to do with her past, but they just never spell it out. Is what yeah, it is. Is what oh, I'm saying. I can't remember, but yeah, I, I that's all I remember about it. it has something to do with right. with her past and her yeah. trauma. It, it, if it's her dad gave it to her or something, either her dad or her mom, or yeah. it, like it's linked to her past, and like her, her past is linked to the killer. Is right. what this amounts to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the you get another setup of like the costumer goes to find uh, an eyeglass to look at what's inscribed on the piece of jewelry while she's gone. Betty gets caught again and she gets put in a glass case with her fucking eye needles again. 
And, you know, the costumer comes back and she catches an iron right in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Just whips it at her butt. Just like, just throws a whole iron right at her butt. And now here's the thing. This is a late 80s butt. So there's not a lot of cushion back there. Flat butt. Yeah, yeah. Flat butt. Long and flat. That's how we like the Japanese. Long and flat. (laughs) If she had a BBL, she would have reflected it and she would have been fine. She would have got away. It would have bounced. Yeah. But nope, she had she just had long back. It hits it hit straight pelvic bone. It went right into her spine, hit her right in the nerve, and she went down. <laughs> yeah. She went down like a sack of bricks. Yeah. Uh, the killer just decides he's gonna stab her with shears, and mm-hmm. that's fucking horrific. Oof. And while he's stabbing her with shears, she swallows the jewelry. Yeah. Damn it. it now I'm trying to remember. I'm I'm like I'm stuck on this idea of what, what happened with the jewelry, where did it come from? I'll remember. But um yeah, she's swallowed, which is a bold move. The, this this uh, uh, costume, the costume woman, uh, might be my favorite character in the whole thing. Yeah, she's she's nice because she's just like a sh- she is what I call, and this is a, this is a term of endearment. My wife and I call each other so all the time. Is she's a shitty bitch? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and, me and my wife call each other all the time. We're like. Oh, you shitty bitch like when somebody does something like smart assy you know mm-hmm. and she's just a great shitty bitch like this movie's filmed in italy but like she would absolutely fit in in the bronx yes yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah like if she was in a spike lee movie giving somebody lip mm-hmm. you could be it would make total sense you yep. know she's just she's just somebody who does her job and mouse off to people and nobody can tell her what to do she's mm-hmm. a good character yeah but yeah, she's good yeah, she swallows the jewelry, and this leads to some more disturbing, you know, scissor work. He puts the scissors in her mouth to try to get it, uh, can't get it, reaches in her mouth, you know, extended mandible claw time. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sacco comes out. Yeah, can't get it. Yeah. And so he cuts her chest open like a fucking chicken. Yeah, and, like, with the like her esophagus or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just... It just pulls it out of her chest and it's it's the sound design is so brutal because you see the like you you see the scissors and mm-hmm. they're closing but you don't really see them cutting any flesh or anything you just see you know the scissors closing and it's the sound design that is just brutal and just it, again i i'm thinking about how you use scissors on chicken yeah to cut out the spine so you oh, can spatchcock yeah. it. Some good, some good sharp poultry shears are an invaluable yeah. <laughs> tool in the kitchen, guys. Yeah. Kitchen tips just, with Brian for this week, real quick. <laughs> just spatchcocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say that word again real slow, though, you know. Mm. Spatchcocking. Let, let me lick Ooh. my lips, get them all wet. <laughs> but yeah, once again, uh, you know, Betty is slightly freed just enough so she can get out of there. Uh, what, oh, one of my favorite lines from the costumer is while she's talking to Betty, she's running down the director mm-hmm. and she's talking about how like his background in film and everything. And she goes, yeah, I don't know. He just OD'd on weird. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, oh, and the other great parts of uh, the scene is one as the killer approaches Betty the the camera has like this weird heartbeat effect going on as his heart starts to race as he like approaches her 
And the other is when she's in the case, he comes up to her and is like showing off the piece of jewelry again at her face. And the POV is from behind the pins on the tape. And like they even have like a, a, a camera shutter effect mm-hmm. for the camera shutter to like open and close. Yeah, like it's an like eyeball. POV and like, you know, Friday Night Lights where you're behind the behind the, you know, the, the face mask or the football yeah, yeah, helmet. Yeah. But instead, <laughs> right. it's just pins that are going to, you know, jab into your eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty, pretty wonderful camera work. Again, mm-hmm. it's just all throughout the entire film. Uh, from here, they decide to finally give a police detail, even though they're still going on with the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the opera must go on. Right. And I think it's like the f- the first time I saw this film, I thought it was going to come down to like the director gets killed and then they still go on with the show is what I thought, like where this was going. <laughs> I could see <laughs> like, that. Yeah. We never closed the beach. <laughs> but. Uh, you, you get this uh, kind of weird cat and mouse thing where they, they give Betty a cop and then she never looks at his face because she's a doof. <laughs> yeah. Her friend uh, Mira comes over who Mira is also like her agent, I believe. Right. right. Is but also they're just good friends. And like Mira comes over for support and Mira says, oh, the cop, he's downstairs. And Betty's like, no, the cop's over here in my room, Mm. you know, having a smoke. And uh uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, they go to check on him, and he's not there. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This is the best scene. This is the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, too. Yeah, it is the best scene. But, you know, it's just kind of like a little cat and mouse. You know, Mira and Betty go find a knife, and then they hide in another room, and they're looking through the keyhole, and they see the cop leave. So they... They're like, oh, okay, it's empty now. Cop comes back and Mira's looking through the keyhole and she's like, show me identification. Show me who you are. And he like pulls out like this little badge and he's like, this is me. And she's like, you could have got that anywhere. You could have found that. Mm-hmm. You asked me to show it to you. Yeah, you asked for it. <laughs> like, yeah. And then she's like, but show me your face. good instinct. Yeah, good instincts. But <laughs> she's like, show me your face. Show me your face. And then he's like showing her a gun. And he's like, yeah, you could have bought that anywhere. That doesn't mean anything to me. And he's like, show me your face. And then probably the greatest shot in the film. Oh, it's such a cool shot. He puts the gun to the peephole of the door and pulls the trigger. And it goes right into the barrel. Like, I'm trying to think of another movie that did this. Like, you see it. You see it a lot now. I know a movie that does this. It's called Fast and the Furious. Where no, they no, shoot no. through the whole thing and they see the nitrous igniting and all that stuff. <laughs> I meant with a gun. Thing. I know. Crank. I meant with a gun. Crank. <laughs> That's the one you're yeah. thinking of. <laughs> oh yes, that movie, Crank. That other before. Argento classic. <laughs> yes. I said before this. <laughs> oh, okay, not okay, after okay. this. All right, fine, fine, Fast fine. and the Furious steals from Argento. I thought yeah. we were talking about classics here. Crank, too fast, too furious. <laughs> what else do we have? <laughs> it's so the the coolest part they they not only do they just because they could have easily and it would have still been impactful just mm-hmm. done the like because m- what's her name Mira or whatever she's yeah. looking she's putting her eye up to the people on the inside and then and they could have just been like oh bullet her head blows out the back but instead they cut to like a little miniature inside the people shot 
Yeah. Yeah. You're inside the peephole and you see the bullet travel and then they cut back out to a, a more or less wide. And it's the way they set it up is that you see both ends of the bullet. So they have a squib go off that shoots forward onto the door mm-hmm. as well as a squib that shoots backwards off the back of her head. Yeah. So you get splatter both ways. And then it's just like this slowed down horrific scream yeah. as she gets shot right in the fucking head. It is the most insane shot. And then they cut to the bullet ricocheting and shooting the phone that <laughs> Betty was trying to call the police. on. <laughs> well, and it's like it's to have that commitment to the realism, because, you know, if you think about this, even though the door is only what, you know, a couple inches thick mm-hmm. for him to shoot through the peephole which a peephole i i don't know you, you i'm not trying to get technical here but the width of the bullet versus that peephole i'm i'm i'll buy it whatever but for him to have to shoot so perfectly straight that it wouldn't hit any of the sides and then yeah. to go through like is just such a i don't know it just makes for a really cool effect like i think 99% of directors would have just been like let we're not going to no, we're not going to show the bullet inside the door between the two, you know, yeah. uh, lenses on the peephole. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's 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 a really cool shot. And and just like the amount of time it had to take to set up that little like I said, that that it, it feels like it's a split second. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, of the bullet traveling through the door. Yeah. It had to there, be and, so yeah. complicated and it was a fraction of a second. I was going to say that this is definitely my favorite scene for the movie as well, because we're thinking about the time frame too. This is the eighties where you didn't really have, you didn't have CGI. You didn't have all those things that kind of help you along with an image like this. So you had to, mm-hmm. like you said, Brian, break it down very simplistically for a practical effect to really get it across on the screen. Did a great job on this. And the squib work was phenomenal. I, I mm-hmm. loved it. This is this right here is the pinnacle of the movie for me scene wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, it's right neck and neck for me just because it's the final, not the final scene, but like the next to final scene in the opera with the crows flying around. And just, I know the rig they built for that scene. So like, it's just, both are technically impressive. And like Brian was saying, like most directors wouldn't think to do one shot like this. Argento has so many overcomplicated artistic things in this film, like all the long tracking POV shots, so much steady cam work in this film. Like nobody does this shit anymore. Yeah. Like, they, they're terrified to, you know? I was like, Ty West, Ty West does it and you're not giving enough credit. So go back and watch Ty West. <laughs> Listen, Dario Argento didn't have drones, bro. Yeah. He just had train tracks and cranes <laughs> and, and he did have a steady cam, but you know, right. Yeah. They had, they had steady cam, but yeah. I mean like, I, yeah, there's definitely still films today that do like amazing set pieces. Like John Wick four is all set pieces. Hmm. Like that film is fantastic. But like, for the most part, everybody's pretty lazy nowadays. They they just want to shoot flat and go, yeah, good enough. Are you excited? <laughs> Guys, I'm currently watching Pumpkinhead 4 in the background. You can't see. Sick. And uh, I could be, a t- I can attest to it to uh, 
Not every movie does these things. No. <laughs> and Pumpkinhead 4 certainly does not. Pumpkinhead 4 does not do Argento things. Spoiler alert on Pumpkinhead 4. Not Argento-level <laughs> cinematography. And that's they tuned in for, ladies and gentlemen. Pumpkinhead 4. <laughs> Showdown over. Now we talk Pumpkinhead 4. Yeah. I'm going to tag that. I'm going to tag, tag in Pumpkinhead 4 here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so yeah, Mira gets blasted and then uh, the cop, he's also the real actual cop. He's revealed to be dead, stabbed in the guts. And this is where we get a reveal of the kid that we've been seeing sort of and we've been hearing creepy kidness around Mm -hmm. uh, is actually just her neighbor hanging out in the vents like fucking Newt from Aliens. (laughs) So strange. (laughs) This movie in the third act just take some big swings which i appreciate but yeah it's one like again is how aware how self-aware is argento to like all of that time he spent building up some weird possibly supernatural kid element Mm -hmm. that like haunts her you know house or whatever is actually just the neighbor and who likes to hear her sing like, it's yeah. such a funny thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's just a neighbor who likes to hear her sing. And like, now they're on escape. Like, come yeah. through the vents with me. And it's like, yeah. oh, OK. And then it ends. It also it ends as unceremoniously as the reveal, like the reveal that the kid is not a danger or the vents are not a danger because the kid's like, OK, here's my house. And then the kid's mom's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then just <laughs> hits her. And <laughs> yeah, it's it. it, it felt to me like it was uh argento kind of you know i don't know i guess taking the piss out of the genre that he mm-hmm. helped to create a little bit right but yeah. it was it was clever yeah he, he's done so much you know in giallo films that like mm-hmm. now he can kind of play with his own yeah he he, like he he has earned being irreverent i guess right exactly exactly yeah. he'd be irreverent with his own material and i think mm-hmm. that's what he's doing here uh you know, Betty is basically kicked out of the apartment, but like she didn't want to be there anyway. Mm-hmm. She escapes back to the opera house because that's all she knows. And the director's there. And this is this is basically the, the, the final kind of show off between the two of them. And like you get the reveal that, OK, the director's on her side because he's all in. He's like, I got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> And boy, oh boy, does that plan pay off because he just lets her he lets her go to sleep and he says, get ready for the next performance because we're going on. And in the performance, he makes his plan come to fruition, which is he flies the entire birdcage through the back of the set (laughs) and crashes onto the stage. And the funniest thing is, is that the bird handler is in the cage with the birds. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not part of the stage play at all. Yeah. He's, he's wearing jeans. He's not even wearing show blacks. He's wearing jeans and a fucking work shirt. He's wearing some kicks. fine Italian dungarees. Yeah. It yeah. was like a job placement program put him in there and he's like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is but, this is part of my parole, right? I have to do this. I'm the Birdman of Alcatraz. It's a new play. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. 
so weird. But uh, yeah, the Maurizio, the bird trainer, he kicks the door open, freeing the birds into the audience. And this is the plan because the birds attacked the killer before. They're still going to know who he is. And birds hold a fucking grudge. And crows especially. Especially like crows. crows. are crazy smart. Yeah. They um, will either give you gifts or they will peck your eyes. One yeah. of the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Which that's, that's your choice to make with the crows. More people. This is a little bit of a tangent here, but people are terrified of spiders, right? Mm -hmm. People are scared to death of bats. Right. And rats and snakes and things like that. Yeah. Most of those things, especially bats, spiders, all those things, very useful, very, very valuable creatures. They do a lot to uh, keep pests away and stuff like that. More people need to be scared of crows. Agreed. People do not be given cre cr enough credit. A snake, a spider, they are not going to plan things out and then sure. execute a plan later. Sure. Crows but can do that. But also, you can't befriend the other animals you mentioned that's probably true like you can you can just be on the good side of crows just don't be yeah. a shit heel and crows will be your friend they'll bring you little bottle cap gifts and you go hey thank you crow yeah otherwise <laughs> like, they bring you brandon lee and he kicks the shit out of you so mm. yeah 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 don't if bring you, up if don't bring up brandon lee when we've been talking about squibs guys <laughs> it's insensitive yeah. my bad too soon i apologize <laughs> You either get bottle caps or retribution. Those are your choices with the crows. But <laughs> like A or B. A, yeah. a snake or a spider is just always going to bite you. Yeah. Like it, there's never. Not you know, snakes. They can be nice. Come on. They can be docile when they're not yeah. hungry is what yeah. it is. <laughs> hungry or th not threatened. Sure. Yeah. 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 But these crows are out. One of them takes flight and is just basically surveying the crowd. Mm -hmm. But this is like one of the coolest fucking shots in the movie in a movie full of cool shots because they built this insane spinning helicopter rig and hung it from the ceiling of a famous Italian opera house that's been around forever. Mm. And it spins around and lowers at the crowd. <laughs> and it's like it's fantastic. Everybody was in danger. It was great. <laughs> Do you, you think like the any person who worked on that rig now is like when they found out about drones were so pissed off? Uh, yeah, or, like that oh, yeah, would have taken yeah. minutes. That takes ten minutes with a drone. Right. We took ten weeks to build and set up and execute this, and some fourteen-year-old would have done it in ten minutes with a drone right now. Right, and like. It's obvious that they did multiple takes with this spinning death contraption because some of the shots have like crow's feet in them. Some of the shots have crow's wings flapping in them and some of the shots are empty. So they did at least three takes of spinning helicopter death at an audience lowered from a ceiling. And yeah. that is fucking filmmaking and that rules. <laughs> well, you know, um, who, who was it that got um, that that obviously? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Landis. Yeah, know, John it, Landis. It, John Landis uh, uh, was responsible ultimately for uh, people's deaths on a scene. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think an adult and a child, uh, yeah. and you know, doing a, a helicopter scene on on a set, um, and it just makes you think like how many directors, certainly Dario Gento among them, could easily have John Landis something like 
he oh, yeah. would absolutely have has put so many people in danger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He just got away with it. Yeah. It's, that's the thing is like yeah. if you don't kill everybody, it fucking rules. When you kill people, things go bad and you have people a bad name. People get yeah. mad. It's like people get yeah. mad and then your son is Max Landis and everybody hates you for that, too. Well, then it's just like <laughs> it's incentivizing people to make bad decisions because yeah. 99 times out of 100, it's going to work fine and nobody's going to be mad. Right. But that one time out of 100 or one time out of a thousand that it goes poorly. Now you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. But only yeah. if it goes poorly, not only if it goes poorly, only if it goes poorly. So, the, you know, the, the the odds are on your side. So just do it. Right. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. yeah. Like how, how many takes do you need? You Ask know? for forgiveness, not permission. Yes. Basically mm-hmm. is what this 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 school of of directing. Yeah, absolutely. And it paid off. So because we're talking about the movie now, nobody's mad. Talking about how great it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, the the bird, you know, the, the circling bird finds his target and, you know, the birds start attacking and you're still not sure who it is because like now the crowd's upset. The birds are upset. It's a whole lot of chaos and confusion. And you get a close up of the birds pecking an eye out and you go, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Birds don't fuck around. Crows don't fuck yeah. around. Yeah. But that was like, why didn't they do that at first when he was destroying the dress and fucking with them the first time he killed one of them with a knife right off the bat then he yeah. stayed there for a long time yeah and they well, were I mean, like was... yeah they didn't yeah. they didn't get a chance to 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 congregate as a murder and figure out what they're going to do i guess right well they, you they would have were... thought they would have attacked him right away when he was first killing them and they were just almost standing there like fucking sitting ducks you know yeah but they they didn't know not friend yet. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it took them a little bit and now the message is traveled. Now all the crows are on board. They thought like, maybe that one crow was just playing dead, but right. then after a few hours they're like, ah no, 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 he's dead. Yeah. They're like, oh no, he like they're not playing. Like mm. they weren't having fun. He hit him with a knife. He mm. hit two more with a knife. Because I mean, at the end of that scene. They're all congregated by the door to go That's get true. him. That's true. They are already talking. They are already been yeah. chatting, and yeah, yeah. they're gonna fuck. They're him up. they're congregated at the door. It's just like birds can't door. They don't know right. how to handle. So <laughs> that's a t-shirt. Birds can't door. Birds can't door. <laughs> they can't. That's true. They can't. Yeah, they're facts. Big facts. Yeah. Big facts. But yeah, the birds are attacking the guy. Pull his eyeball out, and it's revealed that it was the cop that we've been introduced to multiple times throughout the movie that is supposedly, you know, kind of the savior and he's doing all the investigating, but no, he's out to kill. And now he just pulls a gun and just starts shooting wildly. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just popping off everywhere in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's funny because Betty and the director are having a moment of celebrating because the director's plan worked and like, we got him. We did it. And then he pulls a gun and shoots at her. She goes, Oh no, (laughs) just just runs away. Another great shot of just like chaos in the theater. And there are two crows, you know, hopping around seats and they're fighting over the eyeball, you know, amid admits like broken pearl necklaces and everything. They're just pulling eyeball (laughs) between each other. Yeah. 
and you get yeah. a good cro- get eyeball. You know, that's like an kind of an iconic uh, still image from this movie is the mm-hmm. uh, the, cro- the eyeball in the crow's beak. Yeah. Uh, the killer, uh, Detective Allen, he chases down Betty in her dressing room, knocks out the director, drags her to you know, a, a more secluded area of the opera house and like blindfolds her because he doesn't want her to see him all fucked up because he's all mangled now. Mm-hmm. And he puts a gun in her hand and basically tries to get her to shoot him while he also sets the room on fire. Yes. Who? Okay. (laughs) As he's doing this, though, he explains that you he knew Betty's mother, and the dreams that we've been seeing this entire time is Betty remembering that the killer and his mom and her mom were in a relationship together, and her mom used to finger blast herself (laughs) while he killed other women. Yeah. Her mom was not cool. Oh, that no, old chestnut. Not at all. Just yeah. absolutely yeah. just blasting the bean to some death. <laughs> mm-hmm. Listen, I don't like to kink shame. You know me. But yeah. not cool. Not, not cool. cool, Betty's mom. This one's this one's too much. Yeah, it's too You've much. Crossed You've crossed the line, Betty's mom. You've crossed the line. So Betty, uh, yeah, Betty pulls the trigger and then the match drops. The fire starts. And you know, by the she way, matches free- go out when you drop them. I don't right. care what you do. <laughs> matches go out when you drop them. I've tried to we we tried so many times uh, to I used to love, love to watch Mythbusters. All right. And in college, we watched a lot of Mythbusters and they did that one episode about flicking the cigarette onto the gasoline and lighting like a trail of gasoline, like in a mm-hmm. like in a movie. And yeah. uh uh, uh, you know, we, we tried it at, at home, you know, in our, in our, uh, house in college out behind the, uh, behind the house. Um, we were able to get at the light with a cigarette. Like if you just happened to land on the cherry one time out of 10, it would actually hit and it could light and it couldn't ignite. Match. It don't work. Match goes out yeah. guys. Match well, cause you gotta use the magic, man. You gotta be in Italy and you have to say that's a spicy meatball and then Ooh, flick the match. Italian, <laughs> a spicy Italian so match. Yeah. It's yeah. primavera, whoever the fuck they say. <laughs> you gotta go. Actually, to I, I was just gonna be more offensive. I don't know. I was just gonna be more offensive and say Italians have a natural grease that keep the matches a little slicked up. <laughs> 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 If the match is wrapped in a pepperon, <laughs> then you got a good it. prosciutto. I need a good prosciutto. <laughs> a good gabagool. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That that, yeah. that solves a lot of it. It's in Italy. It's an Italian match. So yeah. it's all right. It's all greasy. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are mad now. <laughs> Listen, I they can't be. I we've made way more f- fun of Irish people. So right. Uh, yeah. Italians still pretty far down on the list. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't show up at my house or bring me pasta. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A meatball hoagie. Don't get mad at us. <laughs> I'm down for it. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, you uh, Betty frees herself by shooting her chair and then escapes out the door. Everybody else is waiting for her and you know, they break down the door and it seems like everything's going good. We cut to the Swiss Alps where she is now shacked up with the director. He yeah. is filming a weird fly film 
which in this scene, like I've seen, I seen opera before Nope, but now watching opera after Nope, I can only think of that uh, weird cinematographer character who just wants to film like animals attacking each other and shit oh, like God. that. Yes. Nature yeah, is yeah, metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that fucking character. Who was he played by? He was like, it was a pretty, it was, it was, I want to say it was a big name guy, but yeah, I, I, anyway, that's beside the point. It's yeah, big I name totally, guy. And actually totally forgot about that. Character. Vin Diesel bringing it back to too fast, too furious, baby. That's what I'm talking <laughs> no, no, was, no, no. It's better. It's better. I believe he is the bad guy of the crow. No, no, I believe. Nope. Hold on. I'm going nope. to. I, I, I gotta, Did you bring I this full circle, Steve? I it's uh, <laughs> it's Michael Wincott plays mm-hmm. Antlers Holst. Yeah, he is a Canadian actor. He is in the crow. Mm-hmm. He is, in fact, in the crow and he plays top dollar in the crow. Yep. He's the bad guy of the crow. That's it. That's wow. A, that's end game shit right there. Wow. That is that is a that is a uh, a web that you have weaved, my friend. I do that. It's how I rolls. <laughs> I'm wow. so tangled. I'm so tangled. <laughs> yeah. To say Jordan Peele also appreciates opera is a really good film. <laughs> you can't vote against Jordan Peele. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there's a this scene isn't as strong as it could be. Uh, there's an exposition news report to say that, you know, the fucking killer didn't die in the fire. It was a trick and, you know, he's on the run, but everybody's hunting him. You see some dogs running outside. You don't know why. And you hear the Swedish chef get killed in the kitchen. Oh, Borky, Swedish chef. In the kitchen with the rubber chicken. Right. Yeah. The director discovers it. He leans out the window to let Betty know she's outside and she starts running. And just visually, I really like this of her. This is basically the sound of music. I swear to God, it's the same fucking like back. I mean, obviously the backdrop It's the fucking Swiss Alps, like whatever. Right. Um, But. It is almost looks like a shot for shot remake for a quick second. Yeah, it, it, it looks so visually close to the sound of music, but she's being chased by a killer and it's like cheesy 80s thrash metal instead of a musical. And it, it's just so funny. Yeah. Again, that makes me question, like, how aware is Dario Argento of what he's doing? Because it's, it's so visually funny. Yeah. And it's I know so I can strange the, yeah. the it works in other places. It doesn't work here, but he does that because, you know, it's a movie about opera. It's a classic, you know, it's a mm-hmm. soundtrack and, and you get did Goblin do this. Uh, so there's actually the, the the pedigree on the music of this film is pretty impressive, actually. Mm. So uh, Claudio S- uh, Simonetti from Goblin yeah. is on so the soundtrack. Goblin, yeah, not Goblin proper, but Claudio Simonetti is Goblin for most. Yeah. Yeah, he so he's part of it. Uh, you also have Brian Eno. Oh, geez, okay. He he did, I believe, the majority of like the ambient sound. Mm. Um, and then you also have Bill Wyman, who you may or may not recognize the name, but he was like the original bassist of the Rolling Stones up to like ninety two. Oh, okay. And then the so, thrash the thrash metal band is just kind of like a a, a band that they found. 
like it was just oh, really it wasn't it, it's, like it's, it, actual tracks no no it was it was like a band un- working under a pseudonym mm. so they gave him the pseudonym of steel grave and it's like it, but they were never famous in any way steel grave yeah i don't know if that's awesome or sucks super bad i'm not sure yet <laughs> it, i mean it's just a pseudonym so it doesn't matter <laughs> i know i was like well at first when you said steel grave it was like oh shit steel grave and then i was like steel grave like i just yeah. couldn't decide it was very it, <laughs> well i think you said steel grave because you were thinking grave 45 the people who did the Return of the Living Dead soundtrack. I think I was thinking Michael Graves, the oh. shitty racist alt right now uh, lead singer <laughs> of the shitty version of the Misfits that didn't have Glenn Danzig in it. Didn't have Danzig. Yeah. I don't know. I still like Dust to Dust off Famous Monsters. There's a couple songs in Famous Monsters. Couple tra- we all tracks. get it. It's a couple Michael tracks. Graves sucks ass and he's. <laughs> the worst yeah they're bad people it separate the art from the artist <laughs> yeah it's acting like I'm, I'm like sitting here talking like about him like he's an asshole when literally <laughs> every person who ever played in the band with maybe the exception of doyle he seems like a kind of okay guy doyle he's probably an asshole yeah i think doyle's kind of an okay guy i know his girlfriend is like incredibly progressive canadian vegan so he can't be that much of a shitbag. <laughs> no, no, no. She'd probably tell him to fuck off if he was. But like Jerry yeah. Only, isn't he like super religious right wing or some shit? Yeah, Jerry know? Only basically just took on the same you know, views as Danzig of like, we're old now and we hate everything that's not <laughs> what we understand. Yeah, we're <laughs> some form of libertarian, which just means we're old and selfish. Right. <laughs> yeah. But we but we like to do drugs. Yeah. Doyle always looked like he like didn't catch the right elevator. And every single picture, he just looked like, I was supposed to grab the South Elevators, but I'm at the North. How do I get to the South Elevators? Yeah, I've listened to interviews of him, and he's literally just flexing. Like, as an old man now, he's just flexing in the interviews, and he just seems dumb as a box of fucking rocks. Uh, But And he's a terrible musician, but like, amongst amongst the rest of the misfits, I mean, like, you don't see a lot of like, you know uh robo interviews and he might be right. okay guy but like as far as the long-standing or you know more yeah doyle seems like the most uh uh digestible of the band anyway i don't know how we got in the misfits but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. talking about we were talking about the soundtrack um yeah, yeah. so that's when i thought it was like some some yeah it was jarring it was jarring in all of the kills but it was especially jarring in the sound of music yeah. kill yeah. Yeah. I th- and I, I mean, it was meant to be jarring because you're making a film with all this beautiful architecture and everything. And so, like, when it's time to kill people, it's time to put on something fucking more metally. The, yeah. This probably would have benefited like a soundtrack update. Don't remake the film, but like just update the soundtrack with like, I don't know, something like Black Dahlia Murder or something. Something no much way. more along the lines of Cannibal Corpse. That's just drowning pool. Yeah. <laughs> Pop a roach. Oh yeah. yeah. Put a drowning pool. Put saliva over oh there. God. <laughs> click, click, boom, and she's running through the, the house. <laughs> the the edit I have to make now of her running through the Alps with 
bodies hit the floor. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> no, dude, can you do it like uh, with POD? He's like, welcome to the South Town. <laughs> <Which is just>. <laughs> <laughs> or actually just go completely, dude different direction and just over her running with come my lady come, come oh god <laughs> no crazy town no crazy town so yeah she uh the killer catches her and like tries to convince her of like oh you know your mother was it you know this and that and the director tries to save the day he gets fucking stabbed to death and she tries to play along of like you're right. I wanted you to win the entire time. I'm just like my mother. This gets me wet. Yeah. <laughs> and they it try- seems like a child trying to like, I, I mean, you, she's trying to trick him, obviously. Right. But it just is so weird. She's yeah. such a weird, like such a weird jilted performance. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, yeah. She's a weird person. They like start walking off into the sunset and then she hits him with a rock you know, she just brains him. That's it. Yeah. Just hits him with a rock. Yeah. The police show up and like the police are crazy. <laughs> Why are the police? Where, where were the police at that? They just were like, they're in this isolated area in the Alps. And then well, they were following him. Like, oh, they were following him. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the dogs, there's a big the man dogs hunt. We saw. I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. The dogs we see at the beginning of the scene were police dogs and they're hunting right. him down. Yeah. <laughs> so and he's yeah. nearby. Yeah. It's still it's a weird setting. Like it could just be back at his apartment. Why does it have to yeah. be in the Alps? Like, I don't know. I think he just like it's one of those things where like Argento probably got obsessed with this idea of filming in the Alps and like putting over putting heavy metal over you know the alps and like doing this juxtaposition to the sound of music he just yeah. got obsessed with it and then just wouldn't let it go yeah it's called yeah. flex and nuts dude that's exactly what he <laughs> yeah. did he's well, like alps well, metal a- post it <laughs> well there's a there was a lot of weird production stuff i read in this movie like they had to switch a lot of stuff up because originally the person who was gonna play the you know the kind of prima donna mm-hmm. singer at the beginning it was supposed to be some other like notable actress. Okay. But then production like ran long and they only had her for a certain amount of days. And then mm. once it was up, she was like, fuck you. I'm out. I can't yeah. stay any longer. I have another commitment. So they had to like completely rewrite and reshoot that or cause they hadn't even shot her yet. Right. So they had to completely switch it. And that's why they moved it into the whole POV thing for her. Yeah. Cause you, n- you never see that actress's face, which I think it works as like throwing another red herring. Cause you only ever, you only ever see from her POV, which is like you're seeing from the killer's POV. So she could have mm-hmm. been the killer faking an accident. Right. And then, or just mad that she got into the accident and was replaced. You know, yeah, and he, then they, he, would you go as far as to say he turned the lemon into lemonade? <laughs> Limoncello. Limoncello, Limoncello, baby. That's what. It, yeah, he did. He made he made the most of that for sure. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like a, a plan B. Right. Yeah. Because because you never see her face, and it, it's just this shitty diva that is mm-hmm. never you know on camera fully. Like you mm-hmm. see a a scene of her with her foot up in a cast being shitty at the TV. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I almost thought this sounds stupid, but like I kept thinking it was going to be something about like, uh, going back to her mother who is going to be the killer or responsible for the killer or have some 
deeper connection with the killer than just like I knew her or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I kept thinking it was like almost like a psycho thing where, you know, the mom, you never see her because that's she's in, you know, he she she doesn't actually exist. She's been long dead. Not that they could have done that with that character because everyone saw that character. But I was just waiting for some sort of twisty thing that tied back to the the fact that you never saw the prima donna. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you never get it, but now you you know, once you read the behind the scenes, you know why. Because it wasn't yeah. it wasn't meant to be that way. But mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, it just uh killer's taken away and she just rolls around in the grass because she's a fucking <laughs> and she's, weirdo. Like, smelling flowers and talking yeah. about how she likes she's like she I, I didn't write the line down, but it's something like, Oh, I'm not like other girls. I like flowers and birds. <laughs> and you're like, No, you're not like other girls because you're fucking nuts. <laughs> Yeah. super weird and creepy she she has a total mental breakdown but she mental breakdowns into normie core <laughs> like she doesn't go off the yeah. rails she goes right on the rails of like i just want to laugh and touch bugs and smell flowers <laughs> hooray hooray me. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a pretty nobody's dead and crazy. i don't care <laughs> yeah um real weird ending real weird ending guys mm-hmm. um one other thing that I read, and I don't know if this is one hundred percent true, but you know, I was I kind of went down a rabbit hole of the whole like Myth Macbeth being a cursed production, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, "What? You know, did anything happen in this one?" And I guess the guy who played the director, aka like the guy who played Dario Argento's character based on himself. Right. Ended up getting AIDS from this shoot because he like had some sort of accident and it required an extended hospital stay. And he, he had to like and he, he ended up contracting AIDS from like a dirty needle or, or tainted blood or something in the hospital. And then he died of AIDS a few years later. Oh, and, see, I didn't win in Italy. I didn't read it as, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I didn't read it as as that, that he had died from an accident he had on set or while shooting the movie. I thought it yeah. was just that he had already had AIDS and died shortly after the film. Oh, I read that it was he had contracted it in. Now, who knows? That might have been the Hollywood story they told. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. Um, but I read it as it was as a result of a, 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 an extended hospital stay from like an injury or illness or something. I didn't I should have wrote it down um, that he uh, 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 got a, a, on on set. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't read that. So I, I just read it that he had gotten it and then died shortly after the film, because he died, uh, died in eighty nine or died in nineteen ninety. So the film would have been out for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems seems yeah. far fetched now. Yeah, but. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. yeah, I mean, here's my thing for this movie. I like this movie. It's Dario Argento mm-hmm. in the cinematography's great the performances are the main actress is weird i don't love her performance but you don't come to these movies for the performance right you don't watch a dario argento movie necessarily for an amazing performance there's certainly ones that are but that's not really why you watch for the storytelling the weird cinematography the sound design goblin all that sick shit um the last pretty much after everything after the crows 
finding the killer in the crowd and pecking his eyes out should just have gone away. <laughs> Everything after that. Well, I mean, I think you can I think you're safe at ending just like shooting him and he dies in the fire. That could have been fine. Yeah. That that would have been second best. So best case scenario ended after eyes poking pecked out. Okay, you want to go a little bit longer? Fine. Ended after that. I, I, ju- I just <laughs> I just think you need to go just a little bit longer because he needs to explain why he's bothering her so much. <laughs> he could, but they could have done that before then. They could have suggested sure. that this person knew is her mother, you know, and it, that could have been yeah. explained earlier. Or they could have just done it a little bit after that and been like, oh, you knew your mom. Now, that would have maybe felt a little cheap. You probably would have set it up before then. But <clears throat> the other thing I, I, you know, I will I will argue I did not like about this movie is the ki- the person that ended up being the killer felt like one of those, uh, uh, you know, hey, it was actually that guy that we met t- two hours ago that you met for two seconds that you don't even remember his name. Remember that guy? Oh, he's the killer. You know what I mean? That's like out yeah. of left field things that you're like, really? Um, what? Yeah, I, I I would argue maybe one more scene with him might have helped. But it would. It's, it's just more with him would have helped because you didn't. Uh, they didn't leave you a ton of breadcrumbs. Not that you need it spoon fed to you, but if mm-hmm. you're gonna have it be somebody who's not a main character, you need to develop why it's that person a little bit more. Yeah. So or, or add some maybe add some you know. Um, a little bit of uh, suspicion around him and then remove that suspicion, you know, red herring him, then reverse it something, but just like make us at least think about that character. Cause if we're not even thinking about that guy, see what I, when I first watched, when he first comes into the dressing room, I was like, Oh, this motherfucker's the killer. Like I remember (laughs) saying that to myself. I was like, it's either the, the, the dorky little guy, but then I was like, he's too cute. He's too naive. He's going to die. So it's it's either he's the killer. Right. But then I was like, well, that would seem they're not showing him enough. So I think it's going to be they're just going to set him up as a red herring. So I was like, okay, I think it's going to be the the you know, it's going to be the main character. Her turning around is going to be her or her mom or her living thinking she's her mom or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then when it's just like. Some random Joe Blow that happened to have a weird relationship and her mom flicked her bean to him killing people. I was like, what, how would we have ever been able to piece that together? It just felt like it yeah. came out of left field, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you're not going to piece it together because of the backstory, but like in that same scene where he introduces himself in the dressing room, uh, you get the, you get the one hint of like, Oh, he's there to investigate the lights, but like that just happened. So he got there pretty quick. Yeah. Also, there's a uh, a shot of looking out of the dressing room into the crowd. And some of the crowd is paying attention. Some of the crowd is not. But he is very directly like spiking the camera, looking at it Mm. as if he's looking directly at Betty. So that's a pretty good uh, Mm, indicator. Yeah, that's a pretty good indicator. And then you do have the scene where she goes to the cop shop and he's there to meet her. And like he pretty quickly just cuts her off from interacting with anybody else and is also very quick 
to notice abrasions that she's trying to hide mm. because he knows she has them. He put them there more or less. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be a she's setting him up. You know, or the the director of uh, screenwriter, whoever is setting him up as the killer so that he can be a red herring. And then ultimately, he's going to be the one that draws, you know, to attention the fact that it is her or her mom or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and it also just might have been left as ambiguous as it was, because maybe Argento himself wasn't decided on whether or not it was the cop or the director mm. so you know maybe because up, yeah, in, like up he until left it ambiguous for a while yeah, and then yeah. yeah up until you know the the final confrontation with the crows and everything up until that plan comes to fruition you know it could have been the director yeah yeah so yeah i guess it, yeah it could have been yeah matt do you have any things that need to be shot down bad ideas <laughs> No, I mean, if I wanted to watch Scream 3, I would just watch Scream 3. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, need, I don't know if I need all the cinematography of Argento to appreciate Scream 3. But, I mean. Yeah, of course, because you're a bigger David Arquette fan. That's all I have is. a huge Arquette fan. But, uh, but to go. I'm a big Jackie from Roseanne fan. Hell yeah, dude. That's Scream <laughs> Wait, 2, that's Brian. That's Scream 2. Damn it. That's Scream 2. Never mind. You're out. So, but I, <laughs> I'll shut up forever. I do like, I do, I do like the idea of probably having some more exposition, even if it's ambiguous, to point more towards uh splitting the idea between the director and, and the police officer because especially too there was a there's a grand opportunity when the kid was going through the vents and if she would have been like oh i'm going to report this and that police officer could have been like oh yeah he has to be careful in those vents because even though it connects these two apartments it goes to like directly to the boiler from this point or something like that like well why would he know that unless he got it yeah. there himself it's like something right. like that she- yeah, Give like, us a little bit of something so it doesn't feel yeah. like such a blind side. But then again, sure, too, sure. I understand why you would want to leave it as wide open as you could, because Argento does like to throw mini swerves and also to develop the story as it progresses. Uh, like Suspiria kind of does that, too. They kind of leave you guessing to a certain point where they make the definitive cut and you actually understand exactly what's going on. So I was also waiting for that to happen. And. I wanted a little bit more. I'm also American and stupid and I want to be spoon fed a little bit more. So I guess I'm just not ready for, I don't want to think, I guess at, at that point, not trying to interpret things. Yeah. Tell me what's happening so I can go, Ooh, I knew the whole time. I want a movie like pieces where it has everything you spelled out directly out. for me, like a no. police procedural. Listen, this is a very different movie than Pieces. This is a classic Steve pick, a snooty. Ooh, mm, mm, I'm a film. I got. I, I have a film yep. degree pick. The the it's kind of boring at parts. The no, cinematography cinematography is tremendous. You can't argue that. The filmmaking aspect of it is great, and everything else is secondary. <laughs> That's a Steve pick. Steve is this I, I listen the cinematography is great yeah yeah it is yeah it's great Un- unarguable it's fucking boring <laughs> yeah, it's not there boring. were large large stretches that were boring and it's 
doesn't care about the audience or whether the audience is having fun. <laughs> well, it's not supposed to have fun. It's murder, Brian. You're not supposed, <laughs> not supposed to be sitting in your fun. seat it's having film. fun at murder it's at the filmed. death of others. <laughs> I just watched The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Murder and calm? Do calm and murder go together? I just watched it on Saturday. Um, anyway, yes, classic Steve pick. Fuck the audience. Fuck if it's fun to watch. It's sound filmmaking that above all else. <laughs> So that's my take. I sure. thought it's a, it's a lovely, lovely movie. Otherwise, all right. So that was uh, Dario Argento's opera from 1987, uh, which brings us to uh, to Matt. Let's uh, let's 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 hear what you bring to the party here on this year's showdown. Oh, when I come to the party, I bring the shocker. <laughs> That's what I bring to the yeah. party. <laughs> yeah. That's what everyone says. They call around. Text yes. thread gets going. They said, who's bringing the potato salad? <laughs> who's bringing a dessert? Who's bringing the shocker? And I instantly text back me, me, look in capital letters, me, me. Yeah. So, Dibs. <laughs> so this is a wonderfully schlocky trope from 1989. It is rated R, thank goodness, because I wouldn't bring some PG-13 bullshit to Halloween is forever. <laughs> um, you will also find this thing uh, renamed, of course, Wes Craven Shocker, because surprisingly, by what I just said, it is directed and written by Wes Craven. Um, so this was back in October of 1989, and it was actually pitted against one of the terrible sequels from The Nightmare on Elm Street that Wes Craven wasn't a part of so you know if you go back and for our you know our intro horror heads you know that Wes Craven had uh, his play in the first Nightmare on Elm Street but after that he was pulled back until he's back in like the third or fourth film I believe yeah, I and, think he had uh, yeah. dream so dream warriors is the fourth which is awesome which I think I don't know if he had something to do with or not I don't remember because I believe dream, dream this, warriors is the third isn't it I thought it was and then because my understanding, he didn't come back until it was uh, uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare is when he yeah. came back. Yeah, which was after because then it was Dream Child, which I think Dream Child would have been Dream the one Child's going up five. against this. Yeah. yeah. Isn't Dream Child right after Dream Warriors? No, because I think Dream. So Dream Warriors is three. Oh, OK. Sorry, I was getting mixed up. Yeah. Dream, Dream yeah Warriors I'm pretty is sure three. Dream. I can't remember what four is because it's taught. yeah the dream remember. master dream master is four. okay uh, yeah yeah no it's forgettable um I think dream <laughs> child would have been up against this in 89 if I'm not mistaken yeah and uh it also played up against who's talking to in its third <laughs> weekend and it unfortunately sat second behind it because it's not critically known as a fantastic movie. It still sits at 27% at Rotten Tomatoes. However, it is known widely as a cult classic. Uh, and most notably here, we're seeing the likes of Michael Murphy, Peter Berg, Camille Cooper and Horace. Uh, I'm sorry, Horace Pinger, but uh, Mitch uh, Pileggi. Mitch Pileggi hasn't played other horror villains but he did have a great run on the x-files uh and peter berg went on to be a pretty extraordinary indie director uh and he took over <laughs> the early 2000s when it came to uh commercials so there was something to be gained from this movie 
don't yeah, this was like you th- whitewash Peter Berg in front of this crowd. <laughs> he is the reason why we still have to deal with Mark Wahlberg films. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up, but you did. <laughs> I hate me some Mark Wahlberg, even though I did talk about uh, the happening recently and picked a scene from the happening to discuss. Uh, Mark Wahlberg sucks. Let's keep that. Yeah. Mar- Mark Wahlberg and Paul Walker are really. I wish they were in that car together. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, guys. Went a little that's far not, on that one. That's not looking little, at it. Went a little far on that one. That hey, those- Brian, pump the brakes. Unlike Paul Walker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate Mark. Well, that's Wahlberg. a zinger. Mark Wahlberg sucks so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. I, I did not. You have to explain, though, uh, uh, Steve, because I don't I don't know his his connection to Mark Wahlberg. OK, so Peter Berg does have some pretty decent films under his belt. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't hate everything that he's done, but he also indulges Mark Wahlberg in Mo, in Mark Wahlberg fantasies mm-hmm. of uh, he he directed the Deepwater Horizon film where Mark Wahlberg thought he was going to save that entire fucking oil rig. Oh, that was the uh, one where he re- he was trying to he he probably started that out as he wanted to retcon, you know, the 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 uh you know, 9/11 where he's on the plane and he saves everybody. Yeah, no. They they definitely have he probably absolutely for sure pitched that film mm-hmm. to Peter Berg and they probably almost made it. They did the they did the Boston Marathon instead of 9-11 is what they did. Oh, I'm going to save. Yeah, I'm going to save everybody. If there was if there were just Mark Wahlberg, like his whole thing is, I just wish there was more Mark Wahlbergs in the world. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. his whole thing. I just I just wish more people would like me and then mm. we could stop off the terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> Such a fucking douchebag. I hate his guts. Yeah. So. That's that's Peter Berg. He also directed uh, ba- uh, the Battleship film. Yeah, he directed I Battleship. refuse to see that, but I heard you know it has a reputation of being at, uh, just unwatchable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and that's why but, I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will give him. It seems like he's on a return upswing. Of he directed the new uh, Netflix series Painkiller, which is all about how fucking opium has been flooded into America via Vicodin mm-hmm. and in that one uh, pharma family who, the the Purdue family or whatever mm-hmm. so like the net, he did the Netflix kind of expose uh, dramatization uh, of that story oh yeah didn't that didn't it have like Kevin Costner or something it had like a, some big name had, Matthew like, Broderick some, Matthew Broderick yes the Kevin Costner of Comedy. <laughs> Comedy. <laughs> well, they missed the mark too with the the title the of that documentary. He yeah, never misses missed, the mark. Never misses the mark. But they could just call it <laughs> Florida for the yeah. Florida well, colon the movie. Yeah. Florida colon West Virginia. <laughs> I was gonna say or West Virginia colon the movie. Yeah, Boone County, baby. So <laughs> the reason why this this movie is significant too is that this was uh, Wes Craven's dive into Alive Films, which was a horror franchise-based production company owned by Alice Cooper's manager, which is why in a lot of these 
uh, a live films, you're going to see cameos from Alice Cooper. And also too, they have kick-ass soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, this Prince one of Darkness is, was, uh, this was, a, yeah. Prince of Darkness was in a live, a live film, right? Mm-hmm. Steve yes. and I are big, yes. big, big Prince of Darkness fans. Yeah. So, and then two for shocker, we saw tons of great, great music in this one as well. So you're looking at the likes of, of course, Iggy Pop, Megadeth, Bonfire, Soraya, Dudes of Wrath, Voodoo X, Dead On. I mean, these are incredible, incredible bands that contributed to one of the coolest soundtracks you could have had in the late 80s, especially when it came to something that Wes Craven was doing, because more commonly you saw these 80s slasher films have more of the uh, orchestra based concert based soundtracks to build suspension. Uh, but this movie actually utilized hair metal, baby. So it was pretty cool. There, it, as uh, a cool soundtrack, there's a lot of good. There's some, there's some bangers, bangers in this movie. Yeah, and then Alive Films also, uh, their idea was to punch out low cost horror films, but they gave directors the benefit of having full control. So this kind of played back into Wes Craven, who has gone on record to say. You know, creating Freddy was very liberating for him creatively, but it didn't pay the bills. He didn't really make a lot of money off the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series. Um, so when he init initially created Shocker, it had a rating of X and he had to submit 13 very significant submissions to get it to reach the final rating of R. And this is where the cult like desires come into this thing because there's a rabid fan base for shocker, believe it or not. And they want the unedited <laughs> version where apparently there's lots of finger biting and uh, apparently people really like that shit. So I, uh, would, I don't like, I, I, I appreciate people who are like, you know, cult fans of like very like niche movies of the cult fan bases. I want to hang out with. I don't know that shocker, gang or necessarily <laughs> the ones i hang out with but i'm i'm expecting a lot of like super edgelord you know 28 year old white dudes you know that kind of that i there's a very specific crowd that i would expect are super into shocker yeah i'm 37 <laughs> sir thank you very much you can take that <laughs> <laughs> but you can get um, you can get not the unrated version, but you can get a version of it with some of the extra splatter in it uh, from Shout Factory, who bought the distribution rights and they had a Blu-ray come out in September of 2015. So there's some of those edits that were put back into the original cut. And then last but not least, this was the this movie Shocker is the direct influence for an Xbox gold game called The Suffering. If you guys haven't played it, um, oh, one of the best about one of the best survival horror games that the Xbox had on its uh, hmm. premiere port. That sounds. I think that sounds familiar. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that one of those games that kind of like uh, was. What was the one that was like for PlayStation One that had a huge amount of uh, 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 you know controversy around it? It was called like. Ah, Are you thinking it. of Thrill Kill? Yeah, but wasn't this like the spiritual sequel to Thrill Kill or something? Or I think I it was made. Different? I think it was made by the same developer, mm -hmm. but Thrill Kill was like a four-on-four -four fighting game, mm -hmm. 
uh, whereas the suffering is actually just kind of more straight along the lines of like uh, you know a survival horror, but like mm. you got monster powers and shit, and you're in jail. Yeah. You had some more RPG, loose RPG upgradable attributes that you can kind of add as you go through the game. I loved it. Uh, and it had multiple endings too. So they actually mm-hmm. used the Horace Pinker uh, character in it. And it, it, the same backgrounds there, like he had a family, he may have killed him, he not have killed him. And depending on the choices you make throughout the game, that's the kind of ending you get. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool to see that. Mm. So did they explain what the fuck comes out of the TV? no no one ever explains i like to believe it's a rolling stones album that comes out of the tv and just gives them a little <laughs> right on the lips and says i'm with you now <laughs> <laughs> but before you even get to the lips coming out of the tv you gotta let everybody know who you think's gonna be the main protagonist in this thing and it's just an endless array of people being brought up to be knocked down and we start off with lieutenant don parker Uh, So he's on the opening credits where there's an endless manhunt for a serial killer that's terrorizing a small town, a suburban town. And the big thing about this is that the murders are gruesome. It's full families and the murderer leaves absolutely zero trace for the police to build a case on. Um, Of course, we come to find out that later on down the road that there's no way that should have happened because of the significant limp that Horace Pinker has. But that comes into play as we get through about, I don't know, the first quarter of the movie. But the credits go by way too quick and it cuts directly to John Parker, Jonathan Parker. Everyone calls him Johnny. He is the epitome of the 1980s All-American football star. He wants to be in the record books and it's him in practice and it's it's a complete parody of itself. So. He and another guy that he befriends named Rhino, they're going, they're lining up against each other. And all Rhino can talk about is how much tail John gets while he can't catch a goddamn football to save his life. And he keeps staring. So John keeps staring over at his girlfriend, Allison, who at the onset looks so different from everybody else. I think Wes Craig did that on purpose where everybody around her was like dark hair, dark eyes, dark clothing. And she was almost like ethereal when she was standing there to begin with very like light behind and blonde hair just wisping in the wind and these yeah. beautiful blue eyes. Mm-hmm. This is our beautiful Aryan angel. You have yes. to pay attention to her. <laughs> yeah. The other cool thing that happened too, is that you got to see uh, Johnny get CTE in real time because leading up to uh, where we start to get introduced to the killer, he runs full force into the goalpost like a dumb dumb mm-hmm. uh, gets and gets plowed out. And his coach allows him. And I don't know if you guys played football when you were growing up, but the coach was like kind of empathetic with him. Like, hey, man. I know you're staring at pussy, so we can kind of forgive the fact that you slammed your head against a goalpost. Why don't you yeah. go ahead on over there, and chill out, go have a seat, go 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 take. Why don't you sit a play out there, bud? So we're, as he goes over, we're doing Allison, comedy bits. We're doing comedy bits because he goes over a table after this. Yeah. yeah. So as he goes over, he clearly has a concussion, probably level three. He should go to the hospital, but his coach is like, nah, man, you go hug that girl. You'll be fine. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Listen, Knocks I, over an entire I table did, of Gatorade. I did play football, although it was not in 1989. It was in the, the early 2000s. 
And um, even in the early 2000s, giving yourself CTE was like, was pretty cool. <laughs> like it was a pretty cool thing it to ruled. do. It ruled. They would be like, here, you guys line up 10 yards apart. You two, like 200 pound, you know, 18 year olds now run at each other head first from 10 yards, 15 yards away. And we're going to all get boners. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you'd go, you know, back to the locker room with your ears ringing uh, with a minor concussion and just be like, that was sick. Great day of practice. And, <laughs> and they, and coach would be like, yeah, you guys really fucking killed it out there. Yeah. Not <laughs> getting the shower. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I have CTE 100%. Yeah. I, there's a reason why I watch like Swiss cheese. Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason why I watch you, horror movies and laugh at the gore. Cause I've hit my head too many times. <laughs> yeah. I have what uh, doctors called back then. Uh, poo brains. <laughs> are we also are we also supposed to assume that his head injury gave him superpowers whoa like to easy have tiger a tele, to have a telekinetic <laughs> connection with his father i like to believe that it was always dormant and the goalpost just woke it up that's mm. all i'm saying uh, yeah that's yes. how i took it it just rattled something just loose enough absolutely for, for, for the powers to to get in there that's what I, yeah. that's how i took it yeah, it's like that last grain of sand in your pocket. You just got to shake it a little bit more and it comes out. Yeah. Mm. So, so okay. after he completely concusses himself and tries to remember who Allison is, it looks like they're going on a walk together and he's like, whoa, this looks like my childhood street. Like, well, why the hell are you walking there? It's the complete opposite direction of where you actually live. Allison disappears and he sees a van outside of what he identifies as child home. And it says Pinker's TV repair on this shitty windowless free candy van. So then for some reason, Johnny decides, well, now I got to go in the house because who the hell gets their TV repaired this late at night? And upon entry, he finds his foster brother dead in the entryway with his fingers completely severed off of his hand. And you have to remember, it's the pinky the ring and the middle finger because he will later use that to identify that he can dream about this stuff and prove to his dad that he's not lying. But as he continues on through the house and he ascends the stairs, he can hear his foster mother screaming for help. So when he goes into the upstairs room, he can see his foster mother protecting his younger foster sister. And there's our killer for the first time in full view Horace Pinker with a Rambo sized knife and he is just talking reckless shit. <laughs> and he that's is. what he, he is. He, he, he spits. He spits some shit. Horace does. He, he really He's does. At, here's what Horace is good at swearing. Yes. Grade yeah. A level like he's platinum level swearer. Loves to do a cuss. <laughs> Loves to do some cussing. He's the first in. guy that's used peckerhead and didn't make me laugh. Yeah, peckerhead, <laughs> dickhead. I yeah. love. I really think more people should call each other dickheads. I think it's a really funny insult. Calls people <laughs> dickheads. You know, he's just and he just he. If you're gonna swear, you, you gotta like do it with some like viscera coming out. Like he spits when he says it. You know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He says it with his chest. Mm -hmm. He really right. brings it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Somehow in this fever dream, Pinker can see Johnny 
in the dream realm turns to Johnny and asks him if he wants to watch as he murders his beloved family. And that's when Johnny leaps forward and dives through Pinker, uh, you know, bad effects right there. But we understand what he's trying to do. And he wakes up next to Allison, who, for some reason, even though they ha- they're chast with each other, they haven't gone all the way, even though they've been together for a while. She stayed overnight in the same bed. Very respectful. Very respectful. <laughs> they've been together for over a year and they ain't boned. No, dude. Like it's it's a lot. Isn't also she in the bathtub while he's having bad dreams? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like a, you know, a nightmare reference because now the girlfriend's in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of nightmare references. Uh, One may say that this is Nightmare on Elm Street part, you know, 2.0. This is Nightmare on Side Story. Yeah. This movie's actually three movies in one, but I don't want to spoil what the other two movies are yet. But it's a nightmare film and it's two other films and I'll reveal them uh, later on. Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to guess what they are. I, I also say it's a mashup of two films, but it also incorporates Wes Craven smoking doinks with his executive producer and pitching it to him. So. Yeah. <laughs> I have a note about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the phone rings next to Allison. She picks it up and it is Lieutenant Parker telling Johnny what he already comes to know from his dream. His entire foster family is dead, aside from his foster father, who lives on uh, to investigate the crimes and try to find this mysterious serial killer. So it, the, the story is very. There's two halves to this movie in the first half of this movie. It's very gritty. It's much akin to a, a good old fashioned, straightforward 1980s slasher. But then it gets into some goof ass shit shit in the second half. And this is where we start to crest into goof ass shit. Mm -hmm. Because after the funeral where they bury the foster mother and all the foster siblings, Johnny and his father go to a bar where he orders a Diet Coke. Fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) Don't understand that one. Yeah. Come on, Johnny. Grow up. Um, but he Johnny tells his dad or tries to tell his dad that he can dream about the murders and the dad just not believing him has a huge blow up runs out of the bar and Johnny follows and he goes I'm telling you I can see it because my brother lost these three fingers in the foyer it was this one this one and this one and that's the only thing the dad needed to hear to be like by God this boy can dream murders. Yeah, that's it. Not I saw a picture, not I read a thing that said that, not I talked to a person who saw it. It's literally, you're right. You have telepathic capabilities. Yeah. You're a magic boy. Yeah. <laughs> no Papa, other, there is no, <laughs> there's no, there's no more reasonable conclusion that I can come to. <laughs> it might be the Diet Coke talking, but I can't think of anything more reasonable. By the way, in 1989, the dad threw down a $5 bill to pay for two fingers of Jack Daniels and Diet Coke. I'm just Big saying tipper. that's a pretty good deal. Big tipper. <laughs> yeah. Good Uncle, tip. Penny, Uncle Penny bags over here. Yeah. It's a cop bar. Got a tip well. Got to. <laughs> 
So then this is where the fun begins because of course Johnny's able to talk his dad into going to the Pinker TV repair shop because you know my brubby lost his three fingers. So as they show up, one cop, Pastori, who we'll see later on, goes, ah, we can't enter. We don't have a warrant, you know, like good cops would say. But <laughs> the lieutenant here decides that they're just actually responding to a breaking and entering call. So they don't need a warrant and they'd proceed to kick the door in. Mm -hmm. And this is where I like to say the merge begins. Right. Because at this point, we've seen a dream sequence murder and some like vignettes in the opening credits where you're not too sure of how significant the brutality will be from Horace Pinker. But about three minutes in, we see the first responding officer going around a corner by himself to light up a cigarette and not pay attention to a goddamn thing, despite the fact they're trying to go after a serial murderer. And uh, Horace Pinker is also known to build mazes because he has a false wall that he's able to pull back and bring the officer in to then absolutely mutilate him. Uh, and instead of actually, I can't, yeah. I can't fault the cop for not expecting a Scooby Doo trap. <laughs> yeah, you got to be listen. You got to be ready for anything. I get it. But yeah, that's a, that's a, that's that's tough. <laughs> All I'm saying is, is when you walk in and you're like, hey, what are we going in here for? And they don't say we're trying to rescue a kitten from a tree. You should probably be a little more focused on going into <laughs> a depraved TV gotta repair shop. Got to keep my head on a swivel. There might be a Scooby-Doo. Get your head in the game, Pulaski. Every, every cop walks in and goes, all right, I got to be careful. If I pull a candlestick, the whole mantle might spin around on me. <laughs> he just hears like in the background like, oh fuck here it is <laughs> so pinker being the intelligent serial killer that he is knows he has to uh, use home field advantage to overcome the numbers so the guy the cop that he murders he then takes the uniform off him which magically fits very well horace pinker looks like a million bucks in this cop's outfit so i mean I, that was just good eyeing up right there but when he comes out, he's able to get the jump on roughly five different officers. And instead of looking him in the eye as he comes around the corner, they look at his feet, which even looking at his feet, you would see that he walked up to you with the worst limp anybody can possibly have. And they didn't question that at all. They just said, OK, that's the guy that went in that didn't have a limp, who is about 50 pounds lighter. But he's good. We're fine. And that's where you see one of the most gruesome post-death death corpses of this movie where there's a police officer just flayed out across a, a squad car and he has the handcuffs opened up to show the teeth and it's jammed into his jugular and he has the old like Ringu face with his mouth wide open. and oh, He's ah. all like twisted and cartoonish and shit. Yeah. yeah that's weird. I love it because it's just it's so over the top. And it kind of lets the audience know, like, all right, this movie is about to get absolutely nuts. It's not it going to make literally sense. literally goes from it goes from this like you think it's going to be this super gritty, um, I don't know, crime drama type of thing to just fucking Bugs Bunny. Yeah. So yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah. Because I in the beginning, I haven't seen this film before. Mm. So. Watching it, I was like, okay, where are we? I assume at some point he gets electric powers. 
but like is it in the vein of silence of the lambs which it kind of is it's you know closer to that in the beginning than it not but then it it goes fucking batshit cartoon time and the Mm -hmm. first hint is this cop splayed out with his goof ass face on and it's just like (laughs) okay that's kind of weird like it it reminded me of who framed roger rabbit yeah. The way he that the way he was like I immediately thought of that's how a tune dies in Toontown. Yeah, this yeah. film is is a successive number of mounting red flags of somebody's substance abuse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's why I love it so much. And that's why I, this movie, whenever I was posed with, you know, you have to pick an eighty slasher that nobody else has made a sequel to or recreated. I was like, I instantly knew it was this one because it's so <laughs> fucking weird. Because it carries on from here, and, and I actually labeled this part of my notes a birthday surprise because <laughs> this is <laughs> this is where it all goes just absolute bonkers. So, of course, the drop off on Pinker forces him into hiding. So he's. They don't even show where he's at, but he's in some kind of like high ride set of apartments. But somehow he has a fully furnished apartment with a radio that has probably the most dog shit reporter on there who doxes Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, did. I didn't realize like, that. That's how silly yeah, like, that is. They're like, hey, yeah, uh, before we didn't know anything about this guy, but you know, Johnny that lives over on 123 Pleasant Street absolutely id'd horace pinker and he was able to give the police all his information and johnny's a football star and basically here's his birth date and social security number (laughs) yeah one this is this is adult contemporary pianist john tesh be aware of that (laughs) two he also announces basketball gimme 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 the rock because i'm gonna dunk it (laughs) He also announces that Johnny did all this through dreams. Yes. If you yeah. said that shit on the news, anything outside of Newsmax or OAN, you would mm-hmm. be laughed at completely. Like he identified a killer through his dreams. Are you fucking joking me right now? Yeah, it's it's it, it becomes, you know, uh, coast to coast AM or something like that. All this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Art, a uh, longtime listener, first time caller. I just want to let you know I saw a ser- serial killer in my dreams. He took my brother's <laughs> fingers. Yeah. I was able to identify him and convince my dad that I knew about dream murders. So, of course, after Pinker hears exactly where to go and exactly what time, he most certainly shows up and waits for Johnny to leave for football practice at the behest of Allison who is taking a seductress bath uh, in the bathroom and Johnny could not be bothered. He wanted to lay in his recliner and do pull-ups or whatever the hell he was doing over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, uh, he did give Allison the uh, heart necklace that comes into play throughout the film, despite the fact that nobody can keep their goddamn hands on it. But once Johnny leaves, roughly... Two minutes after Horace enters the the house and absolutely destroys Allison, leaving her in a bathtub full of her own bath water and blood, which sounds disgusting. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, of course, 
because this movie has now gone to goof troop levels, uh, Johnny is at football practice where the coach, who is the only coach that I can see, gets called away from practice and nobody gives a shit to take a phone call to then come back and only tell Johnny, you need to go home. Why, coach? Why should I go home? Oh, you just need to go home. Coach is a dick. <laughs> he yeah. didn't give any kind this of warning. This reminded me so much of a, a, a quick anecdote, a quick story. When I was a kid, I was on a rope swing up in the woods with my friends, and uh, I uh, fell off and rolled down this big hill, and a stick jammed through my cheek and into my mouth. Like it literally was going ah, like through Ugh. my cheek and into my mouth. And I pulled it out, and it was gushing blood everywhere. I had to get like stitches on like the both inside and outside. It was gross. I we were like maybe 200 yards from my friend's house. I went down to my friend's house, didn't know what to do, knocked on the door. I was like nine years old, 10 years old, knocked on the door uh, and was like, hey, can you, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm a child and I'm severely injured. And uh, my friend's um, super stone dad just goes, uh, you should go home. <laughs> so I rode my bike like three miles home with a giant hole in my face and this just reminded me of that so much he was just like uh bad stuff's happening just go home i don't want to deal with it party's over you gotta leave you gotta go home you're gonna be a real downer to everyone here I was like, he's like but i still have to go run into the field goal post though can you give me a second to go yeah. i need to dream but <laughs> when he gets there it's also a continued failure on the police because this is the second time now they just let this guy get onto a crime scene he just gets mm -hmm. to go right in and just absolutely screw up an investigation yeah uh, of course he sees allison in the bathtub full of bath water and blood and he vows to bring pinker to justice mm -hmm. um, but this is where he you know they got to find more lambs for the slaughter pretty much and we've seen throughout the first couple scenes here that uh, Johnny relies heavily on his football teammates. So that camaraderie is there. So, you know, that, like half of them are going to get slaughtered. So, of course, Johnny picks Rhino, who's the guy he was leading, lining up against at the uh, practice, the onset of the movie here. And there's an idea that they share together where they'll sit in the car together at the football field. Johnny goes to sleep. And once he starts to convulse, Rhino is supposed to wake him up because Johnny will figure out where pinker is and that's exactly how it played out mm. so johnny goes to bed he has a convulsion after seeing pinker start to accost a family in another apartment where he's telling a mother that he's going to kill her and then kill her child the mother of course is screaming out please don't kill my baby johnny in the dream state jumps into the building and it goes up the stairs on the landing and confronts Pinker when they have a brief conversation where there's lots of cussing, mm -hmm. of course. And that's when Johnny has a full-blown seizure and somehow Rhino is able to bring him out of a deep REM sleep and what appears to be an aneurysm. And that's when Johnny <laughs> goes, uh, basically has like a Keanu Reeves, I know Kung Fu moment. Is I know exactly where he is. <laughs> so he wakes up from... A, like a concussion induced seizure and he just instantly starts the car and starts driving towards the address that he saw in his dream because this worked out before it's going to work out again so upon arrival 
they are met by Lieutenant Parker and a whole squadron of cops because they've been watching Johnny closely because, of course, this dream child just knows where to find the murderers. So we better tail them. They try to hold dream child. eh? yeah. Uh. See? <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so uh, when they try to enter the building, they're stopped. And of course, Pastori is the officer that we keep seeing that's trying to hold Johnny and Rhino back. Johnny just leans into Rhino. He's like, you know what to do. And Rhino runs Pastori over. So Johnny and Rhino come flying into the house. And of course, it's the exact scene that Johnny saw in the dream. And then at that point, everyone's accosting Pinker, who somehow is able to break away up the stairs while everyone just stares at the steps going like steps are a new concept. Do I go up them forwards or sideways? Do I run? Do I walk? They're the slowest there's moving a bunch cops. Of, there's a bunch of us here. Who yeah. goes first? <laughs> <laughs> so as they continue to have like a puzzling moment, Horace is of course getting a huge head start, but that's okay because it leads to a rooftop showdown that is reminiscent of Jason takes Manhattan between Johnny and Pinker because Pinker is able to skip across two of the building complexes, but he pulls away the walkway. So Johnny has to take a running start with Rhino saying, there's no way you're going to do that. But the movie has to be made. So of course, Johnny gets across the gap lands and they get into a, a decent brawl, but you can definitely tell that Johnny's completely outmatched by the muscle and the desire to get away from Pinker. And just as Pinker's about to just absolutely shove that huge Rambo blade right into the rib cage of Johnny, he gets stopped by the police. And this is where, this is the most unbelievable part of the movie to me. Not the supernatural powers we're going to get into. I would say not the single most. <laughs> this is it right here. All right, all right. Hear me out. This guy has killed over 30 people. He walked across a ladder in between a like a 30 foot drop. He has he knows that he has this connection with a guy psychically. He knows that if he gets caught, he's most likely going to die. And he gave up so easily. He didn't fight at all. The cops are all there and he's like, this is it. Okay, guys, I know I've done some bad stuff, but it's time for me to go. I appreciate it. He yeah. got me. Uh, it's all because he has a plan B, Matt. He knows the TV devil. He gets he he's exactly. That's what I was going to say. This is just all part of his plan. Yeah. Mm. What's what would have been nice about that, though, is if we would have saw more of the black magic and the dark arts throughout the movie to let you know that was going to happen next. Because as a 12 year old who watches for the first time, I was just going but why would you stop? Why wouldn't you just fight? <laughs> well, look, I said the same thing at, you know, 30 plus, And I said, well, why wouldn't he just kill him? But there's more to be revealed. He knows the TV devil. He has a deeper link with Johnny. There's a whole lot more. And now I, I, I get the psychology of why he just gave up. Mm. You know? I'm, gl- I'm <laughs> glad I could lead you down that path. It was all a trick. I'm glad. <laughs> so. Another criticism that I have of the movie, but also makes it kind of endearing is that these little like bridging scenes that they put in between climactic situations. So most notably here 
we see that that big fight transpires between Johnny and Pinker. And then Johnny just has another moment to dream where Allison gives him the heart necklace really kind of just like poorly Lego pieced in there, but you need it because it's exposition for later on down. Mm -hmm. So at this point, again, my notes are labeled. Awesome. I put in here, Pinker becomes supernatural because much as we're taking this downward spiral, this is where it gets real off the chain. So Pinker is literally making a deal with the devil in the TV in his jail cell while he awaits the electric chair. He has been fast tracked for the death penalty. And it's kind of a cool setup where he had a full black candle array around around himself with a TV mounted on the ceiling and he was able to get jumper cables to come out the back where he's being electrocuted and he's begging the TV, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And that's where we see what we can only assume to be some kind of demonic entity come out of the TV and tell him that I'm going to give it to you, baby, and shoot directly <laughs> into his chest. Yeah, there's this weird subgenre, which usually happened more in the early 80s and the late 80s of essentially like nuclear age sci-fi except for substitute nuclear or you know Haley's comet or something for TV mm -hmm. and then they we did it again in the like late 90s early 2000s where we just substituted TV for the internet yes and this was kind of late for this like i think of like videodrome and stuff like that where it's yeah. like you know uh well oh boy, there's a bunch of other what's the what's the other one um with uh well the 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 hop the hop between this and internet is uh vr with lawnmower man oh lawnmower man the, yeah there you go like yeah. uh, uh i was gonna say terror vision too had a similar thing oh yeah, yeah terror vision where yeah. it would be you know oh we don't entirely know the limitations of this technology. So let's um, make it magic. <laughs> not only do we not know, but we know our audience knows less. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but th this, fuck them. <laughs> this was, uh, this was a little late for that. Like, yeah, you know, we pretty much had a pretty good handle on TV in 1989. Yeah. Yeah. So it's at this point, like the, Pinker gets the devil powers and then they go to probably the coolest shot in the film of this one take that's circling the electric chair and you see everybody's getting in the place and they're playing no more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. But also this is where I wrote the note. Did Wes Craven have a cocaine problem? Oh, he yeah. did. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> he's free basin. Is this a good time, Steve, yeah. for me to guess what the three movies are that you said this makes up? Or am I too uh, early? Not yet. Okay, no. Okay. Let's let's wait. I'll reveal another one after he gets his powers. Okay. I have three movies written down. One of them is, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street, but there's two other right. ones. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so yeah, it, go on, Matt. <laughs> before we get to that incredible scene, there is one of the best practical effects in the movie too. Here, where 
when Pinker gets shocked, the guards have a duty to try to, you know, make sure they can resuscitate him because they want to kill him. They don't want him to kill himself because they feel like they're going to get fired if he dies on their watch. So one of the yeah. one of the guards goes to give him CPR and gives him I think it's his third breath when he goes down Pinker grabs on or bites into his bottom lip and then you can see the guard pull away and it's just it's perfectly done pulling away the bottom lip and the blood just starting to pour down and the the, the exposed teeth and the stretching it was there was one of the coolest shots in the movie and then it leads into the next shot which you said absolutely spot on it's they show just the grittiness of the the area where the, the electric chair is and juxtapose that with no more Mr. Nice Guy, knowing that they're going to bring this guy in who clearly has wanton disregard for anything and everything that's alive because he just bit off the fingers of a guard and bit the bottom lip off a guard and took mm-hmm. an ass whooping and he's still talking shit when they bring him in. Yeah, the, this was the most like maximum overdrive moment that i could think of because you, you have the 80s rock over something that should be like horrific and upsetting but it's done in such a stylized way and it's just like yeah the right now west craven is on his stephen king shit yep. he is fucking gacked out of his mind and he's like this fucking rules that's one of my that's one of the two movies i've written down in addition to, in addition to nightmare <laughs> So this is where we see one of the big reveals, other than the fact that Pinker does practice the black arts, the dark arts, um, that he said during his ability to give his last words that I used to beat your mama real good until you shot me in the knee. Like father, like son, you had murder in your eyes. So you get to know if you didn't already guess it, that Johnny is Horace Pinker's son. And that the reason why he was a foster child is because, of course, Horace Pinker is not a good father. Yeah. You hear uh, it, this is the only thing about making it a, of announcing it early that it's his foster family is you pretty much knew. Yeah. Immediately. As soon as you heard the word foster, you were like, oh, he's the killer's son. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like because they made it a very big point to be like your foster sister, your foster brother. Yeah, not your sister, yeah. not your brother. And then later yeah. you learn foster. No, they kept calling it out. You're like, oh, he's the killer son. Got it. Yeah. And also, too, at one point, he's like, he called uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Parker, like, you've always been like a dad to me. So, like, you are my yeah. dad. <laughs> and he calls him Dawn a lot, too. So, like, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm not too bothered with the fact that they're just revealing it now. It is wild that we're 40 minutes into this movie before he gets his shocker powers. Yes. Like, that's crazy. And also, the movie is almost two hours long. Yes. That's a lot. There's a lot. And then you're telling me there's longer cuts of this film? Jesus. This is Maximum Ojo. This is him. You are a thousand percent right. I have it written down. I didn't put down Stephen King, but I put Maximum Overdrive, Drugs and Ego shit. This is Wes Craven's... You know, yeah, drugs and ego yeah. shit. And it, it, I wasn't even Maximum Overdrive isn't the film I'm. I, I think this is built out of. I just think Wes Craven's in the same mindset. Well, that that's Stephen why King I was. put it down. Yeah, I, I basically yeah. was like, yeah, this was 
him but he instead of him going i can direct everyone else has fucked up all my movies as a, you know so you know if everybody's gonna dick up all my my movies when they do their directing i'll just do my own directing instead it was him going i'm more than freddie i'm wes craven i'm i'm you know i'm the second best horror writer in the world right now um so yeah. i could figure this out uh you know and also drugs <laughs> and drugs and also all the old cars that are in this film are just him giving the finger to john carpenter he's like fuck you and fuck christine and fuck stephen king yeah and fuck I'm- stephen king yeah if you think that in 1989 west craven didn't have such a hard on for stephen king you're nuts <laughs> and stephen king was like even you know kind of had it made it a point to like talk about how great west craven was like he would do that mm-hmm. back in the day, but they both are very ego driven. You knew there was a lot of, uh, uh, of competition between the two of them. Yeah. He's, and he's just fucking ripped out of his mind. Yeah. Had to be. Yeah. I, I couldn't find any, I, I couldn't actually find any evidence of that, but it's just like the film itself is evidence of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, also just look at a picture of him in that oh, yeah. era. He <laughs> just looks blown out at all times. Yeah. I mean, if you had money, in the 80s you were a coke addict oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and everybody if, had money <laughs> yeah especially if you were like a best-selling author like you had money to burn and yeah. the way you burned that is on cocaine on the old booger sugar yeah <laughs> there is a story of robert england and dawkin doing rails off the F- freddy glove <laughs> so that's good enough for me i guess yeah like that's confirmation Craven wasn't there yeah yeah <laughs> so much like you i could already assume when they throw the switch this is exactly when pinker gets his powers and this is also too where you get two things that i don't know the jump scare you got whenever they couldn't find horace's body was kind of okay but you also see the first possession he gets to commit when a female doctor who is already against the death penalty comes in and try to check his pulse that's when pinker takes her body over by electrocuting her, which causes everyone to freak out and try to help her. Yep. So then you fast forward to her being taken out of the prison and they can't get an ambulance there fast enough. So past story, our wonderful police officer, Mr. Barney Fife says, load her into the car. I'll take her to the hospital myself. Cue one minute and 45 seconds down the road. She is gone full evil dead and she's taking bites out of people's necks and the car crashes, but miraculously, Pastori is launched upwards of a gajillion feet away from the vehicle mm-hmm. where he is found and then transported to the hospital where his brothers in arms will sit there with him to make sure that he stays in the hospital bed. Or does he? <laughs> <laughs> because this is exactly where the movie, like I said before, just... It continues to go off the rails, but in a great way because it just becomes it becomes fun. It goes from very gritty, very just slasher esque to almost horror comedy, which is why I like this movie a lot, because we get to the part where I like to call it. It's, it's body shaming because <laughs> uh, Pastori shows up at Johnny's house and is knocking on the front door and saying, Hey, your dad sent me to take you down to the police department. So come on, come out of the house right now. I'm going to take you downtown. And the conversation between the door, 
has Pastore raising his voice and getting belligerent towards Johnny. And that's when the answering machine pops off and you hear someone saying, hey, Pastore left the hospital. Uh, we don't know where he is. And that's when Johnny really takes a good look out the keyhole and sees that Pastore looks like Frankenstein's monster. And that's when he pulls a revolver out and you find out why Horace Pinker used a knife and not a gun. Because from this point forward, every single gunshot from that serial killer's hand missed by a mile. There's (laughs) not a shot that came close to anybody except for one shot that Pastore launched out during the chase in the park where it winged Johnny in the right arm. It only grazed him enough to where he kind of like, oh, ow. Well, no, he gets he gets another one because he shoots he shoots that jogger in the ass. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He shoots him in the small of his back because that's Wes Craven's son. And he wanted to make sure he gave him a yeah. part in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is where the body shaming comes in because Johnny is just simply outrunning Pastore because despite the fact that Pinker takes over a body, he still has to bring one, the limp on with him. But he also take has to take on the body's limitations that he takes over. And Pastore, you know, he didn't pass physical fitness tests too much. He wasn't really uh, he wasn't really up for jogging all that far. And Johnny, like I said before, is an all-American football star. So and he makes reference to that. He's like, I'm outrunning you. You're running out of energy. And that's where he Pinker pipes the jogger in the back and slowly inches over, takes him over. And then we see the jogger then take over an eight year old's body, which has the (laughs) same foul mouth as Pinker, but also can drive a bulldozer. (laughs) yeah that's pretty tight yeah it's just like you fucker let's go yeah i loved it so much because at this point i'm just like this is all looney tunes bullshit and i can't wait to see what happens next so of course yeah somehow the little girl is found by her mother and the mom is trying to like stop johnny from touching her because of course a mother sees her child being manhandled by a grown man she wants to stop that and as she runs up, the the daughter, see, of course, Pinker sees the bomb and says, oh, well, there's a more able body. So I'm going to take her over. And that's when we meet the biggest beefcake in the entire movie. I fell in love as soon as he walked on because it's Alice Cooper is a guitar player. He came on and he's like, I'm part of the village people. I'm here to save you. And that's when the mom's able to transfer into this jacked Hulk of a construction worker. And at that point, Pinker knew that he had to take over bodies that either had skills or strength, because at that point, the construction worker is able to use a pickaxe to almost take out Johnny's head. But he catches a hold of the enchanted necklace from Allison and launches it into the (laughs) middle of the lake Hmm. while Johnny screams. No. So is this Kane Roberts? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. This is Kane, <laughs> this is Kane Roberts. He is also known as the writer of the Man Behind the Mask from uh, the Freddy uh, from the Friday, Friday the Thirteenth series. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the other? Which is one of the other two films I think this film is made out of. Mm. Uh, it's made out of Jason Goes to Hell before Jason Goes to Hell came out. Yeah. Because Jason Goes to Hell was all about just Jason transferring body to body. body to body. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought about that, but yeah, it was it, it was way after that. But then I also thought of Gremlins too because of the electricity <laughs> Gremlin. Um, mm-hmm. But then that was also after this, right? Too. 
Um, right. It was after this, but I'm just yeah. saying like Wes Craven had all these great ideas and shoved them in the one movie. Yeah. And then they were just later cannibalized out. Mm. You know, you go, oh, I can take all this out of one movie and then make a whole nother movie around it. Oh, fantastic. I also thought Evil <laughs> Dead because of the weird juxtaposition between uh, uh, it being like super gory and brutal and super silly. But mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say this pulls it off quite as gracefully <laughs> as Evil Dead. No, it's because it, it, it doesn't happen enough like between each other and then just. Horace is too mean like he's like he's yeah like for all the cartoonist bullshit he does he's still just a real sour you know just unlikable person that yeah I mean that was not fun that was the that was the weird juxtaposition here is like I don't mind the whole okay brutal serious and then get silly but like when you have a movie that's so based like on the killer and and in the killer being such the like key character of the movie, um, it felt like they made him so brutal and hateable, but they stopped. He stopped being a monster because they show. First of all, they showed him too much for him to be an effective monster, but also mm-hmm. he was too comedic to be really an effective monster. So like, if you're gonna make somebody that. Like if you want somebody to be on screen a lot and, you know, be the I don't want to say anti-hero, but you know what what Michael and Jason and Freddie became, you can't make him like that. You know, like yeah. Freddie, Freddie, as soon as they saw that he had some 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 heat on him that they could capitalize on him as a character they they kind of buried the whole oh he's a child uh child molester slash killer you know what i mean they were like ah right. yeah 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 we probably should chill on that stuff but with horror chill chill chill, chill, chill. <laughs> but with horace they were like no we're gonna go hard and i think that my friends is the cocaine talking <laughs> oh yeah yes yeah there's nothing more he there's nothing he loves more than just swearing and killing women and just being fucking out of his mind. Yeah. And like, yeah. And, and also like the it's, it's comedic with possessing, uh, the child, but also like you're endangering a child. Yes. So it's, I, I don't know. Well, Hell yeah, he dude. also is just a, <laughs> <laughs> but he's also just like a dude, which I think the fact that Freddie is not a dude, like, yes, he was once a person, but they you rarely see him, especially until later on, as as a person. Freddy's a monster. He's a silly monster with a silly outfit and claw hands and a, a face that doesn't look entirely human. So you can just be like, oh, Freddy's a silly dream monster. Horace is yeah. a guy that like your dad works with, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and right. so he's too he's too real. He's too relatable. Yeah, he's too. <laughs> every, he's too every man. Yeah, there's a good chance Horace was in your dad's garage like after they came home from Vietnam. Yeah. yeah. Horace was that friend of your dad who smoked in the house and nobody wanted to like tell him he couldn't smoke <laughs> in the house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he was still kind enough to just put his butts out in the can. Yeah. You know, you right. you didn't have an ashtray, but he did just ash them in the can. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, right. 
So speaking of cocaine addicts, what do cocaine addicts always have more than anybody else? Plans. Energy. (laughs) (laughs) So that's exactly how the ending of this movie builds up to the end. It's three plans. So firstly here, we see that Rhino and Johnny meet with his coach and a guy they call Pac-Man. Looks like the equipment manager. And they try to develop a plan to go into the lake. At some point, for some reason, coach decides, I'm going to go to your house and get your swim mask. Pac-Man comes with me. Of course, it doesn't go well. So Johnny waits an hour and 45 minutes before he decides to go back to his house, even though his house is half an hour away. Upon arrival, finds coach in the shower, possessed by Pinker, absolutely can see it from a mile away. There's a struggle that happens. It's actually a really good fight scene, kind of like a they live situation where there's a lot of object throwing and uh, some pretty good strikes. So then at that point, he tries to uh, John tries to go into the closet to find his mask. And when he pulls the the cord for the light, he finds a dead Pac-Man rolling out of the closet. Absolutely brutalized. Turns around. And this is where another incredible scene that was cut short by the 13 submissions I had mentioned earlier, where the coach is trying to fight uh, Horace Pinker and he stabs himself in the hand. So from my understanding, from reading, in the outtakes, he's supposed to carve his hand through and cut his fingers off one by one. And then it's supposed to be like a close up of it to watch the fingers kind of pop off. But they're like, hey, man, mm. a little too gruesome. Mm. Um, so then Can't do so much fingy stuff. Yeah, a lot of finger stuff. And that's also coke driven. So <laughs> at that point, too, you you see that the coach is trying to fight Horace and the ghost of Allison appears to try to help coach understand that he can fight it. And of course, coach gives in <laughs> because because also to why not a ghost? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why not a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so coach stabs himself in the chest that forces Pinker out. Pinker and Allison have a quick showdown. Pinker gets molly whopped. That's when he figures out, oh, shit, I can be Thomas the tank engine and say, I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> and he uses his fingers to tap into the electrical system to then flow through the electric wires all throughout the city. And that's where the next plan comes into play because Lieutenant Parker was posted up the whole time when he heard the fighting called backup. But Johnny doesn't know that. So Donnie boy over here is trying to talk Johnny through, you know, hey, calm down. You'll be fine. And once he sees the dead bodies, he goes, and now you're going downtown and all my friends are behind you to take you in. So they cuff Johnny. They go to lead him out to the car. And right as they're ready to take him out. Donnie reaches down to a lamp, gets shocked, and guess what? He's possessed. Mm -hmm. So now, Lieutenant Parker is Lieutenant Pinker, and he says, I'll take Johnny down to the station myself. And from there, actually a pretty cool sequence of like a mini car chase, of course, more errant gunfire that gets nowhere (laughs) near a target. And it climaxes to both these actors climbing up a uh, a scaffolding, which we then come to find out is a, a TV broadcasting satellite where Pinker is then broadcasted into what he likes to call primetime, bitch. <laughs> and he gets launched. <laughs> yeah, the similarities are striking. Yeah, this fucking sequence is where like m- my <laughs> eyes are just rolling 
Like, not in the back of my head. They're just rolling because I don't know what the fuck I'm looking at anymore. I don't know. I, I don't understand why they're up on the tower. I don't know why they went there. And then there's this fucking ploy where Lieutenant Parker says, oh, my heart, and then goes down to a knee and then grabs onto the dish. And then that's when a uh, fucking shocker gets sent off on the airwaves. And, and Peter Berg is goes, well, what was that about the heart? You don't have a heart problem. He goes, I know. And you know, I don't. But he doesn't <laughs> no. know. Yeah, it's a classic. What the possum. fuck are you talking it's about? It's classic possum, Steve. Playing, it's, called, it's called playing possum. And I do like that he does the whole. You know that and I know that, but. He doesn't know that. It's just, just but he doesn't fun. know that he's not have, having while, a heart attack while yeah. he's hanging from a hundred yeah. foot yeah. sky. I know that you know that we know that he doesn't know that I I don't have a heart condition. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because he Shocker is happy because now he has access to the broadband dish. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, he thought he was being clever, and it was it was honestly the only thing I thought of was white christmas when the <laughs> the opening scene where he wants the, the 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 men to have you know time to watch bing crosby and danny fucking k do their little bit and he yeah. sends the private you know with the new general off the thing that's the only <laughs> thing i could think of that he was trying to mimic that scene but the logic didn't play out really right either yeah it, 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 i was so baffled and i was just confused at that point and my notes like really drop off after this point too because i'm just like whatever man you, you like i'm not deciphering a cokehead's fucking story anymore <laughs> this is not my re- your drug problem is not my responsibility exactly west craven that's, that's right it became Wesley my responsibility craven. and that's yeah. why i'm here today yeah <laughs> I did also. We are cocaine Sherpa. I, I did make a note as Mitch Pelleggi is fired off by the TV radio satellite. And I didn't know how true this would become, but I was like, oh, I kind of remember that movie Stay Tuned with John Ritter. And I go, oh, okay. That's weird. But, you know, surely it won't. It's weird that you just said John Ritter, too, because I'm looking at him on screen right now. Oh, fun. <gasps> Is he in Pumpkinhead it, 5? What are you watching? No. <laughs> Pumpkinhead 3 and 4 are already over. Yeah. And now it has started. Oh, OK. You're watching yeah. 90s It. OK. But yeah. yeah, I was like, surely this movie won't go down the route of stay tuned. And, you know, they fight inside the TV. Uh-huh. Surely that won't happen. <laughs> yeah, of course not. There's no way that they would. How dare they? The audacity. <laughs> only, a, only a fucking cokehead would think their serial killer movie needs to go into the TV with ghosts. That's and damn shit. right. Because audacity be damned, they do fight in the TV. <laughs> because yeah. Johnny was able to get the the necklace back from Allison in another dream sequence where all the victims of Horace are there and all of Johnny's family and friends that have been murdered by Horace. So he goes out, Johnny goes out and gets his football teammates to commit what we like to call a felony by going down to the local power station and absolutely blowing out the main transistor at 12 o'clock midnight on the dot. At the same time, Johnny goes out and somehow convinces an up and coming TV anchor to bring a live set into a bedroom where a murder was committed. And Johnny says, you stay here. I'm going to leave. I'll bring the killer to you. 
and the guy stays there while Johnny goes and takes a fucking nap while setting up a trap for Horace by setting up a TV at the foot of his bed. So as he passes out, of course, Horace comes out of the TV. Johnny wakes up and he doesn't see anything out of place at all. He sits in his recliner and guess what? He loves this fucking chair. (laughs) Horace is the goddamn recliner. The most friend. The most Freddy thing that could ever happen. I know. (laughs) Takes over the chair. He becomes a living object. And so then Johnny is forced to fight a chair. Johnny and Pinker go into a brawl and they end up in the TV. And they are going through wartime scenarios, live news. They pop out in someone else's house and they fight where this this woman who... It sounds like she's from the South. She's bitching about them fucking up her food. And then when they get back into the TV, they get on Leave it to Beaver, where <laughs> where Johnny's screaming, Beaver, Beaver. Which this is like awesome. that 80s. Like, it's just I can't imagine, a, you know, 16 year old watching this now. They would have no idea what the fuck was happening. Like for the, the entire third act of the movie would be lost on them. It'd be baffling. Yes. And then yeah. they're literally blown around the screen by, you know, the, the same atomic bomb footage we've all seen all the time. Yep. And then they're just blown around like paper. And it, I, I was so checked out. and <laughs> So <laughs> upset. <laughs> yeah. You had to know what to, yeah, I, I will be honest with you. I think this is the second or third time I've seen this movie. And I will be honest, I like it more the more times I watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is dog shit. <laughs> the second time I was like, okay. And then this time I was like, this is kind of fun. I mean, in a stupid, it's a bad, it's bad. Yeah. But so is my movie. I mean, my movie's bad too. But like, if you know what to expect and you can. Yeah. Pre prepare yourself for the wild juxtaposition. I couldn't from the first act to the second <laughs> act to the third act, because the first act, you're like, this is going to be like a gritty, uh, hard to watch serial killer story. No, sir. That's not what you're getting. Uh, you're getting just yuck ups, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that it's it's a weird juxtaposition. But if you're prepared for it, it. It goes down smoother. Yeah, I wasn't. I was I was yeah. watching the clock going 40 minutes in. He has no shocker powers yet. What the yeah. fuck? The TV devil. <laughs> what the fuck? Ghosts. Yeah, this movie could be called Shocker colon what the fuck. Yeah. 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 Ghost Lady Chest version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. <laughs> Timothy Leary. John Tesh. Ted Raimi it's completely just, underused. He, Fuck. <laughs> it's chaos. So the chaos uh, comes to its finale uh, as the two the two men fight through uh, a multitude of different TV stations and ending up back in the live studio presence where Johnny set up at the beginning of this plan that he had. Um, at that point, they are it's inception they're inside the tv but inside the filmography of the camera so then johnny understands that he can use the remote control to hit the pause button on horace and use it to manipulate him all around 
uh, and was able to freeze him in time. There is a back and forth about Johnny not knowing how to read his watch because it was broken while Rhino busts out the power at midnight Mm -hmm. because Johnny says once the power is out, whoever's left inside this weird contraption I've made will stay here forever. So then once they both realize that time is of the essence and the sand is running out of the dial, Johnny gets a final blow into Pinker sets the necklace around the camera and is able to jump through it through time and space through (laughs) the TV and out to just his TV. Somehow Mm -hmm. he jumped through the camera and found only his TV. He called on the other side. He said, give me, uh, you know, Johnny called the operator, you know, Johnny, right? Yeah. yeah, send me to Johnny's TV. Which TV? The upstairs one. Got it. Bingo. Right there. <laughs> Bingo, Bingo. called that shit and he yeah. went right through that thing. And Horace had his last try to scare Johnny by saying he'll always be there. And Johnny uses the remote to turn off the TV and to turn off the flames so he can walk out the front door and stare at the stars with the ghost of Allison, who says that she appreciates the stars, too. And there's never been a sequel <laughs> yeah, the ghost of Allison, and uh, that—that's the part that it didn't need to be there. Whatever, you know, it's fine. Um, he could just—it could just be a flashback memory, but no, it's the ghost of Allison. The—the yeah. the other thing is, why is Horace so scared of the necklace? Is it because it's just some sort of display of love, and he's bad, bad to the bone? Yeah, and he doesn't like lovey things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a heart, dude. Like he's, he's scared like of, a he's scared vampire of is a, it's like a vampire scared of a cross. He's scared of his heart. <laughs> right. Yeah. He doesn't know how to love. His son doesn't love him, but his son does love the dead lady victim that he mm. made. So I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this my whole that thing is with shocker. This movie, yeah, it's it's like I said, I, I, I've learned to appreciate it a little bit more as as I've watched it multiple times. Um, it's all about what you're in the mood for, but the problem is depending on what you're in the mood for, you're never fully satisfied by shocker (laughs) because if you want to watch some like kind of, you know, a little more hard boiled, you know, like scary, actually violent type of movie, well, you got that in the first act, but then that goes away pretty quick. So like you almost have to prepare yourself to watch this movie where like, you, you, you know, if you're craving that you take you watch for, and then like you have a couple beers or you like eat an edible when you start the movie. Yeah. Then by the time the second act kicks in, you're in the mood for a little wild my, crazy kids. My, my challenge to the audience and the world in general is like there has to be a perfected micro dosing schedule mm-hmm. of like. <laughs> Like you microdose the first time you see him limp or some shit like that. Like there's yes. a, there's a perfect schedule that like by the time the it starts to kick in, then you're already in cartoon times. You're somewhere yeah. in the broad daylight lake scene, and you're like, ah, kids and beefcake and bulldozers, hooray! <laughs> Listen, that's exactly. I got these capsules. They've they're they're mushroom. You know, they got the the yeah. ma- you know the magic mushroom, but they're capsules. They kick. It's perfect. It does some right. It's 45 minutes. You pop one of those things as soon as you press play. You're probably going to have a lot of fun. 
with the second and third acts. You know? By the time he gets his shocker powers, you're <laughs> you're coasting <Yeah>. upward. <laughs> you're really into the color of his jumpsuit, you know, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I love big swings. Yeah. So so I'm a big swing guy. So I appreciate some big swings. But like I if I, I like big swings that don't feel too tongue in cheek. And this feels very tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. uh, which I yeah. which, which I think rubs me the wrong way at times. I, I ultimately if I had to just summarize this, I would just say, like, it's just it's worse. Freddy. Yeah. Like it's the Freddy, the Freddy franchise is not my favorite, but when it's good, I love it. And like, this is a lot of the parts that I don't like about Freddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's and and like I'm a big proponent of if you're going to make a a, a truly scary monster, it doesn't have to be an actual monster monster. It could be a could just be a, you know, a serial killer or whatever. You can't show them too much. Um, because, or if you show them too much, the, it has to be, you know, science of the lambs, you know what I yeah. mean? It, it's gotta be like an unbelievable performance that you're just not, you know, you, you, you just, you can't explain just cause it's an incredible performance. This is not that like, it's a enthusiastic performance. Yeah. Right. But Which it's is why not I brought it to your attention. I wanted to bring yeah. it to you for the enthusiasm. <laughs> It is. It's a great it's it's an enthusiastic performance, but I wouldn't say it's a good performance. Oh, uh, see, you know, in terms of Horace, he I, I even watched an interview with the guy who plays Horace. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, they let me do whatever I wanted. Yeah, of course. they that did. Was, <laughs> yeah, that was the studio. They gave everyone yeah. full reign on what they wanted to do. Sometimes yeah. you get they live. Sometimes you get shocker, but you got to take a swing. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 just like it felt a little bit like an overzealous like high school or college stage performance where they're like, this is my chance to impress people. Mm. So he's just going balls to the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's like, nothing pretty over the top about this performance. Yeah, it's, it's pretty over the top, like cartoonish. putting together a puzzle with human flesh. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, mine's not. Yeah, oh, there's nothing I, that isn't <laughs> that in my movie, too. But here's the big difference. This one, like, is kind of knew what they were doing. <laughs> like it was tongue in cheek. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Know. I like. I like. I said. I've learned to appreciate this movie a little bit more over time. I don't love the character of Horace getting super silly. Yeah. It, if he was serious the whole time. Yeah. It might have made more sense. I wouldn't have liked it as much. <laughs> Probably not. No. But if he did, you're you're right. If if he was, no one would have remembered no. this movie. So he should be more cartoonish from the beginning. Yes, probably. To be honest with you. Yeah, probably. But then if he was very cartoonish from the beginning, all the things of him being like a brutal serial killer that you're actually scared of for a minute wouldn't have happened. Um, So I I guess maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Like if you wrote a character that was basically like obsessed with TV and mm-hmm. then 
took all the silly things he sees on TV, like Three Stooges bits that are like lethal, and then does Three Stooges bits to people in real life as the way he kills. Yeah. But then he gets TV powers. Yeah. Like that's a that's an interesting character. Just making that's him like who frame. That's a horror version of who frame Roger. Exactly. Rabbit. Exactly. Which we that's, need yeah. that. Yeah. 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 That, exactly. But like when you're saying it's just your fucking dad's friend who's unbalanced and then <laughs> yeah. he gets TV powers. It doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's an interesting movie. It's a big swing movie. I, I guess it I think it hinges a lot on whether or not you really like the Horace character and performance. I also think there's a little bit I, I think I even mentioned this a little bit before is like it's hard when you're they were trying to make him Freddie and Freddie became this weird, funny, not anti-hero, but like you you love to hate him. Yeah. He became the Joker. And, like before yeah, he the became Joker. A, yeah, he became a little bit like the Joker. And in this movie, they wanted that for Horace, but it was like not organically earned over the course of a few movies. Yeah. And also, it's just it's just because it's from Wes Craven and it's so obvious that he desperately just wanted to make a nightmare film with mm-hmm. with the couch gag and the fingers growing long, just like, you know, Freddy grows his arms long and shit like that. Like there were so many Freddy things, uh, his fucking, he gets his powers from a demon, his head's all messed up from the, uh, it's all burnt up from the electric chair. So like, there's so many little Freddy things and it's just like, you didn't try to separate enough, which is also weird. That that could have been his name, little Freddy. Right. Can I, can, <laughs> let me make a pitch. Let me make a pitch to you. So you guys can think about this in a whole different light. All right. Sure. Just bear with me. You take two movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Ernest goes to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy goes to jail. <laughs> Electro Man. If you think about it that way, it's a fantastic fucking movie, which is how I approach it. So yeah, I changed my I, mind. You're right. Yes. I take back Ernest, everything I said. This is Ernest P. Worrell if he had a murder streak. So that's how Honestly, I view though, it. <laughs> Take okay, so take Horace. Here's here's like my, my slight twist on that. Take Horace, do the Ernest goes to jail thing, but give him a southern accent and make him stupid. <laughs> make him just a little, just Matt, just ten percent sling blade. A little force company. Twenty percent sling blade. <laughs> like not full French pride potatoes, right? But just like twenty percent sling blade. Uh, now you're like, I cannot predict what that guy's gonna do. Yeah, he's got. He could ribs. be funny. He could be serious. He may not yeah, know he what could, he's gonna do. He could do. go from funny to scary because he doesn't really know the difference. Right, and that also leads into the original concept of he's just obsessed with TV. He doesn't know that the Three Stooges bits he's doing are bad. Oh, this is a thousand times better movie we just punched up. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He can't tell the difference between real life and TV. Yeah. And so when he thinks he smashes somebody's head in with a fucking like wrench, he thinks they'll just get up next week. He thinks he it's sees, funny. Yeah. He thinks it's funny and he thinks they'll just get up next week like every other show. Like, oh, I saw them 
week after yeah. they got fucking hit with a pipe. They're all good. Mm. He'll be good. Like, oh, he's <laughs> he's sleepy. <laughs> he's taking a nap right now. He's totally yeah. fine. He'll get yeah. up. <laughs> mm, that's a good bit there. Punched that up. Mm, French red. I call it a geyser blade. Um, our- <laughs> but thank you for indulging me. That is one of my no. favorite cult movies. So thank you. I appreciate it, it. It was. It's a fun watch, Steve. I will encourage you to to give it a little time. Let it soak in. Uh huh. Let it get under your skin a little bit. Maybe come back to it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. it, it it's chock full of things, but all of those things are crazy because it has ghosts and it has click and it has stay the, the tuned. Ghost doesn't need to be there. Yeah, ghost doesn't need to yeah, be there. Yeah, it has stay yeah. tuned. It has click. It has, you know, Freddy or uh it has Friday the 13th stuff or Fallen if you like Denzel Washington more. It's got all mm-hmm. this shit happening. And I just didn't, I, I, I didn't want to, and it's all done on Coke. It's all done on Coke. And I, yeah. I it's going to take me time to mm. appreciate that. You can't throw that at me cold. And yeah, it's a movie that needs context. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, yeah. it's not totally Matt's fault because he didn't know that I've never <laughs> seen the film, but <laughs> boy, that's a rough first watch to just accept as a film. <laughs> <laughs> mission mission accomplished decaying with the boys made their flag stamp right here <laughs> yeah. i like it all right let's uh let's get into uh last but certainly not least i'm gonna get into uh my pick which is just schlock of the highest order um a, a little film from 1982 the year of our lord entitled pieces um, directed by uh, a gentleman named um, uh, Juan uh, Piquet Simone, Simone, uh, a Spanish gentleman who has uh, a lot of uh, a, a decent amount of directing credits, 15 directing credits, um, is, you know, a few more writing credits, mostly writer and director. The only other movie I've ever seen of his aside from this is Slugs. Um, a lot of Spanish productions. Um, I will tell you, this is the only, you know, this is what I would probably call his only really, you know, notable film. And it's certainly a, a, you know, a cult film. Um, this is when I think of like schlock horror, like schlock slasher specifically, this is the movie I think of. It is it has all the things that you want in a schlocky slasher movie, which is uh, wacky kills, funny dialogue, nudity, uh, and just borderline nonsensical plot lines. And in this instance, the thing that puts it over the top for me is perhaps the wackiest ending of any uh film i've ever seen like this has i won't spoil it we'll get to it if you haven't seen this the ending endings plural really (laughs) are bonkers in the most i remember the first time i watched this movie i just like jaw agape for like five minutes after i saw this movie um had you guys seen this before (laughs) yeah i saw it saw once yeah I had thought I did, uh, but 
some of the stuff like I just did not remember at all. So I don't I I must have been thinking about something else. It's especially the yeah. ending. I'm like, I've never seen that before. So I, there's no way I've seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, there's no way you forget that. Yeah. that ending. that's for sure. Um, all right. Let me let's, let me jump into it then. So this is set in Boston, 1942. Nothing about this movie feels even remotely like Boston or New England or America. Like this is the most European production ever, but they are so insistent that it's Boston. And I, that's one of the things I love about it. Um, you get this boy, he's putting together this, this naked lady puzzles in his room. He looks to be, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe. Um, and then his mom comes in, catches him and just loses her shit, smacks him, threatens to kill him, which is pretty aggressive. Um, and then he comes back with an ax and just fucks her head up and then starts sawing up her body. This is the opening scene. This all happens within three minutes, uh, of the, of the beginning of the movie. So, you know, immediately you're in for, uh, uh, this is an unpredictable movie, which is what I love about it. He's in the right though. She threatened to kill him. So like, not only is she trying to kill him, but she's also trying to stop him from seeing puzzle bush. Ah, yeah. he's he's got grounds i don't know I, and then he's about to then she's about to throw his toys away yeah yeah, yeah you're about to get axed you're yeah you gotta to stop axed. that bitch yeah she's she's out of control she's out of hand yeah i think that she's kid's went, got a case <laughs> yeah and uh so so yeah he catches a body right off the bat all right you don't know who this person is you don't know anything about him you just know it's boston 1942 um again nothing about it is feels like that at all but um anyway uh, and then he just gets right back to puzzling, finishing his puzzling. The the cops show up. Um, they are not from Boston. Like they are the most European cops what, of what all time. What gives it away, Brian? Yeah, the <laughs> giant Italian mustaches and the fact that they're wearing like, I don't know, British Bobby costumes from like the teens. Like it's not any it's not the right anything. Like a Pinkerton security service. They ran out of costumes at the costume store. And then that's what they had. Um, So the whole movie has this very like dreamlike quality to to it that I that I really like. And like, if you know my taste in movies at all, you know that I like unpredictable movies. I don't like to know what's going to happen. Right. Um, and this movie feels like it is not responsible for itself (laughs) (laughs) and it is gonna go wherever it wants and you have no say in what it does and that's why that's part of the reason why i love it um they get there mom's head's in the closet just on the dresser in the closet the cops are like no big deal like they're distressed but but like they could have found a, a, a like a dead mouse and it would have been approximately the same type of reaction yeah. that they give. Definitely, definitely um, not the reaction of cops later in this film. No, later in the film, they see a dead body. They're like barfing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it's, you know, but this was years before. This is when cops were soft right. back in the 40s. Yeah, this is this is an older generation of cops. You know, so they're mm-hmm. they're tough, and then the seventies cops, they're you know, soy boy cops throwing up just because just because they saw a bunch body, of beta, <laughs> bunch of beta cops, um, <laughs> bunch of cut cops. Um, the kids, the kids hiding in the closet, acts like he was scared. So of course they don't 
suspect it was the kid. Um, and, and, and he gets away with it. You don't know anything about it. That's it. Flash forward to, you know, present day, this, you know, late seventies, early eighties, uh, again, Boston question mark, nothing about it feels like Boston. Hmm. Um, so, so there's a lot of giallo elements, just like, just like, uh, you know, I mean, Steve's is, is a straight up giallo flick. Like this is, I think you could probably consider this as such. Um, it, it's, it's, it's got a lot of giallo elements to it. Uh, but it also is, it seems like a, a director or, a, a writer who knew the giallo genre, subgenre, mm-hmm. and they knew that their audience knew the giallo genre. Yeah. And that's what they knew of slashers and then said, you know, those American slashers uh, are pretty cool right now. Kids are digging them. <laughs> so let's do our take on that. It's like if, uh, you know, y- you know, your um, your Italian grandma uh, was like, um, hey, I'm going to make you a pasta for dinner. And then you're like, but but grandma, I want um, a cheeseburger. And she goes, oh, we got a cheeseburger. I'll make it a cheeseburger. And then it's just like (laughs) spaghetti, you know, made into a bun. And then, you know, a meatball sandwich between the two spaghetti buns. Sounds sounds kind of good, man. I would probably eat the fuck out of that. It's delicious. It's delicious. It's just, it's not, it's like those memes where they're like, I want a cheeseburger. And they're like, we have cheeseburger at home. And then this is what that is, you know? Like, I'm in total agreement with you with what you're saying. I would say maybe instead of Giallo, since the director is Spanish, it's Amarillo. That's yellow in Spanish. Uh, I see. Yeah. I see. I see. Um, yes, it is a Spanish director yeah. and and uh, a Spanish production. Spanish, yeah. But there's a lot of Italian uh, influence for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely influenced by Giallo films. And then not just slashers, but it actually feels a lot like Herschel Gordon Lewis. Mm. Yes, because of the. Uh, yeah, I, I could see that, especially yeah. in the way that they present the gore. Yeah. The, the way the, the gore is almost like little their own little weird set pieces when you show them to you. Yeah, because like we're talking right now about the scene with the head and like they give you a pretty straight on look at it. Uh, and the the blood is like really bright red, almost paint at a lot of times. And yep. also it just has that kind of pres- uh, police procedural nature about it, especially in the back half of the film. Where it kind of, kind of, not that it drags, but it gets really flat mm-hmm. in the way the cops are, which is just, you know, I don't know, very similar to Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yep. Yeah, I could see that. It, uh, I, I didn't even make the comparison to the Herschel Gordon Lewis thing, but yeah, there's undoubtedly some, some influence there. Um, so now, you know, you get the, the black gloved killer kind of thing. So you're not seeing his face, it's a POV thing. Uh, very, very geolotrope there. And the killer is grown now and has keep kept his mom's outfit, which is this like blue and white floral dress and like uh, like, a, a, you know, uh, high heeled kind of shoes and whatever um, in this box. There's still blood on it. The blood after 30 years, 40 years or whatever is still bright red, like looks like red paint. Uh, which is again, you mentioned that, and it's very Giallo and, and Herschel Gordon Lewisy, um, and 
the one thing that I thought was really funny and gratuitous and stupid was at the bottom of the box, there's a big picture yeah. of his mom's face <laughs> with a big red X over it. Got that bitch. That felt, <laughs> felt like felt like maybe that was like a little on the nose, but whatever. Um, there's this weird skateboarding scene that's a dream sequence uh, that really has no bearing on anything else. Um, but there's there's this just regular American girl studying, right? She's just in the grass. You know, she's kind of like uh, laying in a, a vaguely suggestive way, like her skirt's kind of popping up from a certain angle. And there's this like maintenance man in the background and he's got his face all wrapped up. He's got a big chainsaw and she's like, hey, keep it down. I'm trying to study. And he's like, ah, I'm almost done. Uh, and then he just chops her head off with a chainsaw so fast, so <laughs> early on. You really think there's going to be like a buildup, but he just just absolutely, you know, just time killers. Basically, it reminded me of the game. Have you ever played yeah. the arcade game Time Killers? Yeah, yeah. That it just it reminds me so much of that scene. Just chops her damn head off with a chainsaw. I, I just wanted one or two more seconds of the shot of after he cuts her head off because they throw like a literal bucket of blood at him. And mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to see that action complete. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is chaotic. Uh, it is it is fast and dirty. Um, and then these these two cops. uh uh uh, well, well, we'll get to that one. These two cops are showing up to to the, the campus. You know, obviously they they're trying to figure out who who the killer is, and we'll get a little bit more into the cops here in a second. But um, they go back to the hallway, and they're sh- they introduce you to the first uh, you know would be killer potentially, who is uh, a professor uh, named Brown at the at the university. And there's this whole uh, host of students sitting out in the hallway just. Classic American students smoking pot in the hallways, as you know, one's apt to do. Um, and the one there's so much good dialogue in this movie, like <laughs> memorable. When I mean good, I mean bad, yes. but like memorable, stupid dialogue and stupid lines where you can almost imagine that like uh, they watched, you know, I don't know, Animal House or, the, or or something that was quite a bit earlier, but they watched some sort of like college movie. American college movie and was like uh, American kids say wacky shit. Um, so let's like let's start to brainstorm some wacky shit American students would say. And this is what my uh, a good one that gets way better. But this is a good one. The mo- this girl, she's smoking a joint in the hallway and says the most beautiful thing in the world is they say that there is a, uh, a they put a new waterbed in the uh in the equipment room in the gym or something like that and they're talking about oh water beds are cool or whatever and she says the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a water bed at the same time and they all are just like hell yeah hell yeah like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't agree more <laughs> yeah i had that written down as well and then my note next to it was we love premarital sex <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and also like not one person in this entire movie has an even remotely Boston accent. And it's like to pick a place like Boston, which is known for having such a distinct regional accent and to have no one that even approximates it. (laughs) I really appreciate that a lot. Um, (laughs) Professor Brown is in charge of the anatomy department. 
uh, and he has a very weird mustache. Um, and the first of all, I would a college have an entire anatomy department that feels like a couple of classes, not a department, but it'd be like the science department. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, 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 like biology, you know, or something like that, like uh, human biology, not anatomy. But anyway, um, the girl goes up and does this whole thing about where are my pectorals and does like a boob joke. And like, I guess they they make fun of Dr. Brown. I give him a hard time. Right. I give him a little razzing. Um, so you're introduced to him you realize that he's being made fun of a lot. Like he's a little bit of an outsider in terms of the professors in the college. Then you get introduced to Willard, which is this, uh, like groundskeeper that's hired to cut a bunch of trees around the, the university. Um, and, uh, the, the, the gardener, you know, the gardener had found a body, right? Um, you, you don't haven't met him yet, but they, they say the gardener found the body. Um, you, you introduce the secretarians, Grace, um, you know, they're discussing how they think it was somebody, you know, a student or faculty that might have killed this woman. Um, and it's just everyone's super cartoonish, uh, which, you know, I, I absolutely love. It's, it's not one person seems like a real person in any way, <laughs> shape or form in this movie. Um the dean makes Professor Brown show the detectives around, and and Brown is very uh, reluctant to do that. So again, they're setting him up. He he's a would be killer here. Um. So uh, uh, <laughs> Professor Brown also. Uh, I'm I'm not. I'm sorry. Not Brown. Uh, one of the cops has this giant, like brown hand rolled cigarette. Um, and I just wrote, you know, like a hard boiled Boston cop would smoke <laughs> like this giant, like six inch long hand rolled cigarette. Uh, um, this cop is Columbo. <laughs> yes, he is definitely a Columbo ripoff. Yeah. And then the, the, the so there's two cops. There's a dark haired cop and there's a gray haired cop. The dark haired cop is supposed to be Columbo. Yeah. I think like they're definitely ripping off the, the gray haired cop. And this will be the second consecutive episode we mentioned him looks exactly like Murphy from C Lab 2020. Yeah. Like he is the real life version of Murphy. Yeah. Like I actually at one point looked a picture of him up and put it beside uh, a picture of the animated character Murphy from C Lab 2020. <laughs> and it looks like they mirrored it after him. It's uncanny. Yeah. I thought I I also thought uh uh what's the main guy's name from the A-team? Is it Murdoch? Murdoch, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Murdoch. Yeah, I, yeah, I was like, that guy. He does look like Murdoch. You put a big cigar in his mouth and like a big, yeah. like squinty, shit-eating grin. Yeah, he, he would be Murdoch, <laughs> yeah. too. But just quick, just back to Lieutenant Columbo for a second. Mm-hmm. He has the overcoat like Columbo. He has yeah. the long, green, hand-rolled cigarettes, the cigarillos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... That his whole bit where he can never find a match. That's that's a bit from an episode of Columbo. Is it? See, I didn't know. I I, I was actually going to bring it up because he it's probably three times it gets brought back where he's like, you have a match. And the guy's like, I don't smoke. And they keep bringing that recurring bit back. Um, So much so that I remember the first time I saw the movie, I wondered if actually the killer who doesn't have a match was 
or I'm sorry, the, you know, the Murphy, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Murphy, we'll call him, was going to be the killer and they were going to figure it out because of somehow he doesn't smoke or something, you know? Yeah. Um, because it's reoccurring. But I, I, I'm not as Columbo savvy as you, <laughs> uh, Steve. I'm Columbo brain, <laughs> yo. <laughs> He's a big Columbo guy. Um, I, I like, yeah. I mean, Columbo has been on it. it aired from 68 to like the late to or the early 2000s so i can't remember mm-hmm. if the episode where he's doing the bit with i can't find a match and i mm-hmm. can't smoke my cigar i can't remember if that would have come before or after this movie but i was like that's a yeah. colombo bit uh, like they're doing colombo yeah. for some reason <laughs> that's yeah i mean you could just tell they like watched a few episodes of american shows and a few american slasher movies and we're like we could do this yeah you know let's let's slap this thing together um this sounded like just a, a more less of a columbo line maybe a maybe a a, a dragnet line mm-hmm. he's like we're just out buying clothes without labels and trying to try them on for size <laughs> like that just feel felt like more of a uh uh a dragnet line to me but yeah um so then you get introduced to this giant mook of a groundskeeper. His name's Willard, and he's just been hired to trim some branches uh, with this enormous chainsaw, like branches that you could easily just cut with like, you know, clippers. But he's got this monster chainsaw. So, of course, you're like, oh, the guy carrying the chainsaw. That's the killer, right? Um, He's like horny for this chainsaw. And he's also just extremely threatening in general. <laughs> and he keeps like one eye kind of closed, like Popeye. He's always sneering at people. Yeah. Um, Which, funny so, enough, uh, he played Bluto in the Robin Williams pl- Popeye in 1980. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. He looks like Bluto. Yeah. Like he looks like a real life Bluto. So that's excellent casting. He was al- he was also um, born in Massachusetts. So he would be the only person that could do the Boston <laughs> accent if he chose to. Yeah, but it's all, you know, it's all uh, ADR. So, yeah, Um, uh, the killer is, you know, slowly throughout the film, putting together the naked lady uh, puzzle. Of course, it's, you know, the black gloved POV thing. So you you don't know who it is. But um, then you get introduced to uh, uh, one of the main characters, Kendall. Kendall is a student at the university. And he's kind of the student in the know. He knows everyone around town and their habits and their actions and all those sorts of thing, things. And he's also a, a ladies man, apparently, which this guy would never, ever be cast as like a ladies man in an American film ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't in, in this movie. You you see him. You're like, oh, he's going to be the nerd hero that everybody. Yeah. Fun. No, he's like the ladies man. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense. It's only because they introduce you to his other friend, Myron, who's even bigger of a nerd you go yeah well, who he calls goggles yeah a couple of times it's like oh well i guess I, he would get pussy over myron but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah if if myron's the uh the competition here um but this you know uh, uh sexy co-ed girl hands him a note that says i want to do it underwater see in the pool um and then he was like oh cool and then he throws the 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 note you know into the trash but then the, the 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 killer picks it up and then, of course, you know, knows to go to the pool. Um, so uh, first of all, what school would have this pool? What American school would have this pool, by the way? <laughs> like it looks like a, something at like a health club in Madrid. You know what I mean? 
Um, it's like super, super wild and ornamental. Um, but we do, you know, we get some nudity. We get this girl doing a little swimming, some laps and shit like this. The killer comes in and this is the only, I think, um, like assault with a with a pool skimmer net in film history. Um, <laughs> and so much so he puts her head in the pool skimmer net. She could just go underwater and easily escape the pool skimmer net. She does not. No. Uh, he drags her to the side with the pool skimmer net. Uh, and then she really struggles to escape. She then passes out as a result of his mastery with the pool skimmer net. And then he gets the chainsaw. Um, so his friend, you know, we talk about go- goggles, uh, which is Kendall's friend, delivers him this note that's suggesting there's some sort of urgent reason why uh, he, he needs to go to the pool, I guess. I don't know. Um, and goggles threatens to kill himself because he maybe delivered bad news i don't know it seemed weird goggles Goggles fucking rules at this moment because he's also kind of an incel because right before this he's talking to a woman and gets rejected by her but blows it off he's like ah why would i listen to a slut like you like shut up but then he goes so what do you what do you got going on tonight yeah and she just looks at him and he's like yeah, he, he I, I didn't write the night, but some very flippant response like, oh, you didn't answer me like I care. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> like I give a fuck. And then yeah. gives bad news to Kendall. And he's like, oh, man, I might kill myself if I gave bad news. <laughs> so like he's just a total incel who's just like, yeah, I don't care what women think. But God forbid I like tell my friend bad news. <laughs> Go- Goggles has a couple other good little bits that he does throughout the movie. So the killer is carrying a, 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 a sack with the, you know, the, the hacked up uh, co-ed in it uh, into this like I think it's a freezer. They don't really show it 100 percent, but I believe it to be some sort of like freezer storage area. Um, Willard shows up with hedge clippers to the pool, uh, finds his chainsaw covered in blood um, and the chopped up girl. And at that point, the cops and Kendall show up and there's this fight scene between the cops, Kendall and Willard, who's huge. And he does this thing where he like throws them all off of him. And then Kendall jumps in and breaks a super fake like breakaway board over his back. (laughs) And I just thought that is the greatest moment. That's the greatest scene ever to to finish up with the. Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> like, it's just such a dumb, dumb fight scene. But uh, they just make Willard look fucking awesome. Um, the cops need. It's such a weird scene. The cops need comf- like they ask Dr. Brown, who's an anatomy professor. Um, they need confirmation from him that a body the body parts could have been chopped up with the chainsaw. <laughs> and they asked Brown that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I think so. I don't know a lot about chainsaws, but I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. He basically um, says any layman could tell that this was not done like with precision. It was done with a chainsaw. <laughs> I, I took it maybe that like, you know, uh, Columbo was asking him, 
because he wanted to see his reaction. Maybe I, yeah, I, I that's don't what know. I thought. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but um, and then the cop, I think it's Murphy say, does the whole uh, says the title of the movie. Um, it, it does the whole pieces. He says, I, I didn't write the quote down, but he's something like, yeah, there's going to be a lot more girls that end up in pieces and then i just imagine him putting the sunglasses on and then it's the it's the csi miami like beginning wow you know what's happening um so the the this is a great one too one of my favorite bits of dialogue (laughs) the cop tells the dean that he suspects that the murders were um perpetrated by someone on or around the campus <laughs> I was like, yeah you fucking moron they happened on the campus the person who did them was on or around campus um it's just did the, the the cops are so impossibly stupid and hilariously stupid and the whole way through the movie it's 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 so great and then like you also have this like massive cover-up that the dean and the police are doing it's they just lie to everyone everyone students everyone they just it's not like they go no comment they go nothing's happening nothing has happened and nothing will ever happen it's it's so wild to tell everyone like no two women weren't chainsawed here and then like they're just gaslighting like those girls roommates like, yeah. no, you didn't have a roommate. This is your roommate. Your roommate is Betsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just lying blatantly. Everyone believes them 100 um, percent, except for the Boston Globe reporter who's like, like literally he comes in and, and even the cops, like not just the dean, like you could see why the dean character would would lie because he's like, yeah, he's the guy who doesn't want to close the beach on the 4th of July. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But. For the cops to just go, nothing happened. Go talk to that lady who is a tennis star that is now an undercover cop, which we're about to get to. Um, <coughs> so they want to put an un, uh, undercover uh, uh, person at the school. Um, and they talk the dean into doing this. Um and they decide that they are going to use um, a recognizable tennis champion, which is like if you're going to pick somebody to go undercover, maybe don't pick someone that's like publicly known. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but but it's more of the gaslighting, Brian, because they say, yeah. hey, why is our new tennis teacher Anna Kornikova? And they say that's not Anna Kornikova. That's Mrs. Ladd, and you'll treat her as such. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I just started calling her uh, 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 officer. What did I write down? Officer, um, coach, <laughs> coach, officer, tennis champion, or something. Yeah. After a while, it's like it just doesn't. None of it makes any sense. Why she would be there? Why she would be working with the police department? why they would she would even be on their radar and apparently she's a volunteer like she's i i don't know it doesn't make any not a lick of sense no she signed um, she signed up for a list and apparently they'll just like draw it, it's almost like jury duty and occasionally the cops <laughs> will draw your name and you get to go do undercover shit 
you're a cop now. And it's like, not only that, but they use elements of your real life in your backstory mm-hmm. as an undercover cop. Um, so uh, it's not like, you know, she's seven foot tall and they're like, well, we probably should suggest that maybe she's a basketball player. You could just walk around as a tennis player and nobody would know. You know what I mean? They don't have to integrate that into the uh, into the backstory. But um, Kendall, instead of telling the cops that he was going to the pool to fuck, he just allows himself to be a suspect. Um, so they think it's him. Um, and then you get this like sick ass American dance number where they're just like, all these girls rehearsing a dance number and there's a shadowy killer creeping in on them. And it's like this, you know, you eventually get a jump scare out of it, but you get the idea that this shadowy killer kind of knows his way around the, the campus and can, you know, find himself in areas where he can watch girls, uh, you know, and stalk them or whatever without being seen. Um, the cops take Kendall to this cop psychologist And, you know, and that apparently is enough to make him not a suspect anymore. Um, So now Kendall's on their side. Kendall is, you know, pretty much they turn him into a cop pretty, pretty quick. He's just literally a college student. But Kendall um, is a fucking Mary Sue. And I've had it. (laughs) (laughs) Explain yourself. Kendall's a a hero. But, you know, it just everything goes his way. And I've had it with him. He gets all the pussy. He's the coolest guy on campus. He's got a sick dirt bike. Yeah, sick dirt bike. Everybody loves him. And then he also gets to be a cop. And the cops let him do all the investigating. And he basically solves the case in the end. He's a fucking asshole. (laughs) But it doesn't work out for him in the end, if you remember. No, I know it doesn't work out for him. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Kendall's a real man about campus here. Um, he's a he's a Van Wilder type, we'll say. How's that? Um, things are really going his way. I mean, not only does he get all the pussy that's on campus already, but he gives mm. up pussy he's getting to get more pussy, and <laughs> and it's also a officer coach that he mm. he just like lures her in. She's like on campus for two days, and he's like, well, I'm here, so I guess you know my reputation and you know what's going to happen. <laughs> So yeah. whenever you're I'm, ready, I'm Kendall. I'm the Kendall, fucking. don't you know? It's like, oh, my shirt got too heavy. Let me just get rid of this real quick. <laughs> I'm Kendall, the fucking. Yeah. At um, some point, you're going to give it up to me. So just give me like I'm, a wink and then I'll know. <laughs> I'm Kendall, king of fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Kendall is five foot six 140 pounds <laughs> greasy little fuckwad he's not even swinging um, a hammer because we do see it <laughs> do we see it yeah at least in my version on tubi i saw it because he's i watched tubi version two i wasn't paying attention I think, uh, yeah i think it's, it's a little later in the film but he's in bed with one he's in bed with a girl and then mm-hmm. think he sees a uh, officer coach or somebody outside his window and he gets out of bed and he's like, he's, I remember that yeah. he watched out the window. This is right before my favorite scene in the movie with the dirt bike. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, so yeah, he, yeah, he has his dong out when he gets up out of uh, the bed. I missed it. Yeah. It's not I impressive. Dong. It's not impressive. Yeah. Just an average dong. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, 
you know what? I don't Steve? get it. It's not the it's not the size of the hammer that you're swinging. I'm just it's saying. The motion of the ocean. I don't get the appeal. He's not hung. Yeah. He's not strong. He's not big. He just everybody loves him. Yeah, he's just he's he's uh, uh what is what does goggles keep calling him? Not Don Juan, but something Casanova. Casanova, real Casanova type. <laughs> um. So yeah, they so you know there's this there's this extended tennis match between officer coach and a student and there's like a very significant crowd assembled to watch this like it's a scheduled event and there's a, a, an applause track that sounds like it's 300 people and there's a marching band playing over the loudspeaker and i love this just like the sheer laziness of the like cultural research that they did on this. We're like, okay, what do Americans love? Love college sports. It's a big thing there, right? They love to have bands playing, marching bands playing in the stands. It's a big part of it. So they just play marching band music over the loudspeaker <laughs> while watching a tennis match. And they're like classic American collegiate environment. <laughs> I'm surprised um, there weren't more hot dogs in this film. Yeah, hot, like hot dogs and like everyone wearing cowboy hats, you know, that would have been that would have been perfect. Um, her, I think her name's Sylvia from the Boston Globe shows up to talk to the cops. Like I said, they just lied to her face. You'd mention. Um, so they had taken Willard into custody after he went Jason Bourne on everybody, but then they had to let him go because there wasn't enough evidence, apparently. Um so uh, the killer is back at his at his little post staring at the the co-eds rehearsing. And at this point, it's just one of them. And she's rehearsing this like. I know it's uh, it's like a number from Chicago or something, I think. I don't know. Um, and then she sees him and she's like, oh, it's you know, so he like kind of stalks her down, you know, through the the belly of the building. She has changed, whatever. And now she's she's getting on elevator. He sees her. and It's that classic Giallo thing where it's like he's got the, the trench coat and the fedora and the black gloves. So you don't know who it is, but the but the soon to be victim does and is like, uh, oh, it's you, sir. You made me jump. And you're like, OK, so it's not Willard. <laughs> she wouldn't have called Willard, sir. Right. So who is it? Um, she knows him. She recognizes who he is. He luckily hides the chainsaw behind his back like it's a <laughs> bouquet of flowers. Uh, gets in the elevator, cuts her arms off <laughs> in the elevator. Um, and then Kendall and two officers who I like to refer to as Mario Mario and Luigi Mario <laughs> show up. Uh, they find the armless girl and that's when one of them's like barfing, but apparently she's still alive. The armless girl. Yeah, she um, she gets to live, although we don't see her again. You don't see her again. And then they're like, well, we got to talk to her, but then she can't talk. So it's like, why? Why did you make her live? I guess. Yeah, because there's a real reason to get to the hospital, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Mm -mm. But also more Mary Sue behavior out of Kendall because he tells the cops what to do. <laughs> 
the one cop that's throwing up, he's like, go get help. Go over there. The janitor has a fucking phone in his room. So Kendall knows yeah. everything about the campus, where all the phones are located. And also he gets the boss, the cops around. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kendall being the killer would have been the only thing that made sense. Uh, but spoiler alert, Kendall is not the killer. Um, the cops keep doing this thing where um, the black haired cop, you know, asked the gray haired cop for a match, but he, you know, keeps saying he doesn't smoke. We, we, we mentioned that, but it never comes back around. Nothing ever comes of it. You're sure something's going to come of it. Does not. Mm -mm. Nothing comes of it. Um, so, you know, Kendall, this is, you were talking about this scene. Kendall's laying pipe again, you know, like, like Kendall does. And, uh, he sees something outside. He sees, uh, a uh, 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 coach cop outside and is like, uh, you know, thinks he has to go save her or whatever. And then his like the, the girl he's banging is like, don't go blah, 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 you know? And she, and then he, she's like, am I making too much noise? And Kendall's like, fuck off. I got copping to do. And then she's like, why don't you gag me? Then I won't make any noise. <laughs> like, who who are these who are these these college women? Um but yeah, Kendo is just not not that concerned about the whole thing. Um so the creep is after the the tennis lady now. Um, you know, and he's got the stealthiest of weapons, which you guessed is is a chainsaw. Um and uh, you know, coach tennis cop is is you know, creeping around outside. Um, and you know, she's getting snuck up on. And this is the best part of this best scene in the movie. I love this scene. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's the most nonsensical. I the first time I watched this, I laughed so hard I thought I was gonna pee. <laughs> she goes, and I'm gonna have a coughing fit, but I'm gonna try not to. Um, coach tennis cop is outside, she's sleuthing. But she doesn't know she's getting creeped on by presumably the killer. Um, someone sneaks up on her, jumps out at her. And you're like, oh, no, it's the killer. Wrong. It's a fucking Bruce Lee impersonator <laughs> that you've never seen before. You don't know anything about. You're so confused why he's there. Um, and then you hear an, uh, uh, an engine. And then, oh, so... They kind of tussle. Uh, she knocks him down. And she pulls a gun and, on him. Yeah, she pulls a gun on him. Ultimately, he gets knocked down. And he's like unconscious, apparently. And you're like, who was that? What was that? Why did that happen? Why does she have a gun? Like, there's just so many questions. Then you hear the chainsaw. and You're like, oh, now the real killer is going to show up. Now it's going to be explained to me who that guy is. And maybe he was running from the chainsaw guy or something wrong. Uh, it's Kendall on a motherfucking dirt bike. <laughs> <laughs> Just rides his dirt bike up middle of the night. No one else on campus. It is like midnight. The karate guy stands up. Kendall says, hey, it's my Kung Fu professor. <laughs> And he says, <laughs> again, Kendall, the Mary Sue knows Kung Fu. <laughs> he says, what's the story, Chow? 
This sounds like a joke setup. <laughs> yeah. What's the story, Chow? And Chow, who we've just met, says, and I quote, and I'm, this sounds like I'm being racist. I'm not. This is exactly how he says it. Ooh, I was out jogging. Next thing I know, I'm on ground. Something I eat. <laughs> Bad chop suey. So long. <laughs> it's the so long. It's the most insane thing I've ever seen. I think in a movie, it makes no sense. It is so dumb. It makes so out of left field. Yeah. It makes no sense. Oh my it's God. Like, I don't. Is this is this them saying are they just saying like oh Americans are racist for no reason or are Spanish people racist for no reason I it, it it's anyone's guess like there is absolutely I think they thought of this gag and they maybe had access to a dirt bike yeah and but why would they not just have her running like oh no i'm getting chased by the chainsaw guy and then no no it's kendo and a dirt bike the only thing i can think of that even makes a lick of sense is that actor that played chow um won some sort of contest he was the 10th <laughs> caller on the radio station or something and they said you get a walk-on role in the movie that's the only thing i can think of Okay. Because he is grinning ear to ear the whole time. Yeah. He is clearly not an actor. Um, well, uh, depends. Depends. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he is Bruce Lee with one E. Is he one of the Bruce Lee impersonator fake Bruce wish.com Bruce Lee? Yeah. I mean, he would be a wish.com Bruce Lee because he, he, he's Bruce Lee with one E and like he stars in movies like Bruce vs. Bill and Challenge of the Tiger and The Clones of Bruce Lee, in which he plays Bruce yeah. Lee too. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's uh, <sighs> so he is an actor. He's a he's a keyword. He's in kung fu movies, right? Yeah, I. But this... he was just on set, maybe, and they were like, "Let's throw you in the movie." Maybe I'm. Yeah, I'm trying to find any fucking reason. Yeah, it is a complete non sequitur. He's the stunt coordinator for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just I the first time I saw that, I was like, did I have an aneurysm? <laughs> like, is my brain malfunction? And then I went back and watched it again. So he just smiles and walks away, too. And it's like end of discussion. Um. And then they're like, all right, well, let's go. Bye. And they leave. And then like five seconds later, not even two seconds later, the Boston Globe lady walks on screen and is stalked, you know, by the aforementioned murder immediately. Um, she gets led on ultimately running from him, trying to escape him to the. Uh, um, uh you know, to the training room or whatever they ta talked about uh, earlier with the waterbed. Um, so there is this whole scene, which is kind of a famous scene um, where 
it's it's just a really weird kind of brutal kind of scary murder scene that's like really graphic and in slow motion of her getting stabbed multiple times on a waterbed and then it's more just like a platform it's almost like a massage bed but it has a but has a water thing on top of it um and she is stabbed repeatedly um all in slow motion and it's like a really oddly convincing struggle mm-hmm. uh, that happens it's very bizarre and ultimately she gets stabbed in the back of the neck and this is very tense music it's 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 like an oddly well done scene in a movie full of just crazy nonsense yeah it's it's um, it's the most giallo scene of the film yeah because mm-hmm. i mean it's so similar to the stabbing in opera where the guy gets yeah. it up through the mouth you know she gets yeah. it in the back of the head it, similar very you know to the yeah and it comes through the mouth too yeah like obviously this is a little bit less you know convincing a little bit more um straightforward effect but anyway um so coach tennis champ uh won't fuck kendall even though he's like blown away that somebody wouldn't fuck him uh but also like kisses him four times on the lips which is like all right um <laughs> So uh, you get this this jump scare from Goggles where he does this thing where when he comes out of her apartment, there's this nonsensical jump scare with like a monster rubber monster mask. And Kendall's like, oh, my God. And then it's Goggles and he pulls up his mask and he's like Casanova and makes this like fart trumpet noise with his hand. (laughs) It's so silly. Um, anyway, now it's daytime. So next day and the marching band music is playing over the PA system and nobody really knows why, um, which is messing up this tennis players tennising, I guess. I don't know. Um, she decides to just like call it quits. She goes, takes a shower. She gets chased chainsaw guy, like cuts through the door. Um, and again, this like oddly out of place, brutal scene where she like, pisses herself and then just gets like hacked in half in the torso. Um, and then uh, Willard is there and they're like, oh, it's obviously Willard. He got released and somebody got killed and Willard's about. Um, and then Kendall and, you know, the coach tennis cop shows up um, and gives him <laughs> the whole the old Willard eye, which is this like weird side eye that he gives everybody. <laughs> He's acting super sketch. Um, Kendall finds Susie, her name was murdered. And it's like this crazy gory effect where it's like a freaking kiddie pool full of blood. And she's just cut off at the waist kind of thing. Um, and you get from coach tennis cop, this famous weird scene of her screaming bastard, bastard, bastard like it feels like it goes on for minutes and she's just screaming bastard yeah it Um, like it's over because she's also did they shut the music off at this point or they're trying to get it shut off now they're still trying to get it shut off yeah yeah so she's screaming bastard over the fucking marching band music this is where i this is how i thought i had seen this movie before because i've definitely seen that imagery of the like half torso in the shower. So like mm-hmm. I recognize that and it's on some of the covers of the film. So that's where I thought I'd seen this film before, but 
again, the ending. I was not prepared. Yeah. So we're spiraling, spiraling towards the ending here. And this may be our longest episode of all time. So yep. I'm going to spiral towards the ending here. Um, so, you know, Coach Tennis Cop goes to see the dean. Um, the dean puts something sketchy in her coffee, which is kind of a weird way of telling us all it's the dean. Yeah. Like it's almost this anticlimactic way of, you know, who it's a whodunit kind of situation. Then the dean's like, you want some tea and she, she in, or coffee? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'll go make you some coffee. And then he just pulls out this little vial and starts putting sketchy stuff in. And you're like, wait, why would the dean do that? Oh, the dean's the killer? Or do we Are we all accepting the dean's the killer now? Um, he puts something sketchy in her coffee. Um, <laughs> great, great throwaway line. Uh, how's the coffee? Good. I love the cream, which is great yeah. line on its own. Well, this is New England, of course, <laughs> says in his British accent. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, the um, the gray haired cop and Kendo are back, like doing some useless work to, you know, talk about why uh, you're trying to figure out who it, who the killer is or whatever. And they're just eating and drinking Wendy's classic cups and wrappers. Classic Wendy's. It's yellow Wendy's. <laughs> Yeah, so they're like, this must be the definitely the USA because Wendy's. Um, and then they get a phone call that they found out that it's the Dean. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much. <laughs> and this is where I was saying, like, this feels so much like Herschel Gordon Lewis. And I think specifically Blood Feast is because mm. Blood Feast is very much like police procedural with like a bunch of gore that's happening. And I feel yeah. like I remember Blood Feast coming to the kind of the similar conclusion of like the cops just get a phone call that confirms something for them and they go, okay, yeah. time to go get them. That's all. Yeah. Let's go arrest them. Go get them. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> they don't come to any conclusion. It's just like, um, phone call. Oh, the Dean, he's got poo brains. Yeah. He's got whacked out. <laughs> he killed his mom or something. He changed his identity, but it is, yeah, he changes. It is shit ass Mary Sue Kendall who brings the file to Murphy first of like, hey, mm. is this something? And then Murphy calls it in and it is something. So, well, Ken- Kendall's the fucking hero, man. He knows what to do. I hate Kendall. He's the fucking puss lord. <laughs> King fuck. Um, so, you know, they find out it's a Dean. Of course, we as the audience already know this. And, uh, and Kendall knows that she you know, uh, coach, coach tennis cop is going to see the Dean. Um, so they're like, God damn, we got to go. You know, he's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the Dean has this very like proper British accent, like I said, which is very weird, but, um, he's explaining because he's trying to put some, uh, 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 suspicion on professor Brown and he's got this very proper British accent. He goes, Professor Brown, you see, is a homosexual. And what the yeah, it's what the fuck does this have to do with anything? And they go into this thing about how, uh, you know, he's trying to basically frame uh, Professor Brown. Um, and then slowly she starts to become like she starts to get that like paralysis where she can't move, but she can see and hear everything. Um, you know, Dean decides he's going to cut her feet off because he wants to put her feet in the shoes for her you know they kept from his mom that he murdered however many years ago i don't know um but he's gonna cut her feet off 
Um, the cops and Kendall show up just as he's about to cut her feet off. Um, the music the whole time during this scene is insane, by the way. Um, it, it's like it's it's just it's so chaotic. Mm-hmm. So they run in. The dean's hiding behind the curtain and she knows Ray's, but she can't tell him. So like she's trying to signal to the curtain. It's kind of a cool scene in that way. Um, then the dean jumps out. Kendall and the dean struggle. And just as he's about to stab Kendall, the cops run in and blast him. Right. Kind of predictable. They're like, all right, whatever. Kind of, you know, you get this like heartwarming scene of the cop saying that Kendall was lucky and, you know, coach tennis cop is going to be OK. And everybody's like, everything's going to be OK. The cops came in and saved right the last minute. Um, and they cover the dean up uh, with like a cloth. They find the jigsaw puzzle and they're like, well, whatever. And then out of motherfucking nowhere, a trick bookcase spins around and a the dead girl that he chopped her arms off, he had sewn her arms back on, put her in his mom's dress and hung her up. And she falls out from behind the bookcase and like wearing the Dean's mom's dress and all that stuff falls on Kendall. There's this big music sting and you're just like, holy shit, this giant like jump scare. Uh, and you're like, well, holy shit. They like, I remember the first time, like it made me jump. I was like, Jesus Christ, you weren't expecting that. <laughs> Not that you weren't expecting something to happen, but like you definitely weren't expecting that. Again, Scooby-Doo gets you again. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, that was fun. That was cool. And the cops like joking with Kendall, like, you know, not about not wanting to be a cop. You must not want to be a cop anymore after, after that. Like you got to go home and get some rest, kid, blah, blah, blah. And Kendall says, all right, let me go get my jacket. And so you're like, wait, is something else going to happen? He walks near the body. The woman's hands, who has been murdered for a long time, long dead, decomposing, arms cut off, sewn back on. Her arm shoots up, grabs Kendall's crotch. She has like claws that rip through his jeans, squeeze his dick and balls until they explode. (laughs) (laughs) And then Kendall screams and goes cross-eyed. And there's a freeze frame on Kendall's cross-eyed face. And that's the fucking movie. Yeah. It is the most bonkers ending to any movie ever made. It makes no sense. It's never explained. It is shameless to the umpteenth degree. And I absolutely love it for it. It's the greatest ending in horror history. Like it is so stupid and wild and unexpected and gory, like so much gorier than almost like almost anything else with the exception of like maybe some of the little like scenes he sets up for the bodies to be discovered. But like I have a pieces t-shirt that I wear just so I can tell people to watch it. <laughs> and so I can take comfort in because people all the time, even when I was on that freaking tour that we talked about in the last episode, I got on there and people were like, oh, what, what's on your shirt? Pieces. I've never seen that. I was like, it's on Tubi. Go watch it. Like, and I just won't tell them. <laughs> yeah. And it gives me so much pleasure to know that occasionally somebody's going to watch this and experience this ending blind. And it just makes me so happy to know that I'm <laughs> going to bring that joy to people's lives. So 
Um, you could never remake this movie. You could never mm-hmm. make a sequel, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's like why it's the perfect one hit wonder because it's, you could never, re- you could never do that over again and have it be anywhere near as impactful because these people were just, I, I assume on drugs. I don't know. It makes no sense. A little bit of the marriage. That's, that's pieces. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pieces guys. It's, it's an interesting film. And it has <laughs> a lot of fun things going for it. And it obviously bites off a lot of things, like we already said, how it bites off Giallo and it bites off of uh, 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 fucking just like American slasher. Like Western yeah. slashers. Yeah, yeah. West- what they think Western slasher culture is. Mm-hmm. The At no point do you like anybody in the film, though. Like... I know you don't connect. You don't connect with anybody. You don't care about the cops. They're boring and flat like a Herschel Gordon Lewis <laughs> cop. Kendall's yep. insufferable. Yeah, I guess you kind of like Officer Coach, but she's introduced yeah. later in the film and like is kind of just a damsel. Like she just falls into a damsel at the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. What about Chow? I'm a big Chow guy. That <laughs> That is so fucking crazy. Like... <laughs> <laughs> why is that in this, this film <laughs> this movie gives no fucks about who you like why you like it you are in the seat you bought the ticket and it's going to take you on a fucking ride mm-hmm. that is this movie yeah it's yeah. it's rewatchable i mean that's I mean, the one thing it has going for it is like there's so many 80s slashers that are just up and down boring like they're not mm-hmm. creative camel work wise. They're not creative, you know, violence wise. They're just whatever. So like for this film to be on the shorter side and in. Yeah, it's like one how, hour 20, like an hour 20. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like an hour 20. And then, you know, like it has some interesting set pieces in it. Uh, Like the the waterbed and the shower scene are like pretty top-notch there's a lot of other stuff though that like i don't know like i said i wanted more after that girl got decapitated the the elevator stuff is so hokey and not good looking like when the way he just pops her arm off though yeah like i love that it just i mean it barely touches her shirt before it goes flying off and I was just like, I just love it. I, it, t- it, t- like, it took me it's, out. It's like, <laughs> it's like she was like, it's like she's one of those like, do you guys, you remember the, uh, uh, the action figures of the, the crash test dummies, yeah, yeah. you know, where you just press the middle and all their arms and legs yeah, and yeah. head fly yeah. off. That's pretty That's what much she what was. she was. Yeah, she's completely yeah. just detachable. So I, there's mm. a, there's a lot of good things in it. There's also just some things I'm just like not impressed with. That and like yeah. it because it spends so much of its time biting off other styles. Like it's it's in partly a love letter, but also not original until they go corpse corpse bride at the end. Corpse bride, mama grab the pee pee. <laughs> you don't know. You have no idea. It's never explained. It's never hinted at, and that's why it comes so far out of left field. Is there is nothing. There are no breadcrumbs that you could follow yeah that would make you think that anything even remotely close to that would happen well there's there's the breadcrumbs of um there's the breadcrumbs of that he's collecting bodies 
to uh, put together because you yeah. get a couple scenes of him in a uh, a remote like cooler or freezer. So yeah, he's like a walk-in cooler. Or something. Yeah. So th- this is like the early version of the house that Jack built, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like there's nothing to say that like somebody's gonna touch the bookcase and his fucking you know Franken Mama is gonna come out from behind it. <laughs> well, maybe that I was talking specifically about the dick grab. Yeah, you're not gonna see that either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying yeah, that that there's nothing. Yeah. That la- that last two minutes, despite like the other failings leading up to that, the last two minutes is just like, okay, well, it, uh, sure, yeah, you got me, you got me, movie, you got me, good one. Ah. Uh. <laughs> It is just, it's, it's so brazen. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about it. Yeah. It's brazen. So. All right. Matt, thoughts on pieces. I can only say that the character development in this thing is hilarious because like Steve said, I can't see me liking any of the characters and only hoping for the demise of Kendall throughout the entire film. So that yeah. to me makes the ending so satisfying to see his package get absolutely trash compacted by <laughs> corpse that yeah. that's the rewatchability for me. And also to that ending, it is very surprising. And it is the reason why I've rewatched this movie a couple of times only because I still try to find a reason why this happens. And I can't never have never will. Nope. All I get to know is that Kendall for all the fuck machine antics he has that wedding tackle is getting absolutely obliterated by a corpse. Kendall, the fuck king, will never fuck again. Nope. Yeah, that's really the true tragedy of this movie. Yeah, this movie, by all accounts, uh, is bad, but in the most fun way. Like, it is schlock. At, it's just the highest order of schlock in my mind. Like it is shameless. It is there just to shock and, you know, and, and get word of mouth. So it sells more tickets. And it's just like, it is the definition of schlock in my mind. And like most of my favorite 80 slashers are that because 80 slashers are 90 plus percent of them are just trying to capitalize off of the success of Halloween 1978. Right. So they are just, how can I make a bajillion dollars off a zero dollar budget? Yeah. That's it. This one is definitely, it's not inspired by Halloween. They were instead took the route Mm -hmm. of being inspired by Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. (laughs) Right. They just said, oh yeah, true. There wasn't true even earlier, right? They just said, there wasn't enough chainsaw in Texas Chainsaw. Let's have more chainsaw in our dumb fuck movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. It is time. We have talked uh, for many hours now. So let's figure out who's going to take home the son of a bitch and strap for the month. So, Matt, you got to decide the order in which people go. So you get to decide the order in which people vote as well. I think stay consistent. We just go the same way. Steve, myself, then Brian. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Where are you at, Steve? I would like to point out that every film also seemed to have something in common with another film tonight. So like two films had Scooby-Doo's in them. Two films had Columbo cops in them. Two films had Mm -hmm. like Italian ripoff fucking music because I had actual Goblin and Cam, the composer for pieces, was 
absolutely biting off Goblin <laughs> for the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. you know, there, there's just a lot of fun connections between all of them. But uh, pieces I saw a lot more things that I recognize and things that I like and just, you know, I could see the pedigree of where that film came from, despite it not actually having any ties. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. was just, like you said, it was a Spanish production. So like they weren't really tied to anything. I guess I'm willing to forgive that crazy Bruce Lee thing. <laughs> forgive or celebrate. I it's, it's, I don't know. I want to dock at points cause it's, insane racism for no reason but also i don't know it was the time that's insane racism for no reason <laughs> it's yes yeah, it is it is a hundred percent it's so out of left field it's yeah it's absolutely madness and but like yeah. also shocker i'm docking points for fucking crazy bullshit out of nowhere as well mm. you know it's uh but if shocker wasn't so desperately trying to be Oh, a Nightmare on Elm Street film or Wes Craven's way of giving the finger to uh, New Line for not letting him do Nightmare on Elm Street. Like if it wasn't mm. so similar to those, I, it just, yeah, I don't know. I might like it more for its craziness. If it was the movie we talked about where it's like a Jim Varney character who loves TV and yeah. is just trying to fucking kill people. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd love that movie, but unfortunately not i i I love my giallo and herschel gordon lewis too much and so i will vote pieces there there's one one vote pieces one vote for pieces all right or what do you got matt so when i look at all three of these movies what it really comes down to is what i'm going to have the most fun watching and of course i think my movie is is fun because i brought it it's my baby and mm-hmm. I also enjoy the fact that I got to terrorize Steve with it because it's his first time watching it, which also <laughs> makes me giggle. <laughs> um, but when I do look at like a linear storytelling, mine doesn't really meet that criteria because it is three different stories over almost two hours. So I can't rightfully give myself a vote on that one. So I'm going to take myself out of that one. But mm-hmm. Uh, another time, another place, another lifetime, baby, we could be together. And I would vote <laughs> for shocker a thousand times over. Um, but if I have to go with, um, you know, storytelling, filmography, uh, just the presence, I got to go with Steve. I got to give the vote to opera because it has the visual aspects I like to see. And it also has one of the coolest bits in a horror movie from the 80s. And that is the secondary trauma by having the the lined needles underneath the eye to force her to watch critically Mm -hmm. insane violence. So I'm sorry, Brian, but I have to give it to Steve. I I can't say I'm surprised. I can't say I'm surprised. Um, They are radically different, different films. As much as I want to be a dickhead and and vote for Shocker <laughs> just to send it to the judges, just to send it to the online, I cannot in all good faith go with Shocker. Although I do enjoy the movie. Like I said, I've enjoyed it more as my, you know, in my subsequent viewings of it. Um, I, I got to say opera for nothing else. The visuals in it are incredible. The cinematography is incredible. 
and the practical effects are incredible, but they're, they're subdued. They're like the polar opposite of my movie mm-hmm. where they're just like over the top, just buckets of blood. Yeah. This is like a lot more subdued. I mean, obviously there's a lot of violence in it, but like it's quick. It's like, it doesn't show you too much. Um, and it just has, has a lot that sticks with you, even though I would argue just like this just like you guys said about pieces, which I don't disagree with, there's literally not one character that you like at all. There's also literally not one character in opera that I like at all. Uh, <laughs> or or would I root for? Or maybe That's a lie. The, you just said earlier you like the costumer. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's true. I did like the costumer, although a very minor character. Yeah. Um, I do like the costumer. And then there was one other one that I was just going to say that was vaguely... Oh, man. The bird guy, the bird that. trainer, also rules. Oh, I don't give a uh, fuck. That guy's he's awesome. Funny. Guy. That guy's funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't give a fuck about the bird guy. There was one <laughs> other one that I was just going to say. Oh, I was going to say the the um, uh, uh, the agent. She's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You, you don't you don't actively dislike the no, agent. No, you you feel means. bad when she fucking gets it, which is when terrible. she dies, and which contributes to the best scene mm-hmm. in the movie. So yeah. I I gotta go. I, although I know that I am I am. Uh, really dooming myself here because we're giving the belt back to Steve and he's going to do something awful in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, which we, we call the revenge movie, but maybe would be a retribution uh, movie after this. I don't know, but I, I got to go opera, which is ultimately going to hand the, the strap to Steven. Hooray, everybody. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> well, I want to thank, I want to thank everybody who made this possible. And <laughs> Dario Argento. Dario Argento. And of course, that means we are going to have a punishment film. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt, you're welcome to join us for the punishment film next week. Ooh. And I can tell. We won't record for five hours. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, we won't, it won't be five hours, but boy, are you guys going to be mad. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Dario Argento. Oh, God. And. Instead of his greatest film, we're going to go with his greatest flop. 2012's Dracula 3D. Oh my god. Available on Amazon Prime for free. For a reason. For lots of reasons. (laughs) Have I seen Dracula 3D? No, you haven't. This movie has been wiped from the collective conscience for great reason. Like... Yeah. I accidentally stumbled on it and I said, oh, that's fucking crazy that this movie exists. It's got Rucker Hauer. I'm surprised I haven't seen it. I've seen like every Rucker Hauer yeah. movie. It's got Rucker Hauer. He plays Van Helsing. Yep. Rucker Hauer's Van Helsing. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, you so you would so think so. And I I'm and oh, I'm not it's got her his daughter as Lucy. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. All right. Fine. But just wait till you watch it. Fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right guys i am scared and nervous and intrigued and a little horny <laughs> i'm to pooping watch and Dr- now i'm peeing <laughs> <laughs> dracula 3d from 2012 that just seems a weird uh i don't know why that just I, if you would have said when do you think dracula 3d which i've heard of before us rob i would have been like 1993 you know what i mean i wouldn't have said 2012 (laughs) but okay we'll check it out 
we'll check it out, guys. All right. Um, well, that was a lot of fun. It was a, a pleasure talking 80s uh, one-hit wonder slashes with you, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us on the old podcast here and sticking on for a marathon episode, easily our longest episode ever. Yep. Um, but uh, it was it was a pleasure uh, to do so. Um, and you can let us know if you want to come back uh, for for some beautiful Dracula 3D action. Um, anything else I'm forgetting, boys? Anything else we should mention? No, just Matt. Tell everybody once again where they can find you. So we are in the Judgeatorium. We can be found on all social media as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, Threads, and YouTube at DecayNWTV. Uh, don't forget to follow Adam on all social media as well to get up caught up with the reigning defending homebrew champion of Pittsburgh at Bash underscore Brew. And don't forget to check out all the art that goes along with the beers uh, from his incredible wife, Lori. And if you want to check out any of our merch, we are on Redbubble where you can get uh, some of your favorite threads and support our podcast. And I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to every week. So it's, it's actually an honor to be able to come on and, and talk schlocky shitty films with you guys. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, it was, it was a pleasure. Thank you again. It was a lot of fun having you on the old poor cast. Excited to have you back again. If, uh, if, if, if not for the, uh, uh, punishment episode for, for some time down the old road as well. Um, it was it was a blast. And like I said, thank you for for staying on uh, with us well after midnight here uh, <laughs> and, uh, with the Halloween is Forever crew. So, all right. That being said, with the for the Halloween is Forever crew, I'm Brian. I'm Dracula. <laughs> I'm Steve. For now. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken Steve's body because I'm Horace Pinker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you later, you wieners. Bye. Bye. Bye.